Dude, yeah, it's gonna fuck it. We're gonna we're gonna have some fun. All right, technically we're live. Nice. All right. Let's do Pull this. Pull that up a little closer. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, try to keep it like, you know, about a fistful, Eat, something like eating that. The, eating the foam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, about a, about a fist. Yeah. I, got, I got the game pretty high, so we should be fine. But, Perfect. Uh, all right, so Zach Boyd. Yes, sir. Dude, thank you. You're my first guest. You're my first official podcast guest. Very nice. How does it feel? Oh, honored. Don't lie. No, dude. Don't this bullshit. Is, I, well, <laughs> I'm just fucking When we first walked in here, I told you, like, I've, I've done podcasts before, and usually it's just a, a couple of microphones and a bunch of dudes drinking some beer, you know, doing whatever we do. And uh, this is the first time I've actually seen a setup where you've got multiple cameras. You've got your you've got your controller here. This is dope, dude. You got a nice setup. I appreciate I love it, man. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it, dude, because I'm, I'm not a perfectionist by any means. I think I told you that when we were texting and yeah, talking yeah. and shit, but... Like, I also know there's a billion people starting podcasts right now. So the smartest thing I can do is just at least not seem like the analogy I've been using is like the shitty local band with solid state practice amps <laughs> at their first show. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, just, just like acknowledge that there's a whole thing going Have on. Have an here. actual setup. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, dude, you yeah, got it. Exactly. Uh, it's dope down here. I like it. It's comfortable. All right. So, so I, I have like eight fans. In the world, okay, and they don't know who you are. Oh, so, man. so uh, just real quickly, just kind of tell people who you are and like and, and what you do, and then and then I'll obviously I got some questions for you, and we're gonna get into some stories, guys. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, uh, you gave my name already. My name is Zach Boyd. Is it Z A C or Z A C K? Z A C. That's what I thought. Well, okay. my my folks used to fight over it. My dad spelled it with an H, and my mom, or my dad spelled it without an H, and my mom spelled it with an H, and they would always fight over it. And then I think when I was in <laughs> second grade, my second I I spelled it two different ways, and my second grade teacher was like, "Pick one." And so I was, like, well, I'll just be lazy about it. I can leave a letter off. Fine, Z A C. So I, I stuck with Z A C. But sick. Um, that's what it says on your license. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it says Zachary. Okay. But yeah. But yeah. with just a C. Nope. It's got an H. <laughs> <laughs> but All that's right. why I'm saying I went. Right. I went with the lazy route. But um, no, I'm a I'm a musician. I live here in Minneapolis. I'm um uh I was born in Kansas, raised in South Dakota, but I moved to Minneapolis in 2001. Um. And I wish I could play the cool story of saying, yeah, I moved out here for the music scene. But the the actuality is, is that was just kind of a secondary thing for me. Um, I followed a girl out here. Oh. And yeah, I was dating a girl out of South Dakota and uh, she got accepted to the U of M. And I was like, well, fuck it. I hate being in South Dakota because at that time I was 18 years old, 19 years old, and I was kind of labeled in the music scene out in South Dakota because I was in a rap core band because at that time that was the cool thing to do you know like you said this around 2000 2000 ish that makes you know? sense yeah yep. I graduated in 99 and in 2000 it was like it was kind of at that height of you know Limp Biscuit was finally getting off the radar of just being you know like three dollar bill y'all was the <laughs> shit yep. and then they started putting out just garbage this peachy came out around that yeah time. yeah you know and then when I was in high school that was the the new metal was at the height and so I was like man that's you know this is easy I can do this I'm let's do this so I quit that yeah, band. They made it easy for us guitar players in that new metal genre. <laughs> yeah, right. Just they? Drop, drop D, D one fucking finger, dumb yeah, down, fing, dumb down guitars. But the problem was, was that 
once I started to get out of that mentality and I didn't want to be doing it anymore, I was labeled as the, the rap core new metal kid. Then that's what everybody thought that I wanted to do. And in Sioux Falls, the big thing was um, they had a crew. They called it the 605 crew. And all of them stopped That's doing... That's an area code, right? Yep. For all of South Dakota. I'm not, <laughs> not even kidding. Just Sioux Falls. Yeah, not just Sioux Falls. Got one area it, so code. if you drive through South Dakota, they don't even put their area code on it because they're like, well, if you're that dumb that you don't know the area gotcha. code. Okay. So it's just 605. So they called themselves a 605 crew. And they all started these like, you know, uh, hardcore metal bands and, and like post-hardcore bands and... You know, that's when it started to take off. Well, nobody wanted anything to do with me because, well, he's just that rap core kid. Right. Well, I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. I wanted to be in a hardcore band and I wanted to do something. Same thing happened to me, by the way. Yeah, you know, and, and, and so I was labeled and I had to get the hell out of there. So I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity. So I moved to Minneapolis in 2001, um, got up here, started in a band that was um, kind of like a system of a down-esque um, new metal you know rip off so to speak um but Did you start that band or you joined no i actually uh i i responded to an ad that was this was back in the day before any of the social media shit or anything you had to go into like guitar center or your local music store and people would actually post ads and you yeah, would and you rip the, the little, little piece of yep, paper off. or city pages was a big thing yep. back in the day you actually or musicscene.org oh yeah, yeah yeah the website that yep. was a local thing for yep. people that don't know that was a local website it was like right as the internet not came out, but like because we're talking 2000s era through. So I'd say 2000 to 2006, maybe tops. Um, there was this specific website that anyone in the Midwest, really all the way down to Chicago. It was a it was a website which still exists, but is not the same thing. Don't waste your time going there. It was called <laughs> musicscene.org, And it was this beautiful. Like how would you call it like some weird combination between a forum and like ads and a place to promo. And it was all about everything re regarding music. I we, think that's we the formed, best way that you we formed it. bands on there. Yep. And when bands were on there, we would go on there and post in the forum to promote our own shows. It to was the rest music, social media before social media existed. Every musician in the M Minneapolis area was on this website. And, and not just Minneapolis. Right. I literally mean, in the Midwest. Milwaukee, Chicago, out to Nebraska. I think that's literally, if I remember right, that's and we'll talk about Dalton later, but I think that's how Dalton found out about the Minneapolis music scene. It, it might have been. You I know, think but people was. would go on there and they'd be like, Hey, we are touring through your area. Are there any bands that can help us book a show? Yep. And so that's where it was just this huge gaggle of networking. Yep. But I went into Guitar Center and I answered an ad that was looking for a vocalist. And they said that they wanted a hardcore vocalist, somebody that can scream and occasionally sing, but they wanted it predominantly screaming. Um, answered the ad, ended up getting on the ad or uh, getting in front of the band and doing a tryout for it. Um, and to kind of streamline, I won't get into the, all of that history. We can get into that a little bit later if you'd like. But uh, got into the band... Uh, they didn't like. Well, they didn't mind my singing, but they liked another dude singing more than they liked mine. They said, "Hey, we love your screaming, but this other dude can sing." And subsequently, that other dude ended up becoming one of my absolute best friends. Um, he was in my wedding. Him and I broke off from that band, started another band, um, and so to kind of answer the question, whoa, who whoa, I am, whoa, what whoa, I do. You said your wedding. So, so yeah. Hold on. So so are we staying with the timeline or is this your like 
I, I kind of I, I Quentin Tarantino'd it there. Okay, okay, okay. I, jumped, I just wanted yeah. to make sure, because you said you followed a girl out here, and then all of a sudden nope, we're talking nope, about okay. that, that girl. Uh, so <laughs> James and I were in that band, and then we broke off, and we started a band called Johnny Rook. Um, I think that was probably about 2002 area era-esque and that makes sense because when i first saw your band i'm gonna guess it was around 2004 okay 2005 and that's when we which were really just started to... somewhere between 18 and 20 yep and at the tail end of my first band seven months of nothing which was a horrible <laughs> horrible new metal band that i wrote all the music for for the most part i think we had two songs that the whole band wrote towards the end and i saw you guys at the urban wildlife which is a club that doesn't exist in downtown Minneapolis anymore, which might have been the best club that ever existed I, I, in Minneapolis. I think you can talk to any musician from that era and mention Urban Wildlife, and you'll get the same reaction, which will be, dude. <laughs> Where did that club go? Oh, it's fucking fantastic. So, okay, so you guys in 2002-ish. Mm-hmm. So locally here, this is going to be great for the local musicians and local music fans from minneapolis or minnesota area for the national listeners which believe it or not i have out of the eight fans i have like four of them i believe it um (laughs) four of them are from out of state uh one's from japan i believe no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) konnichiwa (laughs) um there was uh there was a very prolific music scene going on in Minneapolis at that time. Right at that time, yeah. So even huge. though we're just post 9-11, we're still in a renaissance of the music scene in Minneapolis because you had American Head Charge, yep. who was signed and had just recorded with Rick Rubin. You had local bands like Ginger Jake, Black Flood Diesel, Smiling Stasia, Smiling Liar. These were bands that were selling out several thousand people Quest for Mayhem. Yes. You remember that? I mean, we're talking like literally a, a couple thousand people as a local band would sell this venue out. And sometimes if you were big enough, like American Head Charge, could sell out First Avenue multiple nights in a row. Yep. Yep. So we're talking about, I, I, only, I only stopped you to mention when this was, because this was like, man, if you were, if you were jumping into the music scene at this time. It was like a movie. It was mind blowing, dude. Because we had For Area local 52. bands to be able to, yeah. Wow, that's a blast. We'll, from the we'll past get too. into Area Fifty Two because yeah. that we, we could spend an entire podcast on this one thing. And I'm convinced I'm gonna fucking write a movie about <laughs> Area Fifty Two someday. It's gonna happen yeah. because it's too special of a place, yeah. to not have a movie made about it. Yep. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because you're starting off. You're saying about 2002 ish, and you guys were coming out of this like. This weird, obscure, new metal phase, which I was, and we were also watching the birth of hardcore. Yeah. But you didn't go that route with Johnny Rook. You guys went a completely contrarian direction. And and I'm curious, as a musician, to think and ask other musicians how their thought process works. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna divert this and talk about how I've done this, how I would answer this question with my current music. Mm-hmm. Because I've got a million of these to do. Yeah, yep. Th- that story will get out there. Yeah, eventually, yeah. yeah. Right? I'm curious, why is it? So, so I'm going to guess. You started doing new metal yep. because it was popular. It was on the radio. And it was my age era. Yep. yep. And everybody your age liked it. Yep. When our age group got a little bit older and we moved to hardcore, mm-hmm. this is what my question is. 
why did you decide to go completely against the grain and go towards something like Johnny Rook, which now we would call, I mean, fuck, I think your album was labeled emo, which I think is one of the most grossly <laughs> unaccurate, <laughs> inaccurate Okay, let me genre stop, let, let me stop you there though, because I, I have this argument. With, You're not an emo band w- w- with younger friends. I have this argument all the time, and when people call bands like uh, My Chemical Romance or Taking Back Sunday emo, I have to stop them in their track and call it bullshit because it's not what I grew up with as emo. What What do you call emo? I call emo stuff like uh, Billy Elliot or. American football or Sunday Day Real Estate, like those. Taking those, Back Sunday. Taking Back Sunday wasn't emo to me. That was yeah, a little bit more like uh, I call that like kind of the more post pop. Because Coheed still to this day gets labeled as emo. And see, and, and I disagree with that because like emo to me was like I grew up when I was uh, along with my new metal phase. When I started getting out of that new metal phase and started liking hardcore, it was bands like. Uh, American football, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with I, I have no so idea who that is. American actually. football is a band out of uh, the Chicago area, and just like a, and there's there's newer um, emo revival, like uh, well, let me ask you this. into it without naming it. bands. Yeah, describe emo. What what you think emo really is? Because honestly, this is one of the stupidest fucking arguments. <laughs> Genre placing of of specifically rock and metal is one of the most obnoxiously disgusting arguments ever. I agree. Because somebody's like, I've made this argument that Metallica isn't even metal anymore. They're hard rock now. I agree. And they haven't been metal for years. It's the same argument with country music these days. It's not country music. It's fucking pop music. So you remember we were talking earlier about how I justifiably said and did a lot of fucked up shit 10 years ago and kind (laughs) of ostracized myself from the scene. We were talking before the podcast started, you guys. I did, and I deserved it. I made that bed, and I've been laying in it for 10 years, and I've slowly been making that bed and making it better and making amends. But one of my best friends, <laughs> and I think he, I think they're still pissed about this today, and one of the guys, actually two of the guys in this band are now in my project. <laughs> we were playing a show one night, and they were like, well, you know, you know, fucking, you know what it's like being in a metal band. And I was like, you guys aren't metal. And we were lit, we played a show that night together. We're all fucking the closest of friends. It was a band called uh, 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 Wither the Tide, and I might be blurring it with their previous iteration called uh, Buried by Hope. Um, Montoya is in yes. the band. Yeah. yeah, he's actually singing for my project right now. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll play a, I'll play a really bad demo later. But <laughs> dude, right, it's a bad demo just because execution. Okay. But it's pretend we're all just jamming for the first time. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? Like. He's a little pitchy. My guitars are a little sloppy, but dude, the song's fucking pretty dope. Bro. All right, all right, it's pretty legit. Cool. So, uh, so I'm like, you guys are fucking metal, and they're like, what the fuck do you mean? I was like, you guys are hard rock, and they're like, well, fuck you then. What's metal? And I was like, dude, see, here's what metal is, and I listed off these things, and they were like, so are you guys metal? That's what he said. Are you guys metal? And I was like, not really. And and, and it, like I thought when I answered that and said not really that I would immediately take the heat off of me and no longer sound like I was attacking him or his band that I'm applying this to, to us. myself yeah right? yeah nope <laughs> nope nope three days later I hear dude what the fuck happened with you and Rich the other night oh no and I'm like what are you talking about and Rich is, <laughs> Rich goes Rich tells them the story and. Apparently, the whole band was super fucking like offended. Oh no, because right? I'm telling them they're not metal, and and they brought up they're like, so what? So is Metallica not metal? I was like, not anymore. 
And then I was like, even literally metal, first of all, metal became its own thing later. Metal, yeah. the name just metal evolves and changes over time. So right now, Lamb of God is the only metal band out there. Everyone else is a different version of metal. Right. Like still to this day, Killswitch Engage is fucking metalcore. They'll never stop being metalcore. Metalcore, for people that don't know what we're talking about, is metal and hardcore. We were talking about hardcore earlier. We'll get back to it in a second. I just want to finish up this rant real quick. Like, <laughs> It's stupid because people, including myself, are so fucking opinionated as to what genre of music you are. Like, and I'm just going to make up a scenario, but I've heard this example a million times, Zach. Yeah. No, dude. They're not punk they're post hardcore pre-emo sub right fuck right eat your own ass at that point <laughs> right. fuck dude okay okay so, so the, where i'm asking this is how do you define emo because we're getting back to like where i started my question was why you went contrarian with the johnny rick sound yep but it's the reason i'm bringing this up and making this such a point is because it Still to this day, I would have a very difficult time as your A&R exec literally trying to categorize your band. Well, and okay. So, so you got labeled emo, but before we even get to that, I want to just, what do you call emo? Because my definition is super fucking simple. <laughs> it, it's the joke. I'm so emo, my pizza cuts itself. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, okay. like, it's the whiny heartbreak. Like, there's... Like it's a it's a certain vocal register, it's a certain tone in that guy's voice. Sure, it's usually about teen angst. Okay, um, not like not like metal was, where metal was about like being a pissed off kid. Yep. This is about teen angst, heartbreak, wanting to cut yourself, feeling not good enough because daddy didn't love you, or you, or you're not fitting in at school. Like, <laughs> I don't, dude. I feel like I'm definitely mocking some of these guys, but at the same time, I just don't. I don't even really understand well, what emo I'll stop is. you there. I'll stop you there because please do the new the the new classification of evil. Okay, and I'm I'm gonna date myself. Well, obviously, I talked about what year I moved here and how old I was when I graduated. I'm 39 years old right now. Okay, um, when when the defin- 40s the new 30. Yeah, fuck y'all. Um, when when emo the definition of emo for the music uh, industry came around for me was when I was like 18 or 19 years old and. The definition of emo at that point, like uh, what what the newer generation of emo, what, what kids, I can say kids because I'm that old man that says get the fuck off my lawn, right? <laughs> but I'm saying that when way. when the you know people that are ten years younger than me that c- categorize um, Taking Back Sunday or My Chemical Romance or the Cutter uh, music as being emo, it's, the Cutter music. <laughs> that's exactly what I basically said. Yeah, yeah, you know that. I understand it, and I don't disagree with it. If you want to classify that as emo, that's fine, and I I, I don't get hung up on uh, on genre stereotypes and stuff like that. However, the emo that I knew when I was growing up, it it actually made you feel something. Verse and the 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 guitar lines were soaring. There was atmospheric layers to it. There were things that were going on that it just kind of took you to a different place. That like. You didn't have to think about how miserable you were or how sad it made you or anything like that. You were just happy to be in the moment. And the guitars took you somewhere. And whether it made you sad or it made you go, ah, this is just relaxing. So um, for you, 
it's more about emotional Emotion. guitars, right? It's not or a, emotional music because it, it, it's a about lot of the keyboards. Atmo- yeah, it was too. The, uh, it was about the atmosphere of it, and like bands like Sunny Day Real Estate. Or, so there's definitely a lack of riffage. Yes, but the guitar lines are uh, like they're, they're, they could rival. So soaring stuck out to me though because that makes sense because like so one thing guys is like the listeners who aren't musicians and, and another reason i'm asking you this is because one of the number one questions i always get as a musician from non-musicians is mm-hmm. like tell me where does it come from how do you write a song blah, blah 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 okay well there's a million ways it starts but one of the big things between musicians when we're writing music together guys is the communication and mm-hmm. so when you say a soaring guitar riff i feel like i know exactly what you mean what I hear when he says that is a lack of riffage. When I say riffage, what I mean is it's playing Olympics on the guitar. Yeah, that's a riff. Your fingers are that's fucking spiders. Exactly, that's riffage, right? What he's talking about in my mind, I hear with a lot of layers going on over the top. Yeah, and maybe there's another guitar going, but it's a simple melody, and the whole thing literally makes it sound like it's being shot into the air and you're looking at sound across the sky. It's funny that you say that because the definition of emo... That's what I hear when you say soaring. Well, with the definition of emo, when I was you know, in my uh, early 20s, kind of morphed into what a lot of people nowadays would call stargazer type music okay and so like that was my definition of of emo when i was a kid but 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 to answer your question about like being hard or being heavy into hardcore music and loving that really heavy aspect of it it's just never been the kind of guitarist that i've been i i don't write riffs i don't write heavy you know like uh just chug 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 and I listen to it. I love it, but I've never. Uh, th- so one one dude that changed my perspective completely. Um, and when he released it, he he broke off from the band Further Seems Forever, and he started Dashboard Confessional. And when I heard that first record, his his lyricism, his guitar riffs, it wasn't just your typical acoustic music. It was him playing something that had melody to it and had had a lot of depth and heart. And it was like. Uh, it, it it was on this verge of just falling off that what I considered emo at the time, falling off that emo cliff and starting this whole new era, this whole new genre of music. And I just got so stuck on this Dashboard Confessional record. And James and I, the lead singer of Johnny Rook, um, when he and I were in this pseudo, I don't even know what you want to call it. We'll just call it this shit project. Um, we lived together. And... He would come down. I was living in the basement. He was living on the third floor. And he'd come down into the basement, and I'd just be playing acoustic guitar. And I'd just start jamming on something and be like, dude, that's great. And then he'd start singing over the top of it. And at the same time, I'm loving emo, um, hardcore. So you did like emo. Okay. I did. I loved, I'm only uh, asking uh, that, again, not as a mocking thing. Nope. I, lo- I loved that early emo. I loved, and here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about me with, you know, like, you can judge a book by its covers with the tattoos and everything like that. I fucking love pop music. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is like, you look like a tough dude. I, like, like I, I'm I not, don't, but thanks. <laughs> especially right now. Like, maybe when I got my fucking camo hat on and I fucking got the beard. Maybe when I got my fucking shotgun. Like, yeah. maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe then I look tough. Right. But 
I still have glasses, so it always negates the toughness. <laughs> like any any amount, any any fucking amount of glasses immediately negates at least fifty percent of your toughness. Well, period. But you do look tough. But you, I, I hear you, and I feel you. What you're saying right now, because I've always identified that as well. Like, like, and the reason I'm interjecting with this right now is because I hated pop, and I hated emo, mm-hmm. and why? Because to me, it was pussy music. And I, get I grew it. up as a fucking metal kid around bikers. Like, and you're supposed dude, and, to hate it. And you needed to be as mean yeah. and as angry and as manly as you could in order to get any fucking respect. Right. Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like the people I grew up with only respected strength and aggression. Yep. Even if you weren't physically strong. But if you were mentally strong and you were willing to tell a man 200 pounds bigger than you that you will fuck him up, they were like, all right, this little dude's crazy. And you were in. I like this guy. Yeah, that yeah. was the group. I, so so emo, pop music, fucking any of that shit. Every dude, when I was a little kid, Paul Abdul. Oh, my God. I love <laughs> How could Paul you Abdul. not? Come dude, on. I Paul Abdul. Be, I had a crush on I her, so to, I don't even care. My mom uh, met a dude. We moved to Colorado. We lived there for like three months or less. I was a little kid. And we moved back. My mom had one tape and going through the mountains, very little radio reception. Yep. So we listened to Madonna's. Uh, 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 it was the one with, um, it's like her second or third album. There's so many hits. There's like, uh, Papa, don't preach. There's dude, and I made up my mind. There was a bunch of <laughs> dude, a bunch of bangers. Yeah. So yep. like pop music had seeped in. Like yep. I like dude, my mom loved Bonnie Raitt, uh, Fleetwood Mac, all this quote unquote pussy music, right? Mm-hmm. So for years, I secretly liked that music. <laughs> I was never allowed to like that music. But see, here's the thing: there's a reason you like that music. Because it was fucking great music. Because dude. it's a fucking earworm. And that's the thing. That's, and, and, that's exactly it. And here, uh, an and, earworm, guys, an earworm is a very specific term used in the, the actual music industry, like the real music industry. It digs um, in. Where it it's, it's suck. An earworm is a real insect, and then it's used as a metaphor for a song you can't get out of your head, like the ABCs, um, Baby Fuck. Shark. Ah, you, um, yeah, you did it. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, these songs are so infectious that me just saying "Baby Shark," you're gonna a sing it bunch now. of you just went. I just left my house and my girls were playing it on the piano. Man, these are earworms, guys. Yeah. Um, so and, and so these are these are what pop songs are built on. Are these like very infectious. believe it or not simple infectious melodies that sound complicated, but at the end of the day, they're just catchy. There's, there's a pattern. The only point. They're and catchy. There is a pattern. You can't get them out of your head. And so the one of my greatest influences and um musically and you know it's just it's one of the artists that people could argue about for days Kurt Cobain and the reason that I love Kurt Cobain so Hated much him. is and that's cool that's cool I know so many people that do you do. know how many do you do, do you know how big of balls I had to have to just admit you that did on it. the internet you, you did Fucking it can't stand but him. that's okay but the thing the reason that I loved him so much was that he loved pop music and he loved 
punk and metal music. And he said, well, why can't we fucking do them both together? That's exactly what he did. And he did it. And he wrote some of the... Dude, he basically... Here's how I describe Kurt Cobain. He wrote Beatles music. Yeah. He well, wrote, because he, actually he loved literally, Beatles music. If you study music, and I know in, from knowing Dalton, I know you hate this logic. Beatles? No. Oh, okay. I know you hate <laughs> music theory. Uh, because I don't know it. I don't hate it. I just don't know it. Well, according to Dalton... You hate it because you feel, and I agree with you actually, because I had the same conversation with Dalton and I was like, Zach's not wrong, dude. Like he may not be right, but he's not fucking wrong because when you're too theorized, when you're too music theory, it's programmed. It and takes you, the feeling away from And it. it takes the soul and the creativity yeah. and it takes, cause you, cause you, you look at theory and you go, well, that note doesn't work. So I'm not going to play it. But if you play that note, you create a dissonant chord and maybe that riff, that tone, that moment sounds a little more country. It gives a little more twang, a little bit more color. I like music theory but i like the i like the adage better if it sounds good it's good so if you study that i, I haven't i don't know so i'm self-taught well, i'm just saying if you if you if you ever anyone like if you, if you were to look into it basically kurt cobain wrote the same songs that the beatles did yep they sound completely 100 percent different but there's a core music theory essence between these really simple guitar riffs with simplified drums and really catchy vocals and in it repeating like literally it goes back to an argument of the three and four chord rock progressions yep do you remember three dollar not three dollar bill three dollar love oh dude they were so they were a local blues band okay and they were one of the blues hard rock okay and they were one of the best bands i've ever seen in my entire fucking life at any level okay and they were called three dollar love on the dude's fucking kick drum, he wrote three chord rock and roll. Like there's an entire segment of musicians that believe that like a religion. Yep. When you're talking about Kurt Cobain, pop, hard rock, metal, punk, all that, and doing it all together, that's basically what they boil it down to. Yeah. In order to do anything that universal, you're going to basically boil yourself down to three chord rock or four chord rock. And I'm not going to get deep into theory for people that don't know what that means. If you don't know what three chord rock and roll means, look it up. Um, three chords. That's everyone, some people don't even know what chords are. <laughs> but three notes. The, basically, the point is, is that it's simple. Like, it's not Metallica. It's not, you know, fucking uh, even Queen, right? Like, Michael Jackson didn't even make three chord music. You don't have to do the Olympics for your song. You just three chords right. and repeat. And that's what Kurt Cobain did. And, and that's why as much as I don't like him and I can't stand him, I have to admit and I have to respect what he did, man, because a lot of people like him and I even like some of his songs. Well, and that's just the thing. I'm not a Beatles guy, but I can go, ah, God damn it, I like some of the Beatles songs. Well, and then you get into that old respect thing. Like, without the Beatles, we wouldn't have it's these It's the bands. Zoolander thing where you go, I don't like I don't like them, but I can respect them for making the music. Right. So that's where that's where the Johnny Rook stuff came from, was that... This one, mine. Yeah, yeah, it's all you, bud. Oh. Um, oh. All right. Um, yeah, so, dude, I'm super excited for these. So with Johnny Rook, I when James and I broke off from that kind of heavier project and doing what we were doing... Johnny Rook started off as the mentality of, like, since we loved pop music, like, James loves the Counting Crows, him and I both have an avid love for Matchbox 20, the early stuff, and we just, there's a certain aspect of that, that radio 
90s music that was just like there's a certain charm to it and maybe okay. it's just because we grew so up it with was it. a calculated decision not to be contrarian but to do something you liked that's it that was and all then, it was and and it's kind of almost like because a lot of people give johnny cash the shit because they go why do you you know you have this special style uh you play this like slow like a freight train that won't slow you know won't speed up and he's like well i'd play faster if i could Exactly. A lot of people knew Johnny Cash and were like, dude, he can play way faster. Like, that shit is not a well, lack of ability. That's just You're it, saying it kind of was. It, You're it, saying it, it I was. could never be a metal guitar player, so I never tried. So I exactly. wrote this music. And that even, I could to this, do. even to this day. So that band started as an acoustic project, and we went acoustic for the longest of time. I even played an acoustic guitar through uh, a 5150 and a 412 cabinet on stage. Yeah, that's what I saw. So when I saw you, yep. it was hilarious. So let's, let's, I love this. So now this is the <laughs> shit I want to break down because this, this is a, this is one of the things I want to do on this podcast. This isn't a music podcast by any means, but I love having this interaction because I consider you a peer. Yeah. Now you're more successful than I am technically in the music industry, but like debatable. It's it's hard to call myself a peer with say James Hetfield. Right? Sure. It's I very understand it, that. it is irrational. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I understand that. Maybe still technically true, <laughs> yeah, but but this is not a rational <laughs> comparison. Right. And I'm not saying this to demean you by any means, but most of our relationships that we've built in this scene, not just you and I, but most people in the industry saw them perform before we met them. Yep. So my first time seeing you, you're playing an acoustic guitar. You've got, uh, I thought it was a Marshall head. I did. Jesus, good memory. Through a 412 cab. Yep, Marshall 412. And Joe Spanbauer was getting so fucking irritated he with you mad. Oh, because God, you had mad. you had one of those cheap pickups that you put in the hole of your guitar i didn't actually and all then you i had, had a was mass the, the piezo that's it and Dude, i had a bunch of duct tape over the yeah hole. a mass amount of duct tape like yes. so much fucking duct tape i was wondering why you were playing an acoustic at all yep well like because i i remember thinking to myself that amount of duct tape is literally preventing that wood top from vibrating yeah. like he should just get a hollow top like, oh god, dude! Like a you e have no idea. You have no idea like how mad people got at me about dude, that shit. It sounded amazing though. Like once Joe got it dialed in, it was fucking breathtaking. And this is so. My first seeing your band was actually at the Urban Wildlife, but it really doesn't matter where because there was three distinct shows where you guys, I felt, and you know how no bands do this. No bands ever give their best show. Yeah. We all agree with this. Yep. Any any real musician will never tell you he played a perfect show. If if a musician says I played a perfect show, God damn, I had a great show. Oh, fucking you, a game. You're a fucking liar. Well, and we lose respect for those guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, a game. Oh, even if oh. It, even if I thought it was your a game, if you walk off on stage and go a game and drop the you're mic, gonna, you're gonna fuck you. Actually, I got a couple of points to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like so. Fucking uh, real quick. Amanda from Ginger Jake. Yep. Remember these incidents oh, yeah. from 10 years ago where oh, I yeah. deserved it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I almost got another one, but this one I got away with. Everyone is kicking, kissing Amanda's ass when she walks off on stage, right? Yeah. Always. Yep. For so many reasons. She's obviously beautiful. She's actually amazing at singing as well. So she's not just pretty. And she was just 
everything. She was perfect in every possible way, especially if she's the lead singer of your band. Yep. However, this night she had drank a little bit too much and she was a bit off key. She was a bit off time and she was a bit sloppy and it showed on stage. Okay. So when everyone walked off or when she walked off and everyone walked up to her to kiss her fucking ass, she knew me and respected me. And she goes, Jared, how was it? And I go, you've had better nights. <laughs> Honestly, you've, I literally, I was like, <laughs> I've like, I've like, you've had better nights. Yeah. She fucking started, not immediately, she walked away, started crying. I got confronted by like 13 grown-ass men <laughs> and her. Oh, no. And I looked there. I had to look her dead You're in the face. You're just being honest. I had to look her dead in the face, and I said, Amanda, you already know you didn't have your best night. Right. Everyone around you right now is a yes man, and they are all telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> I'm telling you as your peer and a fellow lead vocalist. This was not your best night. You could have done better. Call me tomorrow and I'll get into detail. Right. But I'm not going to fucking inflate your ego tonight. You know you didn't have a fucking good show tonight. Right. Compared to what you can do. You beat 99% of vocalists out there. You still had a better show tonight. But that wasn't your good show. That's what they that call was a, That was a shit show for you. They call that uh, local band syndrome is what that is. <laughs> Straight up, dude. Anyways, <laughs> she hit me up literally the next day and she was like, yeah, we had a video in the back of the room and... Thank you. You're the only person who was on it. Honestly, Amanda, if you remember this, I apologize if I'm calling you out right now. Please don't get mad at me. If you don't remember this, please don't get mad at me. I'm not calling it you out right now. It never happened. It's just, it's just one of those things where, because she, she had one off night. Yeah. She killed it a hundred out of a hundred times, except this once. Yeah. And I was just the one guy who was like, no, you didn't have a great show. Because right. I know your version of a great show. Right. That was a great show if it was me. Because I'd be lucky to get that close to being on pitch every single note I sing. <laughs> but for you, no. Nah, no, you're tonight. an A-level performer. Tonight was I'm a, nice. It's like actors. You're an A actor. I'm a B actor. You gave a B-level performance. <laughs> Look at like, us. We're on the same plane. <laughs> like, you shouldn't be at my level. Right. We're peers. We shouldn't be right now. Right. You're supposed to be. But no. So like where I was going with this is there's 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 a lot of, a lot of that going on in the scene where just people aren't honest with you. Yeah. And we're not honest with each other. And sometimes even like how we're creating our own music. So going back to like how you guys started your shit, get back to your thing. Like yeah. you were creating this movie or this movie, you were creating this music intentionally and deliberately, but not out of spite. No, it was, it was never out of spite. The thing was, was that, well, I shouldn't say that. Not fully. The problem was, was that when you, you know, growing up in whatever genre you want to call it, if you want to call it hardcore you want to call it post hardcore if you want to call it new metal doesn't really matter however when you're so on irritating. stage and the crowd is not having it it's the hardest fucking thing in the world oh come on guys get into it you just want them to do something you want them to move and the hardest thing is like i like to call it the most it's the most judgmental non-judgmental scene is the hardcore music, the metal, the metal scene, the, yeah, the, the underground hardcore, anything? You know, when, 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 in, when it comes in. to something heavy, it, it's a cool kids club. Unfortunately, you know. And so I was going through these. You know, we're playing show after show after show, and you're just you're doing everything you can to get the crowd involved in it. You're trying to work your ass off to get people interested, and it just was. At the end of the night, you felt like you gave it your all. But you just there was something about the crowd you couldn't connect, and it yeah. sucked. You know, it's, it was it's tough being it's tough being out of place 
like when you're because I did this when I was in a metal band and we'd show up to a hardcore show and like we were definitely better than these other bands, but we didn't sound right. Right. Like you, we had pro gear, you, we were tight. They didn't know who were you were, so you awesome. just they yeah. would kind of be yeah. like, Oh well let's talk to each other because I don't give a shit. Like yeah. I don't know these guys. And they'd just be super fun. They'd just Pretentious. And some of them would stand there with yeah. their arms like this. And it's cause like like we weren't hardcore enough. I remember one time <laughs> I remember one time we're playing the show and uh and um oh fuck, I just completely lost my train of thought. Uh yeah, we weren't hardcore enough. So like literally we're fucking playing this hardcore show and the crowd is going nuts, right? And our band was super hardcore, right? Yep. But is what I didn't know is there's a subset of hardcore called straight edge at the yeah. time. Oh, so baby. I literally show up on stage wearing a black hoodie that says will work for beer. Whoops. <laughs> Dude. It didn't matter how fucking badass our band was. They didn't, the they, politics were off. Absolutely. So, and that was the hard part for me was that I was just done with it, man. You know, like I, I, I left South Dakota for the exact reason that I needed to get away from these predetermined ideas of who I was as a musician. And then standing on stage and feeling like I had to do certain things or say certain things or be a certain person for that type of music. It just wasn't for me. So for you, Johnny Rick was almost freeing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so when we started this, it was like, I could fucking get away from all of that. And we, we, we started that as kind of a, a Matchbox 20 Counting Crows thing. And it kind of amalgamated into this weird, weird thing. We played a show. Remember the f fire, fire Lounge? Right off of Larpenter. Anyway, there was a venue over um, St. Paul area. And we showed up, and we weren't supposed to headline this show. And then we got bumped into the headlining. It was some other band's CD release show. We got bumped to the headlining slot. Super frustrating. Everybody was pissed. And we just went, you know what? Fuck was it. it too early for you, too? Like, honestly, in your career, like, were Absolutely. you ready to headline? Absolutely, because... Uh, we, you weren't ready? We were not ready to so, headline. Okay, yeah. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of... The, the people that came out for this band's CD release show all just fucking took off. After they got done playing. And nobody knew who we were. And it was just a thing. And so we were like, you know what? Let's just have a little bit of fun. And let's treat this like we were a hardcore band. And we got on stage. We started throwing our guitars around like we were in a hardcore band. And This is in Johnny Rook? This is in Johnny Rook. And this is before we started moving around on stage like we do now. And we just started throwing down. Throwing our guitars around. I'm climbing into the rafters and hanging off of the rafters. And we got done with it thinking that we were just doing this as a joke. And we got done with it and we went, oh, that felt really good. Dude, that's the version of Johnny Rook I fell in love with. Well, that's, that's where I first saw you was in that 2002 to 2004, 2006 range yep. where this band got up with these acoustic, well, one acoustic guitar, an electric bass player, a normal bass player, if yep. you will, um, a regular drummer. We call him an acoustic drummer, meaning yeah. he's playing a, like actual drums, a live drum kit. not yep. electric drums, not a percussion kit with bongos. Like a, we call it an acoustic drum set. And and then James. And I remember like way later on, I'm Tarantinoing this timeline, but later on. Let's coin that, by the way. I, yeah, for real. <laughs> We're going to Tarantino this. Yeah. So later on, James had walked out to a packed crowd at Star Central. I think we opened for you on this show. You guys were headlining. Okay. I think we opened for you. One of my bands, I don't remember which one, because Johnny Rick was always booked with a very diverse lineup. That was kind of Joe's strategy. Joe's both of our old booking agent. 
Um, Joe Spanbauer, love that guy. Gave me my first shot in the industry. I owe him still to this day. Joe ever needs anything. We've We're all kind got of Joe's back. Same, yeah. We We're all, kind of everyone has Joe's back because yep. Joe was insanely generous. So he was smart. He booked like a metal band. He booked like sometimes like some sort of weird hip hop act, then like a normal rock band, and then Johnny Rook, which this whole conversation is really centering right now, at least around the struggle to define the sound of yep. Johnny Rook, which, yep. which that's where I'm really going with this. But sold out crowd. And when I say sold out crowd, this was Star Central. So max capacity, if I remember correct, at Star Central was 888 people per fire marshal's recommendation. Now, I think huge. there was either an illegal overage or uh, un spoken overage but we literally packed 15 people 1500 people into that venue regularly that, regularly that place that was when live music still needed a place and you headlined and i remember the whole band walked out and the fucking stage was black and all of a sudden james walks up and I'm close enough to the stage because I always stood on the side by the side. I always stand on stage. Dude, best, some people, best some, place in the house. Dude, some people are really annoyed still to this day because they think I'm trying to be seen. And I'm trying to explain <laughs> to them, no, this is the this best, is the best sound. This is the best spot in the house. This is the best sound. Yeah. This is the best sound because this is where the sound guy stands when he mixes. Yeah. He needs to and, and I can see both the band and the crowd yep. and i can see the crowd react to the band and i can see the band react to the crowd and, and it's all within my frame of view yep right so there's no turning my head like when you stand in the crowd like in the pit you know you're standing there watching the band and if you really want it like me as a musician you're not just concentrated on the band like you want to take you want everything so it's i everything. have to turn around and look behind me and look at <laughs> thousands of people and go wow yep right if I if I got access, which I usually do at almost all shows, including big shows, yep. I usually know someone. Not always, but usually. Um, no, I stand by the side of the soundboard because it's the best. And Great. dude, I am telling you, man, I watched James walk out, knowing what was already coming. Is that hardcore vibe where you're spinning your guitar, you're acting like it's a fucking brutal metal show. Yep. But you guys are doing this like beautiful, just gorgeous music. And James walks out. All of a sudden, Joe, slow lights, just him. And James grabs the mic and he goes, you all look beautiful tonight. <laughs> and the dude, you guys on a fucking dime, no click, no nothing, started that first song. And I think it's the dun dun, I'm born again. <laughs> yeah. dun, dun. Dude. And Joe, the way Joe was, when Joe knew your band, like... Dude, his sound and his lights, because you would run both. I'm telling you, man, like <laughs> that was the culmination for me. That was its peak. I'm sitting there like left to stage. So so, so uh, uh, James is this way. You were here on this side of the stage. The bass player is way over there and then the drummer, obviously. And I watched this whole fucking set. And I'm still tearing to you knowing this, by the way. I watched this whole fucking. James walks out and just says, you all look beautiful tonight. And then, pop, pop, dude, and then you guys hit in this song somewhere in your set, one of your songs, and it's on record. I just can never remember the name of the song. You're all singing or he's singing or whatever. And then all of a sudden you and that bass player do a harmonized scream. One of you goes high and one of you went low. Yeah. 
<laughs> Man, I'm telling you, the first time I seen your band at the Urban Wildlife. See, now I'm I'm going full Tarantino. Tarantino bringing Tarantino it back, ba- yeah, right, right back to the so beginning. The first time I seen you at Urban Wildlife, you did this. The other three shows I mentioned, I seen you do this, and then the culmination show that I'm talking about, yeah. you still did it. And here's the point: between all of these shows were the same. And the only difference was that Star Central show where James came out and it was, you all look beautiful tonight. He hit that. Dude, I am telling you, <laughs> I've never seen a local band, let alone anyone else, or I should say that I've never seen any band, let alone a local band, have that consistent audacity to perform at that level that I wasn't in. So literally, like one of my things of being in a band is like, I'm kind of like a positional coach in sports. Are you a big sports guy? I wouldn't say big. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed I'll, with them. I'll watch occasionally, but I... The only reason I'm good at music is because I was good at sports. I and see. the drive and the discipline. Uh, that's fair. I just don't have the it's attention the span for it. That's, that's my fine. problem. I'm not criticizing. <laughs> but, but I'm like a positional coach. Okay. right? So I try to push my band members to be a better version of, of themselves. Mm-hmm. So just for a quick juxtaposition for Pat, right? Drummer Pat, you yep. remember him, you played a show with him. Yep. Pat, um, for him, it was just like, dude, you're a drummer, you can't really do much. Make sure your face looks like you're having fun. Yep. Like whether you're pissed off and like you're angry and you're getting out that aggression or you're smiling, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just like all you have is this and maybe some arm movements, do some stick to it. One guitar player. I'm like, hey man, you need to act like you're 12 years old. I get it. There's 12 people in the audience. It's going to be a weird show. Yeah. Here's what you need to do. I know this human being. I'm not going to say his name. He'll know who I'm talking about. I used to be in a band with him. Played guitar. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> his name rhymes. His name rhymes with dick. <laughs> and I told him. I said. I know you're insecure. I understand you're nervous. There's not a lot of people out there. It's going to seem like a weird, awkward, boring show, and you're just going to want to stand there and make sure you don't fuck up. Mm-hmm. If you do that, that's the wrong move. That's the fail. Yep. Here's what you need to do. Close your eyes. Pretend you're 12 years old. You're in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. You're jumping on your couch. Music movie. Exactly. And pretend yeah. there's 10,000 people out there just like you did when you were 12. Yeah. Do that. And you win tonight. It's a lead by example thing. Now, another guy, hold on, another guy, Rain. Now, Rain, I will say your name outright. Rain, I told the exact opposite to. Because Rain wasn't a mover, naturally. That's not him. And there are musicians like that, yeah. And and some of our other band members would give him shit about that. You need to move around more. The rest of us are literally running across the stage like fucking, like Axl Rose. Yeah. You need, dude, it looks weird. Okay, I'm not going to say those guys are wrong, but is what I told Rain is, no. But is what you do need to do is command that three-foot radius you stand in. So when you take a step forward, you don't just take a step forward. You fucking take a step forward. Like, you don't move. Fine. Carrie King didn't move a lot, but Carrie King owned. Carrie King's from Slayer. Carrie King owned that three-by-three radius sitting around him. Absolutely. You got to be who you are. You have to understand that what you're doing, regardless of whether you're playing in front of 12 people or 1,200 people or 12,000 people, somebody paid to be there that night, and it's a privilege for you to be on that stage. And you need to understand, guys like Don Big Daryl died on stage. Yep. Okay? Guys like fucking uh, Chuck Berry died in plane crashes. Patsy Cline 
plane crash, Prince, drug overdose, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. We can go across Tupac, Biggie, shot dead. These people didn't think when they woke up that day that was going to be the last day they lived. Right. Why that's important? Because the last time they went on stage, they certainly didn't think this might be the last time I do this. Right. And right. you need to understand that. And you need not you, Zach, but just you as a musician, the proverbial musician. If you're listening to this and you're a young kid or you're an older guy, 30, 40 years old, and you've been doing it for a long time and you're getting a little jaded and you don't really appreciate the privilege you've been granted, like, dude, fuck off. <laughs> like, dude, every time you hit that fucking snare drum, every single time you strum that guitar could be the last time. Make sure it counts. Yep. And don't just make sure it sounds good. Make sure you enjoy it. Make sure people see that you enjoy it. And I'm only talking to the performing musicians out there. Like this is the difference between being a professional and being an amateur, being a musician and being a rock star. Like musicians and professionals understand everything we're doing is finite. We're like pro wrestlers. We're like NFL players. Sure. Touring is a brutal, brutal drain on your body and at the end of the day you simply cannot sustain this forever Absolutely. so if you're going to do this at a high level when i say high level i mean like successfully and make money then you need to take that shit seriously and appreciate the uniqueness of your situation because i don't give a fuck if you're playing in front of 12 people and it's your third show mm -hmm. or you're headlining at madison square garden not most people don't even get to that point well there's only one Either way one. that you get to that point you got well first of all you gotta obviously try and go for it and like, you gotta start if you're gonna start here uh, and let me let me kind of uh exacerbate on what you're saying like so i ended up playing with another local band here in town and we played rock fest in Cadott, wisconsin and which part, band uh cold kingdom and part of the deal for Cold Kingdom, this was one of the uh, first few shows that I had with Rockfest, just for the listeners that don't know, Rockfest is a, um, we have a local radio station here called 93X. It's owned by Disney. It's a huge station where it's a massive radio station in the Midwest. Like, what is it? The third biggest radio market or some shit? Yeah, it's some crazy shit. Rockfest is this wild, it used to be called X-Fest. Yep. And it's this wild music festival that happens on the border days. of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Spans three days. And it's it's like literally Woodstock. It's all national bands, and you just camp out in a field, and you come to music during. And the it day, used to happen every year. Fucked up, yeah. And it used, used to happen every, every year, night. and it's still happening. Uh, Maybe not minus now, the COVID, COVID uh, obviously. But so one of the first shows that we had, they had signed a contract saying that they would play six different sets of one hour each, starting in the middle of the day and ending at the in the evening. And basically, what happened is that. We had to play a one-hour set. Maybe I then, shouldn't compare it to Woodstock. More, more like a like a Bonnaroo. Yeah, I but, mean it's just but, a just but, a music festival. But heavy. You know, it, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's all active rock is basically what it, what it comes down to. But we were contracted to play one-hour set, and then the main stage would go on. And when the main stage was done and tearing down for the next band, we had to play an hour set, then the main stage. And I knew. I mean, you would think about it: six full sets, one hour. And I told myself, okay, well, maybe you should just tone it down a little bit because of the way that I am on stage. Can't. The second that that note hits through me, it's just fucking go time. 
And it ever happened to you when you're like sick at rehearsal? You're like, oh, guys, I got to take it easy tonight. And then the band starts playing and, and you, you just, just can't it. help it. Yeah, you can't. It's Dude, just, I used to do that shit happens. on drums. So I play drums and guitar. Okay. Like, and, and I got a little space right here behind us. Okay. So next time you come over, next time we do this, we're going to j- do a little jamming. Not on the podcast, but All like right. we'll do a little jamming Fair beforehand. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think it's inevitable. Because I know so many musicians, I have it all right here. It's just going to happen. And it's like, dude, (laughs) like if I had it all clean and I had that spot clean, this is going to be a little green room area so we can chill and there's like a TV there and shit. Yep. And then that's like the jam area and shit. And it's just going to be inevitable where people are going to be like, dude, why didn't we jam? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, well, anyways, like, but but to your point, I started that first set and and I told myself, like, just fucking you know play it play it cool so that you can make it through all six sets it's not happening. because if i do if you're a real performer that's not it, an option and it didn't and by the end of the sixth set i was throwing up from dehydration Good. and you know and like Good. my muscles are cramped and i can't even fucking carry a piece of gear See, but this it's is just, this is it, why i compare it to sports because comedians don't go through this. Actors don't go through this. Yeah. This is something that only musicians and athletes go through. Where we put so much into it, we're literally vomiting. Our fucking muscles are cramping up. I played at Star Central, and it might have been the show I've been talking about all night. Yeah. You might have been the headliner for this show. Might have been, yeah. My band went on. Dude, we threw down so hard. This is how crazy it was. We didn't have any real fans. Maybe we drew 50 people. Right, I don't, and Joe I don't know always if we had us have fu- any real fans currently. <laughs> Joe had us fucking open every night because we were the only opening band that would act like we were the headlining band. Yep, and we would legitimately do our job, which is to warm up the fucking crowd. Right, like right. if you can get fifty people here early, cool. We need people in the building. Yep, that's your job as an opening band. Number one, number two is to entertain the people who show up while you're there. Yep, don't. Don't be an asshole band that's fucking boring to watch. So when people come walking through that door to see the 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or headlining band, they go, ugh, man, can't wait till Johnny Rook goes on. And then they go outside and smoke the whole time. Right. Like, no, get them in the building, keep them in the building, entertain them while they're here. Those are your two jobs. Get them drinking. Yep. So we do that. My fucking cramps. Like I, I, dude, I was sick and I thought I was over it, which I was technically. However, because I was sick leading up to this show i was super dehydrated mm. so i literally start playing the show and back then i jumped a lot like okay. jumped up in the air a yep. lot almost like crisscross remember that <laughs> you remember that jump one? jump dude my fucking i jumped up in the air and both my calves cramped up so bad i landed on my toes like a ballerina Oof. and fell Oof. so i literally tried to stand up finish my verse and i did you know and this is a metal band so i'm like Whoa. And then I crawl to the side of the stage and Johnny Ramirez, the drummer for A-Pod, grabs my, he's seen it all, grabs my, oh no, first I threw up. First I I walked to the side of the stage and I vomited because I was pushing myself so hard. Yeah. That's what I think gave me the final dehydration because then later in the set, my fucking cramps and my calves happened and I crawled to the side of the stage. Johnny grabbed my calves and started massaging my calves. He knew exactly what was up. Exactly what, dude, and he was on it. Like there was no asking. He he saw it and he grabbed me and fucking pulled my leg and started massaging each fucking calf muscle. And then <laughs> and then I was like I was like three more bars, three more bars. And so he's count. I he, I see him counting in his head one, and he's waiting. Two. All right, here's third bar, 
and then go (laughs) and i literally (laughs) jumped up and ran back out and finished the fucking song and we barely made it through that set but that's why i say it's for me it's like being a musician because or being an athlete because i don't think people understand how physically grueling being a performing musician is. yeah it looks like a party it looks fun but like dude even if you're just playing guitar and standing there some of these guitars are 20 pounds and all of that weight you pointed that one those well, last balls are fucking heavy that's a they're shitty fucking, epiphone but, uh, but, but they're that's why heavy. i pointed at that guitar yeah. because dude you play like a true les paul man these guys night after night especially if you're in a like a, a big band you're playing three hour sets right that's just hanging right here all that weight is on one little muscle man you'll wake up the next morning and you can't turn your head how are you going to headbang how are you going to act like you give a fuck so let's bring it back home because we're talking about that that first show where you guys went wilding out almost. Not to yeah. quote Nick Cannon, fuck that guy. He's a racist piece of shit. But um, for real, though, like you guys almost did it as a joke and realized you had something because you went nuts in an empty room. And I'm willing yeah. to bet 100% you also got a massive reception, probably for the first time. Well, not that show. However, after that show... And having that conversation about like, oh, that really felt good, you know, like this is, this is what I've been missing on stage, because the way that we perform, from that point on, has always been like, let's just fucking let's do this for us, and we're gonna put on a show because the music, it, it, it's it's a pulse, and it pulses and it courses through your veins, and it's just like, when I strum that first chord, and it just makes me want to go nuts. And I write music, like, when I write a chorus, I want to write a chorus to where it's just, like, throwdown time. And this chorus just makes you want to do this. Everything else can be as fucked up as you want it to be, but this chorus just makes you go, yeah, this is, yeah. The, this is the jam, you know? Yep. Um, and so we started playing everything like that. And, the, and I kind of started writing a little bit more because I was trying to write a little bit more acoustic jams at that point. And... You know, things weren't really, like, off the spectrum for time signatures and stuff like that. But then I started writing to be like, well, I just want to get down with this. But at that point... So were you trying to write a style? I wasn't. At that point, I, I just, I couldn't, I was not comfortable playing electric guitar. So you weren't trying to create something you, different? Like, you weren't in the headspace of, like, I want to do something different. No. You and- weren't in the headspace of, like... Oh, I want to like express my own individuality as <laughs> nope. a musician. And I, I, okay. I, I wish there was a, I wish there was cause I did easy. go through that before I got to what you're sure. doing. And I wish there was that easy of, uh, of an explanation of it because you know, like to your, again, to your point, the hard part is that when somebody says, what does your band sound like? I fucking hate that question. I think yeah, that's where this whole thing's. If anybody thinks we're getting lost, we're not. We're I, beating around the bush for a reason. I think I, I think every musician hates that because, well, most musicians that just, the hard part is that when somebody says, well, what do you sound like? That's the worst question you could ever ask a musician. Well, and especially like, I, I don't, I'm not an egotistical person. And so when somebody asks me, well, what do you sound like? And I can, I go, I don't know. I don't really know what to tell you. I can tell you what my influences are. I can tell you what every other band member in the band's in, uh, influences are. That's how you know you're in a good band, by the way. Well, and like, I appreciate that. That's how I that. think. That's how I think you know that you're doing something special. Like straight up, like especially when you can ask that question to a listener and go, "Who do we sound like?" And they go. Right. Well, you kind of sound like these guys, but you also kind of do this thing, and then maybe you—that means you're doing your own thing. 
And that's that. And that to me is cool. And I like that's that. Where However, you be. when when your common listener asks you, what do you sound like? Or who, if I wanted to listen to your band, like uh, these are the people that I'm into. Do you think that you sound like that? And you go, I can't. We don't sound like any of that. I don't really know what to tell you. We sound. I come across as an egotistical piece of shit because well, some guys most do, people though. want you to tell them, oh, well, we sound like this. I'm Were sorry. Were you able to I do don't. that in your earlier bands? Yeah. I mean, like that band that James and I started yeah. in together it was, you know, it was it was an easy system of a down ripoff. And that's that's what I'm getting at. It's yep. like when you actually start doing something original, if it's truly original, which Johnny Rook 100 percent is like it's very hard to say a band. It's so tough, dude. And and like so when I had to put all of this stuff up online, right? I have to go through an online distributor and find a way to put it. They make you classify what your band is. You know what I would have picked if I was your manager? I'd love to hear it. Rock. So, I agree. However, here's the here's the thing when it come we we talked about um, the business aspect of being a musician and being in a band and stuff like that. A lot of the bands, so when we were playing shows and shit like that, the hardest part about, and this is why Joe did a lot of what he did, because we worked together adamantly about what, what the bill was going to be, because I fucking hate going to a show. I can't believe I ever got let on any of your bills and you don't remember it. <laughs> Dude, I told you, I drank a lot. <laughs> I think we got, I think we played two or three total shows together, and I think it was once for each band I was in before my rock band, The Tyrants. Okay. So I think it was once for seven months, once for Solace, once for Dying Euphoria. Well, dude, and at that point, we were, whatever show came around, we just accepted. So we played fucking shit tons of shows. Exactly. So, you know, the thing was, like, it was hard to, we would play shows with metal bands. We would play shows with hardcore bands. We'd play shows with hip hop bands because we just didn't know who you were who, or where well, you where we were. That's but the same we problem Metallica with had. Everybody. That's the same problem Metallica vocally had. Is they, they literally sat back in the middle of the 80s and they went, wait a minute, where the fuck do we fit? Like, we don't fit with Motley Crue. We don't fit with these bands. We don't fit with that band. And they realized they were on their own. They were doing their own thing. Right. That's when you know you're in a band you need to stay in. Well, and that's well, and that's actually a really funny thing since I'm still playing in that band, you know, whatever, off and on. But, you know, it's, it's so when I, when I went to go do this shit online and put it on an online distributor, the thing is, is like, we talked about those genres and what we classify as emo. And there's a lot of what they, what, People talk about the emo resurgence, and that's bands like. Oh, so you picked it when you uploaded it. I did. It. You well, chose to be emo. You a, fuck. I literally said earlier, I was like, you, dude, your record guy picked it. He it said a, you were. I'm the record guy. And you didn't even say anything. You I'm set the record me up, guy. So you <laughs> set me up. Here we are 40 minutes later. This is Tarantino. This is classic <laughs> Tarantino. I fucking owned you. I owned you on this. <laughs> oh, my God, bro. So here's the thing. Oh but now God. you think about it. So I there's bands it. that are. I love are it. in this oh what God. are called the emo resurgence bands like um and i'm i'll just drop names into it over it movements citizen if you listen to any of those bands those are the bands that like technically when you listen to our shit and then you move on to these bands it's just it, it makes sense where these bands fit in together if we were ever to do a tour with any of these bands the music fits so well together and so <clears throat> classification for them on all of these streaming websites is emo so although i don't classify our band as emo it just makes sense when somebody is looking for something in that category 
when you look at these new bands, and I listen to these bands too, all of those bands I, I just uh, drop the names up, I do listen to those bands. And so when I go, well, I want to be kind of where you guys are at because I think that stylistically we all mesh up really well. Interesting. So from a business aspect, when somebody is going to go look into those bands and they're going to find those bands and they're going to go, well, I, well, what genre are you? And then they see that they're emo. It only makes sense to because if I put rock or active rock, the last thing I want to be associated so, with is so fucking active rock Greta, is like a thing. Greta Van Fleet. So active rock is a it's thing. a thing. It's a thing now. Okay, and I think I understand what active rock is. It's like upbeat. It's like active, loud. It's it's dynamic. You would it's, like you would like it to be that, but active rock is bands like Shine Down. Yeah. Or, uh, yep. Um, kind of that that feel good, you know, radio rock. I guess I, mean, I would classify it as radio rock. It's loud, but by technicality, it's called active rock. Right, and and that's Stupid what I'm saying. Like fuck. like again, like this is so weird because this is we're inviting you guys into a world <laughs> where everything is ever changing, everything is completely liquid, like and nothing is set in stone. Meaning, he could have borderline religious beliefs about these genre definitions, and I could have the same level of passion, and we could completely disagree as to what these genres are. Absolutely. But but a lot of being a musician, especially in collaboration, is just simply understanding what the other person means when they say, hey, try this. this like, write, this a, write a riff exactly. that's more soaring. Like, no, 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 I'm not feeling that idea. <laughs> exactly. Like, write something that's more soaring. If I know what Zach means when he says do something more soaring, it shortens the amount of time from 80 days to eight seconds, possibly, to write the correct riff. To work and sometimes together. we can do it on the spot. Right. And sometimes, like, when you develop the next level of chemistry, there is no communication. I already know where Zach wants to go with this because I know how he thinks. I know how he writes. And that's where you start feeling or you start finding people. Sorry, not feeling. Uh, you start finding people rather um, that say, I'll never work with another musician or I'll never work with another producer. Or, I'll never work with somebody else because the level it's of connection. ease. It's a connection. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and is the, why that's important is because there's less work needed to achieve the goal right it's really that and that ultimately you know 40 minutes later to get to what we were talking about that ultimately is the toughest thing about being in this band is to try to find that spot where you can generalize because there's with 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 a with a use of social media and the use of everybody's got an opinion and everybody's fucking keyboard cowboy Sitting behind a, a monitor going, well, this is an emo. You know, I, I mean, I could bitch about it all day long, but the fact of the matter is, is for a musician, it's just fun. Like, you know, we could we could just right. bitch about it all day long, but at the end of the day, cool, you don't like Kurt Cobain, but we can find a common respect and go, well, yeah, okay, I get why you like him. I, I just don't like him. And we go, all right, high five. We can yeah. walk away from it. Yeah, it's and a, honestly, like that one specific weird example is I've, I realized, not even knowing it, that... I don't like heroin inspired music. So I literally like list a bunch of songs, a bunch of artists and I'm take them or leave them. Right. Yep, yep. And you sift them through. And most of the ones that I'm not a huge fan of, like they got a song or two where I'm like, that shit's dope, but yeah. like, eh, I'm not really feeling it. The majority of this category, 
they were on heroin when they wrote that music. Okay, that's what you mean. Okay, I get it. Like heroin inspired yep. music. Yep. Like 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 literally Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, a Lane lot of Jimi Hendrix, yeah. Lane Staley, Alice in Chains is exactly one of the bands I was thinking of. Uh, even Ray Charles. Like, but there's there's like iterations of them mm-hmm. where I did love it. Yeah. Right. So like songs and album, whatever, and then like there's an entire there's an entire like. Oh my God! Like if Heron Music's library is this big, Acid Music is oh, this big, <laughs> right? But it's the same thing. Like I still only like this much of it, right? Because Acid was so wildly inspiring to people. They did a bunch of weird shit. Like, dude, that I'm sorry, man. That fucking Beach Boys album, the fucking what was it called? Animals or whatever, or Animal Sounds or some shit like that. <laughs> like he literally had dogs barking in the background. Right. Dude, I listened to that album. And I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And then someone's like, well, dude, he wrote it on acid. And I was like, all right, I'll take a bunch of acid and listen to it and see if I get. No. It was still the shittiest <laughs> thing I've ever fucking heard. Like, and John Lennon referred to him as the greatest songwriter in the world. Yeah, well, get, hey, get your fucking on, head wrapped around John that Lennon. one, dude. I'll, like, I'll go on. I'll, I'll go into the <laughs> open and say, yeah, that's coming from John Lennon. But so that. So what do you do? What do you do when you're a band that we weren't trying to here's, do something completely different. We just kind of stumbled into it. Here's what, what I do? advise every young musician. Well, and granted, we, we could talk the young music. I don't, I don't have a name. Okay. But I have a lot of musicians that are younger than me that I mentor. Okay. And a lot of them include actually, to be honest, like I mentor a bunch of our peers as well. Like, yeah. There's a bunch of people in our industry, in our local scene that I have, given a lot of advice to and they were like dude you're 100 percent correct mm-hmm. fucking wow like holy shit wow yeah like i can't believe you knew that you like were, you're almost a fortune teller because dude <laughs> it's it's a business right the yeah, business absolutely. is predictable because the business is built on a model right like right. these are these, it's not it's fucking, fucking music type. theory and of most business. of the advice i'm giving people is shit i was taught it's not like I'm pretending to be this creative genius who understands and I have a higher IQ than everybody. I don't, dude. Right. Sure. Like, I have a higher IQ than most people, but that really doesn't mean shit because most people are fucking idiots. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Being, being above average doesn't mean shit. Right. Like, it's not a qualification, dude. It's not, it's not dude. doing you any good. Right. But I learn and I listen. As much as I talk, I listen mm-hmm. and I learn and I understand these concepts and I see how these concepts transcend different scenarios sure whether it be the genre of music you're playing so honestly a lot of the lessons i teach to hip-hop dudes are the same things i'm teaching to the rock dudes the difference is is the rock dudes trust me the hip-hop dudes don't know who i fucking am right they're like who's this fucking jewish dude trying to fucking tell tell us all about it bud yeah and i'm like dude this is how the business works like this is going to happen. This is going to th- happen. This is going to happen. Say no, no, no. Yep. Like wait until X. Yep. I don't have enough rep. Uh, uh, I don't have enough uh, rapport and I don't have enough equity with the hip hop kids as I do some of these young rock musicians. But here's what I tell them. What do you do? You ask me, what do you do? Here's what I tell them. I go, all right, number one, create music that you want to listen to. Mm-hmm. That's number one. number one. That is number one. I agree with that 100%. I've said that too. If you don't want to listen to it and you're making it because you think this is what other people want to listen to, you've already failed. Stop now. Yep. Quit. Like literally quit. Yeah. Hit the reset button. Yep. Number one, 
And the reason I say this is because George Lucas, Metallica, every prolific artist of any art. So again, this concept transcends genres. Genres doesn't just mean music genres. I'm talking artistic genres. Painter, a filmmaker, a fucking musician. Doesn't matter. Writer, whatever you got. The most prolific people we've ever heard do anything in this entire society said, well, George Lucas, why did you create Star Wars? Well, I wanted to create a movie that I wanted to watch and nobody else had made the movie, so I said, fuck it, I'll make it. Yep. Metallica, multiple times on record. Well, we created music we wanted to listen to and we got lucky enough that we found enough fans that also appreciated it as much as we did. Yep. If you do that first and foremost, that's, you're at least on solid footing. You at least have a good foundation for your, yep. Number two, don't give up. That's really honestly. So number one, do what you want to do, what you want to listen to. And number two, don't give up Mm -hmm. because I swear to God, dude, the only thing separating the bands that are up here and making it versus the bands that didn't, somebody quit. Somebody important quit. Well, and I think there's a big reason for that because you well, know, other than money, because uh, <laughs> it's yeah, usually money. Yeah, that is usually a big reason. However, Johnny Rook has called it quits a couple of different times, and I won't lie. You know, like, and the reason being, I forbid you to ever do this again. Well, I don't think it'll happen at this point because I think we're all finally at the point where it's like fuck the industry, and let's just have a good time and let's write songs that, like you said we like. And let's put them out because we have, we have a platform now that we didn't have back you're, in you're fucking. You're talking about two, the internet. Yeah, back in 2001, we had MP3.com. I, we did have the internet, but it was not today's not, not internet. like this. this not is, like this. Yeah, this we is, had fucking Napster and LimeWire for Christ's sake, dude. You know. So the thing about like it, my though, little is brother, that, my little brother is 19. Yeah, he'll have no fucking idea what we're talking about no, right now. We're, we're, like, but he, that's a tough thing. They don't he, understand, like, dude, to go find music online. You had to steal it. Well, that's just it. You're right. And so I've got four kids. Right? There wasn't legal streaming. Absolutely. I've got four kids, my oldest being seven years old. And they have YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Grab one here. In a sec. Um, <clears throat> they have YouTube. And it fucking baffles. It blows my mind, dude. Because they watch these YouTube videos that are just like, it's the... It's the most mind-boggling shit because they talk about nothing. Or these people are getting famous off of just like, okay, well, play me some viral videos. Let me talk about it. Oh, damn. Did you just see that? And that's what these fucking videos are. But they also listen to this music that they find on YouTube. And I go, I, I can't allow this. I love you guys, and I'm a musician. Let me, let's talk about music. But with the platform that we have today, it's so much more difficult for people to break out and to do things. So we, we got to a point as a band with Johnny Rook that we were busting our ass. We're taking every fucking show opportunity that came around. We're playing shows. We're playing with national bands. We're doing everything that we think we're doing right. But we were just going nowhere. We were doing nothing. You know, we're going farther into debt. We're recording CDs and <clears throat> spending a shit ton of money on them. And then having a CD release show and doing something different to where yeah, we're offering we had, them. Back then, you guys, we didn't just get to put our shit online. Like right now, right now, I pressed. could literally, sitting here at this table, I have the equipment to my left, which you can't see on camera 
quite intentionally. But I have this shitty fucking guitar here. But it doesn't matter how shitty it is. It's a fucking, what, $350 Epiphone or some shit? Or at least it was now. It's probably 600 bucks Because that's like 10-year-old guitar. <laughs> right. fucking, dude, the guitar costs have gone up right. astronomically. But point being is, like, it's not an impressive guitar. Yes, I will tour with that guitar. I will play on stage with that guitar. But this isn't a fucking beautiful oh my god two thousand dollars three thousand five thousand no none of that everything i have here is mediocre like like none of it's subpar none of like my interface here my computer none of this is amateur hour right it's all pro gear right but it's also completely mediocre the point i'm trying to make with what zach said is i could literally record an entire song right here right now with zach and go on this fucking podcast click. and we could upload it to itunes and you guys could no. hear it within 15 minutes what he's talking about you guys we were still coming up in the era where we had to literally find somebody who had a ten thousand dollar fucking studio and if you were lucky or more and if you were lucky i say ten thousand dollars because that was the number when i was a child you're right, right it was right. probably a hundred thousand dollars by the time we were actually doing music when i was a kid it was called a ten thousand dollar studio fucking reel to reel and taz cam yeah, fucking man. analog like tapes huge all over rooms, the place yeah. fucking 30 foot ceilings yep. with foam everywhere like yep. you had to find these people and if you were lucky they liked your band and they would do it for a hundred bucks a song most of the time, it was 100 bucks an hour. An hour. And it would take you a minimum of, what, 10 hours and, and, to record a song? And Well, let's think about that right now. That, uh, so when we were recording shit back in 99, 2001, $100 an hour right now is a lot of fucking money. But Imagine back that back in 99 oh when you're God. a fucking 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid that just wants to get your shit recorded. And you're making, and you're making 8 to 10 bucks an hour at if you're best. Lucky, if you're lucky. At best. But now, That's if you had a good job. But now you get a fucking MacBook and Pro Tools and you, like for me... It's a whole different style of writing music because well, I can go into my studio in my basement and I can program drums. I ne was never able right. to do that. I needed the fucking band. But now all, I can go, here's let's a song. Let's talk about the timeline, bro. Yeah. So, okay, we, we got to find this studio. Yep. If we're lucky, we can get some sort of affordable cost. But let's just hypothetically stick with it's 100 bucks an hour. On average, I think it took about 10 hours to record a three-minute song. Yeah. So... You record a 10-track album. Do the math with me, guys. 10 grand. Yeah. You got a 10-track album. Then, once you've recorded that album, you need to find somebody, which you still technically need to do, but now we have the technology to do it ourselves. You should still never do it. Young musicians, never master your own mix and never mix your own recording. Don't do Don't it. Don't fucking do it, okay? You need different ears, okay? Because you're too close to the music. So when you record your music, send it to somebody else to mix it. Don't let that guy master it. Send it to somebody else to master it. That still remains true. That's a religion. And if that guy is professional and knows what he's doing with the mix, he will tell you the exact same thing. Correct. I am not going to master this. I've got a guy I right. send my shit to. Correct. 100%. And anybody who disagrees with this, I'm not going to tell them they're an idiot. I'm not going to tell them they're an amateur. Can I? Yes. You're an idiot and you're an amateur. <laughs> All right. There we go. There we go. But no, that's it's 100% true. Like, like you need a different set of ears on it because at the end of the day, you're too close to the music. The guy who mixed it is too close to the music. You need somebody else to do that. But 
where I'm going with this still is you still had to find these people. The internet wasn't really what it is today. So it wasn't just Great. a hop, skip, and a jump. Oh, I can email up. this guy. Dude, it was so fucking difficult to find these guys. And then you'd have to figure out a way to send them your music. Usually, email couldn't handle it. So we had to print physical master CDs and mail them to somebody across the fucking country where they would. So we're talking about the timeline. So my point was, Zach and I could record a literal song tonight in the right time now. it took for us to do this podcast, mix it, shittily master it, and put it on the internet for you guys to listen to. That process would have taken us 90 days. Well, and on top of that, so we can do all getting of what you CDs just said. Printed, getting could, them out there. Well, then figuring out a way to get it to somebody who can hear it. You're at the earliest, at the fastest you can do it. But here's days. the difference too with, with what you're saying is that, yeah, we could do all of that. We could bounce all this shit down. We could put it online, right? But we also have the capability of going, well, let's just funnel a little bit of money into this and boost this now. And like, right. let's advertise Oh my this. God, I didn't even think about and it that way. And let's get you're crazy right. about this. And like, our song could be the biggest piece of shit ever. Somehow, some way, it goes viral, right? Right. Some, some stupid thing, and all of a sudden, we're fucking monetizing it off of YouTube. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter what we did, how good it was. The day and age that we live in now, people don't care. Their attention spans are shit. But as long as it fucking passes by them like this, oh well, Jesus, that's got two hundred fifty thousand views. Dude, you're so. F- I must watch it. You were so fucking right, dude. I literally know multiple people. I didn't even think about this as we were talking about this. I didn't even realize. But you're, I know, I know multiple bands yeah. that literally spent $20 and they did one of those, like, they didn't even have their guitars played in, yeah. plugged in. Yep. They just played their track and, and air guitared. Well, not air guitared, but they played real guitar, just not plugged in over it as a, a what, what do they call it? A playthrough, a uh, play along, whatever. Oh, yep, yep. It's like, it's whatever. I think it's actually pretty cool because it shows you how to play the proper riff. Yep. But, but. They spent $20 and they got like 24,000 views. Right. Here's where we're going with this, you guys. Do you have any fucking clue, anybody who's listening, how hard it would have been and how much money it would have cost <laughs> in, in us to get 24,000 people to Dude, hear our song once? We would have been fucking shitting our pants back in the day. And now it would have like, cost 20 grand. Uh, 24,000 views. That's all I got. Well, dude, and honestly, <sighs> dude, no, here's where I'm thinking. If we would have got our song on the radio and 24,000 people heard it, <laughs> right. and we could verify that, we'd go, holy shit, we're we'd fucking be sitting rock in a different stars. spot right now. We're today. rock stars. Yeah, absolutely. But guess what? That would have cost you 20 grand. Absolutely. And that, that ain't happening for 20 and bucks. And that could like be a whole now. different fucking podcast because the music industry um, is a whole different bitch, man. Like yeah. I, I, you know, and, and I've kind of seen a little bit of the underbelly when it, when it's come to the record labels and stuff like that. Worked with some record, uh, you know, Atlantic personnel, some Interscope personnel, and shit like that. And it's a whole fucking different world. It is as much bullshit as you have ever heard in your life. But nowadays, it's just like you don't need any of that. And but at the same time, you just you want people that kind of listen to that same aspect in music to appreciate it, right? So when you put stuff up on, like the the distributor that I use online is DistroKid. So when you put shit up on there like that, like the hard part is, is like if I put rock on my, on, on, and, and classify my band as rock, that's fine because I love rock music. However, now I'm all of a sudden lumped in with when Spotify wants to make a playlist and you're, 
your band is under the genre rock. That's exactly why I would do it, though. Exactly. Like, well, like, like my mindset, the way I build my business is I go, no, we want to be as broad as possible. I, because uh, that's exactly, and I'm glad I, you said that because earlier you said like, I want to be affiliated with these guys and what they do. Well, there's a reason. My mindset is no, you want to be involved with the widest consumer And mindset. I agree. I agree. But here's what I, here, here's. That's why I would have called you rock music because I would have found you if I was just a random asshole Spotify listener, I'd have found you. <laughs> Yes Faster and no, but here's the thing. On rock, I would have never found you on emo. And and I'm I'm gonna because I dislike the genre of emo on Spotify. And that's uh, and that's okay. And this is where this is where we will come into the disagreement on that. And and here's what I'll say. It doesn't. Well, it, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on. Hang I don't on. Let me finish my. Uh, I want to finish though. my point before I'm not I get to disagreeing that. with you. I'm just simply saying, as a management perspective, yep, from like, a business point, how do you get as many listeners? Agreed. When this is what this was the point that I was going to make on that. Though. Okay. It. I don't. I don't care how down to earth of a musician that you are. There is always going to be a facet of your ego. Right, and and it's always going to happen because, like, I've talked about this with other musician friends too. Like, I don't consider myself egotistical, and I, if you talk to me, we'll find a common point. It doesn't matter where it is. However, when I'm on stage, do I like it when people are looking at me? Do I go? Do I like it when I get off stage and people are like, "You're fucking crazy"? I loved your stage presence. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a fucking musician. There's a certain part of that. It doesn't matter. How nice of a person you are. How down well, to earth you are. Do you know what ego means? Because e- ego simply means sense of self. Okay, but what I'm saying, like when when you look at the overall, what people defin- uh, define as use egotistical. Ego? Sure, yeah, okay. egotistical. Like you're just a How fucking, use you're it. a cocky son of a bitch. That's what most people classify as egotistical, right? True. Every yes. musician is going to have a certain aspect of that. It doesn't matter. Like I, I will be as down to earth and thank you repeatedly but do i love that recognition absolutely i'm i'm human that's that's human for you to love that praise and to love that you know like that's it's just natural. it's kind of hard not to it, it's, 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 it's a little intoxicating dude. It, it's a human thing right so the thing is though is that along with that ego along with that uh, like as a musician and as an artist there's a, a certain like it's hard for me to get do I want to make this a business and do I want this to streamline to as many people as I possibly can? Absolutely. I'm not an idiot and I'd love to make money doing this and make a living or just be uh, financially stable off of what I'm doing, right? That's what we're all really looking Absolutely. for is we just How- want to feed our families. However, there is always that fallback of feeling like you sold out a little bit. And sure. that's that's where I kind of, that I'll tie that into what I'm talking about with as a musician, there there comes to that part of the ego. And with me, I love a certain genre and a certain a certain um. There's this bubble over the top of the music that I listen to. It's you can consider it underground. It's not really all of that. You know, it's not a lot of people listen to it, and that's cool. And I love it for that very reason because I go, I connect to this better. Whereas, and, and I go, well, if I connect to this, this is what influences me. I want this to influence that same group of people, right? right? And I want that same group of people to look at what I'm doing and go, ah, yeah, I get it. But if I put a tag on it of, well, I just want as many people to listen to this as possible. You feel like you're selling out a little bit. A little bit because then, and I don't really, I, I, I don't want, this is going to sound really asinine and stupid, but it's hard for me 
to conceptualize that if I put the rock definition or the genre on my music, that the common active rock listener is going to understand it. But you do you are making rock music. Oh, absolutely. However, if if you were to if you were to put my band up against a band like Shine Down and not 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 knocking Shine Down by no, any means. No, no. Right. You know, I'm actually really good friends with the dudes in Shine Down. I right. like those dudes a lot. I don't like their music. <laughs> you know, right. it's it's just it and is you probably it told them that. And I have face right. to face. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but the thing is is that if you were to go, okay, listen to Shine Down, that person was like Fuck, I love Shine Down, and then you went listen to Johnny Rook. They'd probably go, "Okay, Fuck, I love Shine Down." Okay, okay, <laughs> Tarantino know, like- moment. Tarantino moment. This is why this is important. What we're both saying right now. Mm-hmm. Bring it. Let's bring it full fucking circle. Yep. Because here's the deal. Like, at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do is figure out how to find more music we like. Yeah. Right. That's perfect. That's and, perfect. And that's why these subgenres exist. Yep. That's why when you're metalcore, you search for other metalcore bands because you're into metalcore and you're like, I want to find more bands that sound like All That Remains or Kill Switch Engage. Yep. Because I love this sound and I want to find more guys that sound like that this. are emulating it or doing something right. or maybe because, a little bit different. And the reason for that is, is because that band does not have enough content to satiate you. Perfect. That's exactly what that, it is. Dude. So that's exactly it. All right. So these bands that I listen to that are in this specific bubble of genre, I want more of what I'm listening to. Right. And so if if I'm that way and I'm listening to this, there's got to be other people that want more of this. Exactly. And I want to be affiliated with, with this. Do I want to be affiliated as just a musician? Yeah, absolutely. But it'll never happen because we always have these fucking bubbles that you'll, you're going to be placed into. And the hard part with Johnny Rook and not knowing exactly where that band fits... I could have put fucking metal on there. Why? Because I listen to metal, but sure. that'll that'll get me nowhere. A fucking metalhead is going to come to it, and when they're so focused on just metal, and then all of a sudden Johnny Rook pops up, they're like, "What's this pussy shit?" That's why it was so interesting. Because for me, that's exactly why I wanted to find your band. I didn't search for it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, live. I think only because we were playing a show together. If I remember correctly, the only reason I saw your band in the first place is because we booked a show with you. I told my girlfriend who was on the bill. Yep. And she goes, they're playing tomorrow night at the Urban Wildlife. We should go. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then I saw your fucking band. And it was cool until that one part that I'm talking about where, that, where you and the bass player screamed, as the singer sang the part and I literally looked at my girlfriend and I went, what the fuck was that? (laughs) And she was like, that's Johnny Rook. And I was like, when are they playing again? And she went, they're playing two weeks from now. I think it was St. Cloud. Yep. Obviously I'm not going to fucking St. Cloud. To shithole town. Nobody Sorry, no offense. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not fucking Trump. Nobody wants to. But go to everyone Saint knows fucking St. Cloud's a shithole. It's a shithole. I'm if sorry. If you're offended, if you're fucking, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. If you're fucking offended that I called St. Cloud a shithole, then you're a goddamn climate change denier. You think the world is fucking flat because you're in denial. Like these are things that are reality. Fucking the world's round. The climate's changing, and St. Cloud's a fucking shithole. 
All right, we can move on with the podcast. I'm gonna double up on that. I agree, <laughs> dude. For real though, like, like I was like, I'm not gonna say. But then we see me again, like at the Rock or something, and then and then Star Central, and slowly, like the fact that it wasn't metal became irrelevant to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and here's here again. Let's Tarantino and bring it back full circle because when I looked at your band. And I was like, okay, MySpace was kind of a thing now. Mm-hmm. Facebook was just becoming a thing. And we were all a part of that. And I was like, oh, these guys are emo. Okay, let me check out emo then. I hated it. <laughs> and I was like, and then why I do get these guys that. call themselves emo? I get that. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then, and then, so again, I'm not criticizing emo. I'm not even criticizing you for labeling yourselves as emo. I'm just simply saying, like, if I were your business manager, the only reason I would have said rock music is because for me, if I would have just liked rock music on Spotify, there's a higher chance of probability you're going to come through my playlist. Sure. For example, Gojira. Yep. I would have never found the band Gojira. Like, never once. Ever, 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 ever. However, <laughs> there was some crazy satellite radio where I was at my girlfriend's house, not Amanda, it was a different girlfriend. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this metal music on this TV because I'm fucking bored at my girlfriend's house. And I just keep liking and disliking songs. And for the first time, a band I had never heard of yeah. pops up. And it's this band called Gojira. Which they're fucking amazing. And I'm like, dude, these guys are fucking rad. Yeah. But it was all because I was in this fucking algorithm. And that's what sucks, man, is like we created these genres so we could satiate our craving. (laughs) There is that. For a type of content. So and it's it's completely backfired on us because now we argue over what a genre is. We argue whether that band's act, dude, because Coheed and Cambria is still to this day labeled as emo. They're not emo at all. I don't even understand. Okay. I'll tell you why they're labeled emo. It's literally the register of the singer's voice and the record label that they were on. They were on equal vision records, which I didn't even know that, that, that is. So that happens when bands are on a certain record label. Hands down. Other than Metallica. Coheed is hands down my favorite band outside of Metallica. They're number one because they, they inspired me to start the whole deal. Yeah. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for James Hetfield. We wouldn't be having this podcast if it wasn't for James Hetfield. Fair enough. Coheed and Cambria is the best band in the world currently putting out <laughs> regular relevant music. In my opinion. See, that's, that's funny. I lost track after, uh, after Good Apollo 4. Oh, dude. I just didn't care for anything after dude, that. Like, the Black Rainbow, yeah, eh. But... When they hit that next album, the Afterman. See, and I keep being told that from the bassist from Cold King. I was like, "Dude, keep listening." And I was like, "I can't. I just I've lost track, man." Dude, Afterman. So let me ask you a question, though. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, because this this kind of correlates Absolutely. with what with what we're talking about right now. I think, and uh, and if you're cool um, after this part of the conversation, um, I might yeah. need to take a little potty break. If that's yeah, cool. for sure. So here's my question: We're talking about uh, you've seen Johnny Rook live, okay? yes. You've listened to the records. Vastly different, in, me, in my no. opinion. To me, no. Really? Okay. See, because the, my but big, ask your but actually ask your question. My biggest Sorry. problem. Well, no, no, no. That actually is 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 part of the question because my biggest issue is that we've never really fully found somebody that can take our live show and kind of make that into a record. That's my third piece of advice, by the way, for young musicians. Is, is find is a producer get, that understands. Well, get your sound. 
and then try to capture that on record. And for us, it's not always the other been way difficult. around. For us, it's always been difficult because every producer wants to look at us, and especially during the time frame that we were playing acoustic guitar solely, they thought it was an acoustic band. But the way that we played live said otherwise. We were, you know, right. we were just as punk rock as the next guy. We were playing with fucking metal bands and throwing down harder than metal bands Way on harder. stage. Way, dude, you guys would blow metal bands off the fucking stage. But we'd love to do that because we'd show up and uh, th- there was one time that we played with a local band here in town, Reaping Osmodea. Oh, very good friends of mine. Yep. Alex is, dude, Alex is literally one of my best friends. And I actually asked him to be in my wedding party. <laughs> he just couldn't get to Jamaica. Well, Dan Copy, Alex, um, you know, those dudes have always been really good friends of the Johnny Rook crew. And they've dude, got it. Some, they, what's up with death metal musicians being like the nicest guys on the planet? Uh, they're, I think they're just more understanding and dude, accepting. They're so kind, <laughs> you know? Though. Yeah. Like, dude, death and metal guys. Cats. Death, they love cats. Dude, death metal guys are the nicest, politest, <laughs> Absolutely. most gentle people. But the weird thing is, is that like uh, the, those kind of bands looked at Johnny Rook and they understood what we were doing. Dude, they they we all all have so much respect for your band. Well, that's just so that. To my point, so the bands that understood what were going on, we were kind of like the, how do you define it? Um, we were kind of the musicians go to, like oh, like Dredge. We we could talk yeah, a band like Dredge. Here's Didn't the really thing, though, dude. Stream. Okay, you're sort of like saying something and asking a question at the same time. So I'm jumping in on purpose here. Here's the thing. Okay. No, dude, that's wrong. Like you guys wrote music that people liked and musicians respected. That's also okay. the formula. So like, so the third piece of advice was like. Make your sound, do your thing, and then figure out a way to actually capture that sound on record instead of the other way around. These new kids are recording music and then they have no idea how and to do And then they that try live. to they try to go, Well, what how do we make how do we reproduce that live? Right. The next the next fourth piece of advice, and this is the least important, but but there's a reason save the best for last, yeah. right? Like make sure that people can listen to it. And musicians respect you yep. for making that music. And Dalton and I, Dalton, yep. Dalton, uh, we we came up with this like fun fake algorithm, which was like talent times uh, album sales divided by uh, mutual respect from peers equals overall talent, something okay. like that, <laughs> yep. right? Like yep. it, we like figured out this ridiculous. So we like we put this algorithm up on the thing. And we threw every musician we could think at it. Yep. So like Britney Spears, talent plus album sales, but doesn't have the mutual respect from fellow musicians. Right. See what I'm saying? Yep. Metallica, uh, technical skill. That's what it was. Technical skill times album sales divided by mutual respect, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And it was like, okay, that's why Metallica is Metallica. That's why the Rolling Stone. And you could quickly, if you looked at this algorithm we wrote on the front of a press break, because we were working together at the time when he got out of the Navy. Yeah. You looked at that and you compared any band to that and it made sense. Yep. And the the variable was bands like yours and mine and some of our friends, like even Reaping. Yep. Like it's the album sales. Yes. And it's not an, it's an incomplete equation at that point. Yep. Right, because we were just variable X at that point. Right. So the hard part for me was that I know what we were able to produce live, and don't get me wrong, I'm proud of all of the recordings that we've done. I love it. You know, currently the second guitarist of the band is our producer and, and our engineer. Ian for the, yep, Ian Combs. And, Ian's and, great. Ian's and the, shit. the stuff that he Ian. produces, I love. But to this day, I've never really found a recording that I go, "That's how we sound live. That's fucking punk rock." 
You know, like uh, the closest thing, I don't know if you've heard the newest track, the Disneyland Pencil Erasers. That's about as close of a representation of Johnny Rook live as we've gotten on recording. See, I feel like, because I only seen Dalton play with you once. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at The Rock, and it was right after, he was his first show with you guys. Okay. After he joined the band. And it didn't, for the first time hearing an electric guitar player with your band, it didn't change the sound. It okay. Added, how I describe it is it added color. <coughs> I like right? that representation, yeah. So I, when, I actually have synesthesia, so when I hear music, I literally see colors. Okay. L- quite literally. Lucky. Note for note, chord for chord, multiple notes on top of each other. It, I get a picture in my head. Like That's why I feel I understand you when you say a soaring guitar riff. Yep. Because I always attribute sound with image. Yep. That's why I'm terrified to go blind or deaf. Yeah. Because to me, those two work 100% with each other. Okay. And so when I saw Dalton perform with you guys, all I saw were like an added layer of color. Some guys call it texture, spice, yeah. little, little salsa, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all the same language. Again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's figuring out what the other guy means, right? Yep. So when I heard the nameless ghost recording and I know you said earlier, like widely the band that's their least favorite recording. Yep. Here's my point. I feel like that was Johnny Rook. Really? Like I feel like that recording perfectly captured Johnny Rook live. I think when Johnny, when the Johnny Rook guys listen to this or watch this podcast, I think they might die a little inside. That's fine. I'll have them on one (laughs) by one. I'll have them on one by one. There you go. I'll put them motherfuckers in their place. James, (laughs) James, buddy, James, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. James, I'm, I'm talking to you, buddy. He's Come on. for you. I'll put you in place, buddy, because <laughs> guess what? That's one of your best records. <laughs> no, and honestly, I've listened to a bunch of your stuff, and I like it all, but there's some, and, and who knows? It could be nostalgia, sure. right? It could yeah. be just like, oh, well, fucking, I love Kill Em All from Metallica because it's, uh, it's the purity. <laughs> sure, whatever. yeah. I don't fucking know. Right. I just know that like that's a great album. It sounds great. It captured all of you in perfect just like dude i don't know man like i felt like when i listened to that record i was hearing you guys live like i don't feel like i listened to an overproduced record i don't feel like i listened to something that wasn't you god that's really funny that you say that we feel like it's the most i also absolutely loved those songs well there's that too you know we always felt like that record was overproduced and it just you know, like I and, love that and, record, and like you missed the point, but that's okay. That that was no, my question. You think for it's you, over, right? you think it's overproduced? I well, get it. And I, that, I, that I, that's my question for you. But uh, can we take a piss break and yeah, come back to it? Yeah, Is that yeah. Cool? Take a piss break. Awesome. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going because I don't want to pause this for sure. these guys. But where yeah. do I go? So you can either go all the way upstairs, okay, and then it's like right there, okay. You really can't miss it. Perf. Or or if you're a fucking hillbilly like I am, you can piss in that basement sink. God, I'm going to do that. Right dude. over there. Oh, I'm a South Dakota boy. Just, I'm totally just, going to do that. Just turn on the faucet, and then the beers are right there in that fridge, you too. you want one? Yeah, grab us a few. I got to piss, too, so All when right. you get back, I'm going to piss. Oh, my forehead looks so big, dude. I look... Oh, my God, this is hilarious. No, go... Yeah, go that way. Oh, my God, it's so hilarious. I've never looked on my at myself on camera without my hat on. My forehead looks so huge. Oh, my God. Oh, this is hilarious. You guys can kind of see the flaws in my setup now. The vulnerability. Look at that. You can see the white pillar. 
Oh, it looks so cute. You hear the dogs barking. Aw. This, this got so unprofessional so fast. I love it. No, at least you know it's like we're, we're real. We're not fucking, we're not in a real studio. We're in, we're in my house. I just really decked out a room. Dude, Jesus Christ, my forehead looks so big. I never realized my forehead was so large. Oh my God. Look at it. I'm sorry, you guys. I understand this is probably the least entertaining podcast you've ever listened to, but I'm looking at myself over here on camera and I'm so ugly. I look like an alien from Star Trek, like an oversized head. If it was pointy enough at the top, I think I would look like a cone head straight out of Saturday Night Live. Jesus Christ. What a fucking shit show. Oh my God. I went and like, I, I fucking went out of my way to get this haircut today because I was like, oh, I have a podcast. I got to look at it. I think I'm going to wear a hat from now on. This is hilarious. I look so bad. Oh my God. It's embarrassing. What is going on with my fucking head? <laughs> oh my God. Oh uh, shit. So when he gets back, we're going to talk about these coasters. So when COVID hit and all our bands got shut down, Zach started making some fucking woodworking shit. And, uh, he did these light boxes and, uh, I couldn't afford the light boxes. But he started doing these little fucking posters. Let me see if I can. I can do. This. See if we can get this up. So I got him to make me these custom coasters, and he's actually starting. There we go. Okay, so he's starting a business plan or a company on the side where he's making custom or template-based shit. Oh, thanks, bud. Yes. Oh, you're good. I'm going to just show these off real cool. quick. So I had them make me up a bunch of these. Because if you're from Minnesota, we're obsessed with pretending we're super proud about being from Minnesota. So I had them make me <laughs> an I Love Northeast one, MPLSTP, which is Minneapolis-St. Paul, Know Me, which is the hood where I live now, and I'm very proud to be living here. A lot of people would be like, oh, man, that sucks. you got to get out of the neighborhood soon. And I'm like, fuck you guys. I feel more safe in the hood than I do in fucking suburbs now. Yeah, For real, dude, after the riots, like, we really fucking rallied together, man. I don't know who they is, but I'm telling you right now, someone, they, were trying to start a fucking race war, dude. Like, during the riots, there was so much racial rhetoric going on. Oh, yeah. This oh, shit got wild, dude. And the whole neighborhood, we banded together, and we were out patrolling our own neighborhood, fully armed, every night, uh, making sure we didn't have any fucking white supremacists or fucking Antifa people or any fucking rogue Black Lives Matter trying to burn shit down, too, blaming yep. it on white people. Like, all of it. And we quickly realized in our own community, straight out of the gate, somebody's trying to start a race war, yep. and we're not falling for it. And the rest of the country seems to have fallen for it. But in Minneapolis, like, dude, race relations have gotten dramatically better in the last two months. Like, you'll see a black dude walk down the street now. Instead of, instead of him giving you a dirty look as a random white boy in my neighborhood, he'll be like, what's up, bro? See, that wouldn't have happened three months ago. Here's what I'll say about it because, you know, I, 
part so, of it is yes that you're visiting so, me but well it, it's so tough man because it's you know this whole topic can be so polarizing right. and i understand keep, it keep talking yeah i can still hear you but i gotta also go to the bathroom yep, real quick. you do your thing and, and and here's what i'll say to everybody that's listening and i was given the best piece of advice um that i've ever gotten and it was actually from my wife's uncle and growing up in small town south dakota it was real easy to you know i hate to say it but a lot of people in south dakota they're not necessarily cultured and don't get me wrong you definitely you have your people that that understand and they're cool with different cultures they're they're cool different races um but it, it, it just, you don't stumble upon it a lot. And when I first moved to Minneapolis, it was a culture shock for me because I was around a lot of people that didn't look like me or didn't, you know, follow the same religious practices that my family did. And it was different. But the best piece of advice, I got married um, uh, 11 years ago and my wife's uncle, uh, he owns a, a vintage music shop down in South Minneapolis. It's actually called Vintage Music Company. But people have asked him like well how do you like being in this in this neighborhood like you you know like um aren't you ever afraid of getting broken into and he and he looked at me and he said you know and the answer that i've got to that is there's absolutely no reason to be afraid of your own people and i i think that's so telling in uh you know whether it's social media or any of the 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 polarizing pieces of information that we get on a on a daily basis in our cultural society and how you know whether hard leaning left or hard leaning right or whether you're libertarian and you're just right down the middle of everything i think the best piece of advice is to is the fact of there is absolutely no reason to be afraid of your own people and you know north minneapolis for those of you that don't know many north minneapolis gets a really bad rap I mean, it, it, it's just the way that it is. It gets a bad rap because demographically, it's been one of those neighborhoods that it just politically has been forgotten about. Yeah, and we were a victim um, of white flight in the 70s. That's what I'm saying. And politically, it's been forgotten about. Yeah. You know, and but I've never come down to North Minneapolis. Actually, it's funny. You don't know this, but I used to live right off of Dowling and um, you, we Aldrich. Talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that in your last... Yep. And and I lived down there, and I remember when I first came here, maybe it was a naive... Oh, I had this on my camera the whole time. My bad, guys. Oh, it's all good. Uh, maybe it was naive, uh, the naive aspect of a little 19-year-old Zach coming into Minneapolis, but, you know, I remember walking in, and everybody in my house was on the floor. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Get down. Get on the floor. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, there, there was just a shooting out in the street. Get on the floor. And I was like... There's nobody out there. I just par- <laughs> I just parked my car. Everything's fine. They're like, oh, my, get down. And I was like, whatever. I'm going to grab a beer. And I, and I went to the fridge. And But it was like they stayed on the floor for a good 20 minutes. That's insane. 30 minutes. Even That's after all this shit happened. Well, it's a, but that is the way that people are reacting to the current climate right. of what's going on. Like, calm the fuck down and yeah, just exactly. have a conversation exactly. with your neighbor. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's I don't, totally real. I don't yep. give a fuck about your skin color. Just have a goddamn conversation, you yep. know? And it's so difficult for me when when you go you could we could go on facebook right now neither one of us could go through our daily feed right now and there's somebody bitching about something yep. and, and and everybody is so fucking angry right now that if you don't believe the way that i believe in or if you don't agree with what i believe in then just fucking unfriend me right now dude that shit's insane i did Why? unfriend a couple people 
during when all the shit hit down, but it wasn't because they didn't think like me. It was because they were preaching some incredibly unethical shit. And I agree. And, I've got, I've got, and I was like, that. I was like, all right, block, delete, block, snooze, block, delete, unfollow, delete, unfollow. Yeah. Like it was, there were certain people I took different degrees of measure with because it was like, dude, you're on one right now. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's, so, there's never been a point. When was the last time that you got on social media and somebody tried to argue with you and you went, "Okay, you've changed my mind," or somebody? I'm not the best example because people do. I I'm willing to let my mind be changed. You're willing to listen, life. but how? But, but when others, somebody's screaming at you others, online, others never. It, it like, just it, it never happens. But if we can sit down and have a conversation, I actually the keyboarder said Johnny Rook, um, him and I sat down over a beer, and he he's like at. I'll admit it to you, man. I'm really hard left. I'm hard left, and I said that's cool. I'm not, but I'm not hard right. But I can, I, I can be right down the middle of the road, and we can have a conversation. Sure. And it, and if you give me a valid point, I'll say, I get it, and I, I like it. Like, uh, okay, you've just changed my mind. Let's talk and tell me why you feel this way. Uh oh, my buddy Carl's calling. Carl. Hey, long time no talk or see. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Listen, I'm doing a podcast right now. I answered the phone and you're on it. <laughs> Hi, Carl. Well, interesting. Well, hello. I, so I've been trying to get in contact with you because I want you to come on the podcast. Can I call you later and get you scheduled up? I want some of your Dakota stories. Ooh, Dakota boy. Yeah, yeah. why not? I'm trying, I'm trying to... Uh... I'm trying to uh, make some Dakota stories known. Yeah, so dude. That would be kind of cool. So, Carl, so I got my buddy Zach on right now, so I'm talking to both of you at the same time. So, Carl is uh, a longtime bartender down at the Dakota. Okay. So oh, he's, not like he's, actual like South Dakota, North so Dakota. He's got, okay. he's got the literal like if these walls could talk stories, mm. the fly on the wall stories. So, yeah, Carl, let me give you a shout back. Plus, I, I need some of those painted drum heads because I'm going to start having uh, my guests sign them. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then I'm thinking if, especially if I get like some of the more famous people I know to actually come on, I'm thinking we'll have them sign them and maybe we'll auction them off and give them to like, uh, um, maybe some of the entertainment, uh, and industry people that didn't get on unemployment or didn't get their stimulus check. Like a lot of the people like you and I and Zach in the, in the service or music or entertainment industry that kind of got fucked and left out, out of the water. Oh yeah, we got fucked a little bit. <laughs> Just a sure. little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not making more money now on unemployment. I would be making way more money if I was working. Right, and I don't think a lot of people understand that at all. And some of you guys like just got fucked completely, like like a hundred percent. So yeah, but let me give you a shout back, dude. Sounds good, Jared all right, brother. Singer extravaganza. <laughs> all right, but I love you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Yep. All right, thanks, Carl. Normally, I never would answer. I would never answer a phone call. That actually pulled in really good to where we were at in our conversation, though. I mean, it it really did. You know, so it's 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 a tough thing, man. And I think, like you know, if we were going to get on that 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 topic of conversation, I think you and I are both level headed enough that whether or not we agreed or disagreed, we'd be willing to at least hear each other's stories out. But that's it's so tough for me right now because, like, with trying to promote the music that I do, and then at the same time trying to promote this cool story, creative stuff that I'm doing. Unfortunately, in the atmosphere that we're in right now, I have to fucking be on Facebook. 
It right. sucks, man. And I hate to say it. Like, we talked about it. I need to build a website, absolutely. But right now, where we're at with shit, people want to see your Facebook shit and they want to be able to go, oh, I like it. I'll fucking click that button. If I want to ignore it, I could just fucking ignore it. Oh, I've got so much stuff going on. I'm so busy. Like, yep. that's just where we're at. Yep. But I need to promote my band I, or I want to promote my uh, my band. Um, uh, oh, no, you're good. I'm, I'm good. Um, so I want to promote my band. I want to, I want to promote Cool Story Creative, right? But at the same time, I like what's taken over Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. I fucking do all of my shopping on Facebook Marketplace, and I bought so much shit for the Cool Story Creative and for. So explain to people who don't stuff. know what Cool Story Creative. Okay, is. sorry, I wasn't sure how far you got into that. Basically, what? Uh, so I got furloughed. Like many people that we know. So in, even in though March. even though Zach's a musician, even though I'm a musician, we're still at the level where we have to hold down at least a full time job or part time or part time. Some of us part time, some of us full time. Like I'm one of the lucky ones where I've been able to like stay financially viable in the music industry, yep. even being blackballed locally. Yep. I've only needed to work part time for like the last six, seven, eight years. And in my case, I'm married. I have four kids. Yeah, have, that's uh, the difference. I'm married yep. and I have a house, but I don't have any fucking kids, right. so I'm able to get away with that luxury. So, so I've got a mortgage. I, I had car payments. I had a lot of shit that was going on. And don't get me wrong, I still was a touring musician when all of that was going right. on. Which is harder because we call that being a weekend warrior or, you, or you're or you called a vacation warrior, which means like you take fucking, what is it? What is it? You get two weeks of vacation a year. Well, that's just and it. And that's your tour. And I went out for... Or you're a weekend warrior, so you go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and you're back to work on well, Monday. And even that, I went out for a month and a half. Shinedown took Cold Kingdom on tour, and I was out for a month and a half with those guys. And I was and making... I, I came back with $1,200 in my pocket so from you, that whole fucking in tour. That, in that, did you have to leave your job, or did they yep. give nope, you temporary? I was done. Yep. I so was that's, done. that's the dilemma we face, is like chasing our dream... We every time we most of us every time we want to try to do this, make a run, take a leap, do any of this, we we don't just get to do that. We have to let go of all security that is literally absolutely. Keeping us afloat. There's no safety net at that point. It's so scary. But but you do it because you fucking love it. You have to. And you know, and I'm married to a woman who she pushes me to take those leaps. And this Shout was out the to best. The wives that absolutely support us, dude. Absolutely. Oh my I'll cheers God. to that, bud. For real, dude. Um, like, thank you, Kate. I love you, babe. <laughs> so the thing about it was was that so I quit Cold Kingdom because I was just I was swimming in debt. You know, I came back from this tour and that was part of the uh, underbelly aspect of the music scene or the music industry that I was talking about that I saw a lot of shit we were turned down for a lot of stupid fucking reasons, and so how did you? Uh, let's let's try to parlay these or parlay. Let's try to uh, bring these all these conversations back together. So, so we kind of skipped through Johnny Rook. We really just talked about like the passion and the in the intensity you guys put into your show and why I think it worked. Yep. And we kind of skipped through that, and then we're talking about Cold Kingdom. So how did you? Let's not worry about how Johnny Rook ended because it all ended and. Came back together multiple yep. times. How did how did Cold Kingdom get started? Like, what's the point of that band? And and let's talk about how you got on tour. Yeah, with Shine Down. So Cold Kingdom uh, was a so I we quit Johnny Rook because we were at a point that we just we didn't feel like anything was moving forward. We just felt stagnant, and it wasn't one of those things where it was like, well, we hate each other. We just were like, no, let's just be done. 
And we were done. And so Dan, the bassist, who was also my wife's cousin, that's how I met my wife. Oh. Um, Dan and I started a band with uh, Mitch Madison from Minus Three, who was Dalton's. Singer. Yep. The singer, rhythm, guitar player. Yep. And so we started a band called Pathos Ethos. He's actually, like, Mitch... Legit, Mitch man. is actually kind of badass. He's a good dude. I he's love a, that dude. To he's kind of badass. Absolutely. So we started a band with him. They well, were also minus three. Was also one of those bands the that was labeled days. that was labeled emo. Yeah, weirdly enough, right? And like I always felt like this isn't an emo band. And they were Mitch's rock. voice is way too low to be emo. And they were rock. But remember what I said? How I defined emo? Yep. High pitched voice, high register, whiny, yep. singing about love and heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yep. hear any of that when I seen minus three. Right. We, so my history with minus three, we lost a battle of the bands to them. We came out of no, out of nowhere. Seven months of nothing came out of nowhere. Yep. We we got Was added, this at the Rock? Sar Central. Okay. We got added onto Joe Spanbauer's Battle of the Bands <laughs> last minute because somebody else, their drummer's back got injured and they couldn't play the show. Mm. So we got thrown in as a reserve band. We got turned okay. down for the for the Battle of the Bands. We got thrown in as a reserve band. I don't remember who we beat in the first round, but it was an insane upset. Like, how? Who are these guys, and how did they beat these two local bands? Okay. We're talking like good local, okay, like, like real bands. Yeah, not just like they're really good and they're cool. Like, okay. And then we won the second round, and I remember who we beat in the second round. We beat a band called Kuna Noon. No shit, they're still around too. And Epicurean. No shit. And we made it to the finals. Against Bane Hinge, the reigning champs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Minus three. Especially Spanbauer. Fucking minus three brought people in on party buses, dude. Oh, yeah. They... And minus three crushed. They beat everyone by, like, I, I swear to God, it was 10 to one. Right. It wasn't even close. I was but, at that show, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, like, literally. And that's, that's where my, that's where I became me. Yeah. And people knew who I was. And okay. why I was anything. Okay. It was that, that was my start. And that was all because of Joe. Now, where I'm going with this is what you said. You're talking about minus three and Mitch. Yeah. And bringing it Tarantino style. Let's wrap it back in. <laughs> they were an emo band that didn't make sense to me because Mitch didn't sing high enough. And he wasn't whiny. To be classified as emo. Right. And I'm like, this he, isn't an emo band. These guys kick fucking ass. Dalton was up there doing guitar spins oh yeah. and shit. And it's throwing fucking, it one way and catching it the other while he was still playing a And riff. then doing a roundhouse jump kick at the dude, same time. Yeah, it, dude, dude and he was shit. skinny as I was. Well, and that's how I got now to know Dalton. Now he's a fat fuck. <laughs> well, that's how I got to know Dalton. I watched this band. And I was like, Jesus, you got some fucking stage show, right? Mm -hmm. So we started this band. Uh, Mitch, Dan, and I, and then we're always keep kind in of mind, listeners. I also told Zach I wanted to audition for his band, and he forgot who I was. <laughs> I drink a lot, <laughs> dude. I here's the thing: you didn't know who I was, dude. I was a nobody. I was some random asshole who came out of the crowd. Well, I was like, I'm in a band. Well, and it I, it, it happens. And now we're friends, and it doesn't matter either which way, right? So, so we started this band, and we went through an onslaught of drummers. Uh, for some We're one talking reason, about cold game. Uh, no, pathies, pathos ethos with uh, Mitch and Dan. Oh, so this is in between Johnny Rick and, and Cold, cold King. And we went through a myriad of drummers. For some reason, drummers just did not want to stick with us with this band, and I didn't get it. Well, the, the, the final straw for me was that my brother uh, lived in town, and my brother's a drummer, and he was playing with the band. Josh. 
Josh. Yeah. I worked for Josh at Guitar no Center. No shit. Dude, Josh and I do not have a good history with each other. Well, he, well, yeah, I can understand that Josh Josh is a hard manager to work for. Actually, no. No? No, he was awesome. Oh. It was another Guitar Center employee named Jared Sellis. And yes, I will fucking call you out on the internet, you <laughs> piece of fucking shit. If I ever see you, you want to pretend you're a 12 and 2 cage fighter again, I'll fuck you up because now we're not employed by the same fucking company and I can't lose my job, you little bitch. Invite me to that podcast. This motherfucker, this motherfucker pretended his mom died. I've heard that story. And then he pretended his older brother committed suicide over that. I've heard that story too. And then everyone in the store felt so bad for him. They organized a house party, charged $20 a head. And donated the money. And gave him all the money. I heard this story. <laughs> this I decided up. I decided not to go to this party because as a new employee, I didn't feel it was smart as his manager because I was I was the manager. Josh was my manager, but okay. I was I managed the guitar department. Yeah. I didn't think it was smart for me to fraternize with my brand new employee. We're not equals, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We're absolutely. not equals. Yeah. You're my employee. Yeah. Me showing up at your party is not a good way for us to start our relationship. So I didn't go. That's it. Yep. Everyone in Guitar Center thought I was a selfish asshole. Then, then, <laughs> within a couple weeks, I started seeing some huge red flags with Jared Sellis. Yeah. While $2,000 guitars started disappearing. Heard that too. <laughs> so I go into Josh's office, your brother, your brother, and I and I go, dude, and I go, and I go, Josh, I think Jared is the one st- stealing the guitars. And he goes, why do you think that? And I go, well, he's pointed, dude, he's better at noticing things in our store than we are like, like holes, like gaps, like things that are wrong. Yeah. His attention to detail is obscure, like not obscure. That's the wrong word. Um, obscene. It's insane. His attention to details over the fucking top. And a lot of his actions on the floor aren't adding up with his abilities. Yeah. Now, he's like, well, dude, you know, he's going through a lot. You need to just give him a pass. I'm like, okay. Another two weeks goes by. And I, I come up to him and I go, here's the deal, man. Um, he's starting to cause problems on the floor. Josh asked me why. And I say, well... I don't actually see any of these problems, but all of my team in the guitar department is complaining about him, that he comes and goes as he pleases, blah, 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 and we can't depend on him when we need him. So, Josh, I'm going to ask you one thing and one thing only. Tell this dude he's got two options. He either needs to be here when we need him, or tell him take as much time as you need and don't show up until you're ready. And Josh goes, that sounds unreasonable. I'm not willing to tell him that. Then more shit and more shit and more shit goes down. So I start telling all the other assistant managers. In, 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 uh, uh, on, so Guitar Center was set up. You had like Josh. Yep. And then you had what's called a sales manager or STM. Yeah, and we, then you had assistant managers. Was, and then you was had that de- Chappie at that time? Definitely. Okay. Maybe not literally, but yes. Okay. Because Chappie was never a store manager. Okay. He was always the one step below. Okay. That's the highest he ever got. Chappie, I love you. We're not talking shit about you. I love Chappie. He practices in the same I, joint. D- that dude, I mean, I've known Chappie he, since he was a drum tech for Epicurean. Yeah, and he knows. he's. Cool. He probably doesn't like me very much because I worked for him. 
<laughs> he was my boss for okay. a short period of time, which yeah, is he's hilarious. Good shit. I love but, but long story short, I was way down here and Josh wasn't hearing me. Mm-hmm. So I started talking to the assistant managers one step above me and the STMs one step above him. And I'm like, you need to start watching this guy because something's off. Something ain't right. And I'm, I'm not feeling this guy. I'm not even sure I want him on my team. Like I'm thinking it's getting to the point where we need to transfer him to another store because something isn't right. Yeah. My very good friend, Jake Muley, who's the assistant manager, still to this day I talk to him. Him and I are still working on a couple different music projects together. Okay. Looks me dead in my eyes. At the time, we were friends. Still to this day, we're friends. And he goes, Jared, you were the only person in the store who has a problem with the other Jared. Maybe it's you, and it's not him. Oh, no. Dude, this is super... How long did this go on? This is... How long did this... Three months? Jared Sellerson go on? Three months. Uh, because uh, my brother was living with me at that time. Yeah, he, I know. I he, know, because he had to move here from South Dakota. Yep, and he would come yep. He would come to my house, and he would tell me these stories. Mm-hmm. And he's like... Uh, and the funny thing is, is that as it was all going on, he's like... I mean, does this sound fucking weird? And I was like, yeah, it sounds, it sounds dude, a little sketchy, but... Dude, it gets worse. So it gets so fucking bad that I lose control of the guitar department because your brother won't have my back on this. Yeah. So we had a culture at Guitar Center that was one thing. Yeah. And then Josh came in and had his own version of Guitar Center culture. So the culture I came from is your manager has your back because you're a manager. Sure. And even if you're wrong, you're not wrong. Yeah. Because we have to have like unity in the chain of command. Yep. Your brother came in and was like, because him and I, he didn't like me. I loved your brother. I thought he was a great manager. Yeah. I really liked him. He didn't like me. Because of my personality, there's a lot of people that don't like me based on my personality. I talk too much. I think I know too much. <laughs> I think I'm smarter than everybody. Well, I'm, and, I'm too specific. And, I over-explain things. And also, let me, let me, let me clarify something with, with him, too, with, for the listeners that don't know. He comes from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, managing a small store where everybody is like this, right? Yep. And so there, there's no conflict. There's zero conflict, man, because when it comes to South Dakota, what the fuck do you have to conflict about? Well, and there was also Absolutely this, nothing. And there was also this weird like hiring structure change. So when I got hired at Guitar Center, I had to interview with my department manager. Yeah. And, and Jeff had to approve me before... Okay. Carson would hire him, hire me. Carson hated me. So so Josh hired Jared without ever telling me. Okay. And then Jared shows up in my department one day. I think he's a customer. And he's like <laughs> fucking with people. What? And I'm like, what's up, dude? What's your name? And he's like, oh, because I walked in for my shift. Yeah. Right? And he's over there just like bullshitting with people. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? What's your name? And he's like, oh, I'm Jared. And I'm like, oh, I'm Jared too. And he's like, oh, you're the other Jared. Oh, no. And, dude, my stomach sank. Oh, no. And I went, what does that mean? And he goes, yeah, uh, everybody told me I'd be working with the other Jared. And that's how you found out that you were working with this dude? (laughs) That's how I found out he was my employee. So here's the question. Aren't you glad to be done with that company? Dude, no. No, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me because basically shit got so bad, okay, that Josh... And your brother, the way he managed, as much as I loved him and respected him when he was doing it, in retrospect, he pissed me off because he would give me a scenario and then I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's my fault. And he'd go, well, I don't appreciate your management style because you're not holding your guys accountable. And I'd be like, okay, learning moment. 
got it. Next time something would happen, I'd go, well, it's this guy's fault and this guy's fault because I gave them those duties and then I left and they didn't get them done. And, and then, then he'd go, like, you're not taking responsibility. <laughs> All right. And I'll, I'm like, Josh, I'll, I can't I'll talk to him. I'm like, Josh, I can't follow your logic down this fucking rabbit hole, dude. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Long story short, the shit with Jared Sellis got so bad. Yeah. That he held me accountable and told me, he goes, I'm demoting you from department manager. And I was like, yeah, I'm not cool with that. And he goes, you don't have a choice. And I literally looked him in the eyes and I said, fuck you. I have all the choices. Yeah. And he goes, what are you going to do about it? And I go, I'm going to fucking quit. And he goes, well, I guess you're right. That's a choice. And then I go, I'm going to need two days to think about this. And he goes, what? And I go, I'm going home. You want to fire me outright, fire me. Yeah. But I got to go home and I got to think <laughs> if I still want to work for Guitar Center and no longer be a manager <laughs> and dude, I didn't, I didn't come back. I, I emailed him and I was like, dude, cause I called your brother. I called him once. I called him once over the phone and this was before Jared Sellis got figured out. This yeah. is the point. Like, oh no shit. This nobody was before knew, anybody yeah, this knew is, that he was fucking Dude, this lying. is while it was all going down. Okay. Right. And I called him and I Which said, to clarify, so everybody knows we've been, we've been talking about this for a minute, Yeah. but the story about his sister dying, suicides, all this shit. Was a farce. This yeah, was we, all a yeah, lie. And we didn't know any of this yet. So, so, Jer- so Josh is holding me accountable for all this. I call him up and I go, can I earn my way back to manager? And he goes, uh, well, I don't uh, see why not. And I was like, I wanted you to say yes. And I wanted you to say yes with authority. Mm-hmm. And the doubt in your voice is why I'm not coming back to the company. Sure. And he's like, okay. And I was like, here's my two weeks. I'll train in the new guy per GC policy. Yep. I'm gone. Yeah. They canned me the next day. And it wasn't Josh that canned me. It was Carson. Because Carson, as tight as I am, Carson's one of my good friends to this day. I love him and respect him. One of the best managers I've ever worked for. But Carson made that call because GC changed their policy on how they handled people's two-week notices. Sure. Long story short, about a month or two later, somebody calls me. And they were like, you were right about everything. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about right now? I was angry about it because yeah. I was still pissed off. And yeah. somebody from GC called me. I'm like, what's up? And they were like, dude, you were right about everything. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I'm like mad. Like, like, how dare you yeah. fucking call me and yeah. tell me I'm right? Yeah, like, and I'm, I fucking quit. Fuck who, you. Who reacts like that when they're like, <laughs> yeah. you were right? And they're like, fuck you. I did. That's, that's who. Me. Me in that moment. Sure. And they were like, dude, Jared Sellis. You were right about everything. Just a piece we're of shit. We're pretty sure he stole all those guitars that suddenly went missing. And they were like, high-end guitars. And so I asked him to tell me the story. And so for the listeners, I'll recap the story. Basically, whether it was Josh or one of the other assistant managers or sales managers, somebody called a Verizon store. And that's where Jared used to manage. And all of a sudden, somebody with Jared's name or Jared's brother's name answered the phone. And somebody had the 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 wherewithal or the not wherewithal the, the 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 forward thinkingness to go I don't know what his name was Josh, John, Jared, Jacob, whatever. So and so, is this Jared's brother? And he goes, "Yeah." And he's like, "Like Jared Sellis?" And he goes, "Yeah." And then I don't know how it all came down, but basically they put it all together. His mom never died. Mm-hmm. 
His brother never died. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was a lie and a scam. <laughs> he used us for fucking three to four months, stole thousands of dollars worth of equipment for, from us. I was the only one that seen it, and I'm the only one that lost my job over it. So still to this day, I'm jaded. And the reason I bring this up is because one random Because I night- brought my brother up. See, that's the funny thing. No, I had no, no idea like, that you fucking dude, worked for my brother. Like, God damn it. No, because here's all this went down over the winter. Yeah. And then like six months later, I was so bitter about it. Yeah. I drunk texted your brother in the oh, middle no of the shit. night. He was still managing and I drunk texted him in the middle of the night. And I was like, you fucking piece of shit. I fucking told you he was a goddamn. And you made me fucking lose my dream Jesus, job. we should call him. Dude, like we'll save it for the next one. Because <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. I'm over it now. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. over it now. <laughs> but dude, like again. I don't actually, I have a problem with your brother on how he handled me and sure. the Jared S- Sellis situation. I actually liked him as a person and respected him as a manager. I think he made one major mistake. Sure. He got guilt tripped in believing Jared Sellis and then for some reason let his fucking gut and his heart, because he's a good person, Sure, he let that get the better of him yeah. and didn't trust a manager that he wasn't vibing with. Sure. And, and the whole thing. And dude, and here's the thing is he didn't stay at Guitar Center much longer either. Well, and like, it, it, like that whole culture changed. And it's just wild because, again, I actually remember after I seen you play two or three times, I walked up to you on stage and I said, dude, my best friend is one of the managers at Guitar Center. If you need any gear, hit up my buddy Kevin at Roseville. And you said, my brother. Kill is no? Uh, no, no. Uh, Sullivan. Okay, uh, you actually might. Oh yeah, yeah. I worked with him, dude. That's the. Best. I worked at Roseville Guitar dude, Center. He was the best man in my wedding. Oh no shit! That's yeah, my fucking, best fucking Kevin's friend. A shit, man. I Kevin, like Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, dude, he's in nursing school now. That's fucking hilarious, dude. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, he him and I regularly dude, argue about who's smarter. <laughs> he's probably smarter. <laughs> well, don't let him. He's probably don't a don't send smarter. this to him. But he'll see it eventually. So fuck him. Fuck you, Kevin. Fuck, him. fuck you, fuck Kevin. you, Kevin. Yeah, you remember me, Kevin? I fucking I was the worst employee at Guitars Center. So fuck you. <laughs> no, but it's just a wild, small circle here. It in the absolutely Midwest. is. Like if you're talented, we know you. Uh, well, or we'll know you. Or if you're good at networking, that's the oh, biggest that's part true. about it. Like you, you know, I could be the biggest fucking hack or talentless piece of shit, but if I'm fucking good at networking. Which is a big part of the music industry. It's really you the whole thing. You fucking know people. It's, I mean, how many times, dude, when we grew up, and, and it's funny because you talked about earlier, you said how much the music industry has changed. Yeah. I don't think it's changed at all. Well, I think, well, it I think depends on like, what you're talking about. I think about. it's like almost like a Venn diagram where sure. the ratios have been changed. I think the only thing that's different between now and the 70s is the fact that the internet exists. But if you look back at the 60s and 70s, the way musicians made money wasn't on album sales, live shows. Sure. Okay. Yes. Then in the yes then through no. the 90s and 2000s, things changed. Yeah. And you started making more money off your record sales than you did off your album or your live shows. And then yeah, yes and no. I can then, I can agree to it. And a then point. all of a sudden, now we're in this era where basically you need to give your music away for basically free through streaming. And, and you then hope and your enough fucking people show social up. media numbers have to be outrageous yep. for them to even fucking give a shit. And you so need when, to sell enough concert tickets and merchandise. You know what's sad to about that though? Stay profitable. You know what's sad about that? Remember when I told you that I I had a run in with an Interscope uh, record executive? Well, dude, you're dude, you're 
So you're so, so connected. You've had so many run-ins with so many people. Dude, well, you got a fucking sponsorship with EV. I we still can talk do. about that. Yeah, still like, do. I, I, actually, oddly enough, I'm still fucking sponsored by ESP guitars. But that's a whole different dude. Give me a guitar. Yeah, well, I well, need one with a floating trap. <laughs> no, desperately. You, no, you don't. Yes, I do. I need one. <laughs> you need floating one with trim. an Evertune. No, I need one floating trim guitar. All right. I need mm. one. So just one, because I have one riff where I go. <laughs> you need a dive bomb. Yeah, ah, just get the fucking Digitech battle. You'll be all right. Fuck a battle. <laughs> but so, but I was sitting in a bar in Kansas City, and at that time I think it was uh, still called the Hurricane. I think it's called the Riot Room now. But I was sitting in a bar with an Interscope record executive, and we were talking because he liked the band and one of our friends from Kansas City, because Jay is actually from the Kansas City area. And so we went and we played at this bar and Jay's friend got this inner, he, he was connected to this guy, got this guy to come out to the bar cause he was in town for some, whatever reason at that point. And he came out and we talked and I'm a business guy. I want to talk business with you and I want to see exactly what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. And I want to apply that. Right. And this guy said, well, <clears throat> you need to have a song that is going to sell a million ringtones. Fuck that guy. Well, you remember at the out point. Out of the gate, fuck this Absolutely, guy. but you remember at the point. I'm when, just saying, this is my mindset if I'm in your band. Well, yeah, that was what was running through my mind. I'm but not saying anything you, in this meeting, but I'm immediately going, <laughs> fuck this you guy. You remember exactly yeah. when those times were like a big thing. Like you were dude, buying ringtones dude, for, for your real, fucking phone. I remember when a fan of Solace and Ashes fucking put one of our songs as his ringtone. Yeah. And I was like... Wow. I fucking made it. That was the biggest <laughs> that was the biggest accomplishment you could have for about 2 years. Right. Well because you had to fucking purchase them. There wasn't any applications. You couldn't hack your phone at that time. Right. But so at that this point did. His inter- Travis Doherty by the way. Travis, <laughs> I still remember that Solace and Ashes. There you you go. put that fucking uh I don't remember what the name of the song was, but Travis, I remember that. He, dude, he's a baller-ass tattoo artist now. Oh, nice. Travis Doherty. Doherty. I don't know how you pronounce well, your name, dude. but I've got some blank blank canvas. You're welcome to. Yeah, it doesn't look very blank. Well, dude. I got <laughs> <laughs> So, but it was weird. We're talking like, about your nipples. Well, we could be. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. <though. laughs> but you think about it. Think about that. Music industry, right? Uh, as a musician, what do you... And at the time... The, the longest ringtone that you could have was like 30 fucking seconds. Yeah, or a but minute or were, something. Oh, yeah, but people were only, record labels and were, they were only. they were 99 cents a pop. Yeah, and record labels were only signing bands or artists that could fucking sell over a million ringtones. That's insane. That's such a bizarre metric. And what a fucking kick in the dick. To decide whether you're worthy of being a musician, like really a fucking ringtone. What a kick in the dick. That's like saying I can't be in Metallica because I didn't write the theme song for Samford and Sons. You didn't write something that somebody only had a, an attention span of one minute to give a shit about. Oh, you didn't write that? You can't write that? Oh, well, oh, well you're like, not worth signing. See a nerd. Even though you write the most prolific music. Like, like what if Adele <laughs> or Amy Winehouse <laughs> right. got well, held to that standard? But that, that that's just it. So, you know, that's that's the age that we were living in. What if currently Billie living Eilish in? was oh, held to that up. standard shut up. now? Let's not talk about Billie Eilish. You're not a fan uh, of Billie Eilish? I am not a fan of Billie Eilish. I think Eilish, she's pretty good. But I, I, I can appreciate it. But... So anyway, to 
get back to what we were talking about because we're, we're really good at tangents here. But I went from playing in Johnny Rook to Pathos Ethos. Josh was the drummer, and the 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 end all be all for yeah, me your was brother, when yeah, my brother yeah, yeah, yeah. quit my band. And Dude, his band Roman Ships though, it's it's, it's pretty legit. It's fucking great. It's it good. is. It is great. And that's a fucking badass name. But we were yeah, talking about names earlier. I abs- I agree. But I never really like. I always had. I I took it personal. You know, this is my older brother that I look up to, and we grew up playing music. He and I only learned instruments because my old man forced us to learn instruments to play in, in a my, band together. Well, in a church band. My dad's uh, a pastor. See, because I'm a huge advocate. Like I desperately want twin sons. Yeah. So they can either play football together. Or, play or music start together. a band together. So because brothers and bands succeed. Bam, Chevelle. I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, it fucking it Van happens. Halen. Yeah, exactly. So, but, we can go down the list. But it was tough. So like, I always my brother and I played in that hard or that rap core band in South Dakota, and then he went on to do better, bigger, and better things. He was in a band called Sinking Steps Rising. I think Eyes. that's why your brother didn't like me because when I found out he was your brother, I was like, dude. I have so much respect for your brother. It's insane. <laughs> That's probably, and I was talking about you. Not and it, I think he was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> fucking, you didn't mention me. <laughs> But that's but that's the tough part. I'm is just that, fucking around, Josh. <laughs> but I moved to Minneapolis, and I, I worked my ass off to network and to kind of gain a certain respect that I didn't have in South Dakota, right? And so when my well, brother- earned it, brother. Well, when my brother comes to town, and I invite him to be in the band that I'm starting up and working my ass off- and the last show that he played with us, we played at, um, uh, what was that fucking venue, uh, Club Three Degrees turned into Mill City Nights. Oh, yeah, dude, that's actually a pretty dope venue. It was, yeah. And so we played Pre-COVID. that, and it was fucking almost sold out. And it was, the la- my brother decided he was just done. And he never really gave me a, a really clear reason, but I just never felt like he liked the music enough to be in the band, or like he felt like his friends didn't really give a shit, like... They saw that he was playing in this band and it wasn't the type of music that he was associated with. And so he kind of felt like he was selling out. And that's fine. If you want to tell me that, give me that honest opinion. Give me, tell me that, you know, like it's not, yeah, my feelings are going to be slightly hurt, but at least I'll respect you and I can get over sure. it, you know? So he quit the band and we went through just a slew of other drummers that we were trying to get out for the band. And at that point, since I was networking so much, Cold Kingdom had seen me play on stage, and they see uh, the bassist. So they were already a thing. Then. They were a thing. Yep. Because they they got a chick singer. Yep. And Ian Combs was their producer, and uh, Ian and I were friends. And I had always told Ian, like, if you ever find a band that you know you think I would mesh really well with, let me know. Like, I would love to try out. And I heard the first demo of Cold Kingdom. I was like, Jesus Christ, these guys have potential to do something. Like, this is this is a business. This band could be a business. And I contacted Ian, and I was like, what the fuck? Why didn't you contact me about this? He's like, yeah, I don't think the these guys are too green. I don't think they could handle a Zach Boyd in the band because I'm because uh, I'm a business guy. Well, and you're a professional. And I want, like you're, you're not going to tolerate I don't take the fuck shit. around. Yeah, I don't take shit. I call know? it the fuck around. The fuck around. And, and so... Um, but I became friends with all those guys. Because it's not about like people being like bratty and immature. It's about like you're fucking around. Y- just you're be a business. You're fucking around doing other shit. Stop. Like, we're trying to do this. 
Focus. Exactly. That's what I call the fuck it's around. A, it's a business. You're not trying to. You're do here to do a around. job and just do your fucking job. Yeah. Like, and if it, it's not fun, then don't be a musician. Well, well, or just, at least don't try to pursue it as a do job. Do a music. Do the fun part, but at the same time, do your fucking job. You know, and and so he didn't really connect me. Well, I became friends with all those guys, and I've been friends with uh, some of the other musicians that were in the band. Well, their guitarist um, and his girlfriend, she got pregnant and he wanted to take some time off so the basis of cold kingdom came to me and he's like hey man do you want to fill in for this guitarist and i saw an opportunity and said yeah absolutely uh, you know learned the songs and then played rock fest played well i played a battle of the bands which was my first show with them and then that got us on to um uh northern invasion which is another That's music a festival huge tour yeah, and it's a huge music festival around the Midwest, and so we opened up Northern Invasion, and that was my second show with them. And it, I mean, it was fucking. There's pictures of it that I stood on stage Dude, and Northern looked down. Invasion's and I was like, crazy because the opening shit. bands, the people for care. People, for people that don't understand, Northern Invasion is a is a like a North uh, Midwestern. We call it the Northern Invasion because we feel like we're from the North, like some Game of Thrones shit. Right. But it's a like a Midwestern thing. And and for people that don't know about it, Northern Invasion is this incredible thing because the opening bands play to packed houses. Which is untrue. Thousands and thousands of people. Which is completely one hundred percent antithetical to any other festival or show that's ever performed everywhere anywhere and ever 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 like the opening band at Northern Invasion plays to the same size of crowd that the headliner play, plays to. Yep. This is literally 100% unique that I know of and I've been around, man. I've been in this industry for 20 years. Yeah. Like, I've never I've never seen this or heard of this and I dude my buddy Wally's got a band called My Famous Friends. Yeah, Wally from Skyline. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. He's uh, Wally's supposed to be producing my record. Okay, it's it's happening a little slow, <laughs> mostly because of our fault, not Wally's. Uh, but uh, that I love that band name because that's all of us. Yeah, like well, my famous friends say, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I got all these friends who are famous, and that's what I'm trying to explain. Like everyone in Minnesota, if you're if you have any talent. In Minnesota, you are connected to people nationally. Like, if you know a really, really good musician who's in a local band in Minneapolis, they've been around for a while, they know a lot of national people. Yep. So when they say shit, like I'm saying right now, like Northern Invasion is in a very unique tour because the opening bands actually play to the same size crowd as the headliner. Yeah. Uh, it's legit that is it's true man at 12 o'clock in the afternoon too <laughs> yeah, and that was the crazy thing and you know and so so that was my Keep second going, show I'm gonna grab us a couple beers yep so that was my second show with the band and um we, we're playing in front of all these people and I, I think the weird thing about cold kingdom was that when i first started playing with the band when i first joined the band um i think the the common the common mentality was Play your shit perfect. Everything has to be absolutely perfect. Don't fucking do anything that is going to make us look like we're a bunch of amateurs. And here I was joining this crew of kids and fucking throwing down and still hitting my notes and fucking having a good time. And, you know, it was weird because people were coming up after the show and like 
it, it threw the band for a loop because they were like, oh my God, hey, they're talking to the guitarist, not just the fucking singer. Like, but they're congratulating us on like, wow, you guys, you threw down on stage, you know? And that was what it was. But what was bigger was that we went to the media tent and everybody in the band was super timid. Didn't want to, re- like, who do we talk to? I was like, fuck it. You, we're talking to you. Let's have an interview right now. And we sat down and we had all these interviews and then we started networking and I was like, hey, hey, we're a band called Cold Kingdom and all of a sudden it was just like, eh, we need a guy like this in the band. And so... So you were basically like the Jason Newstead. A, a little bit. You know, when it, when it came down to it, it was just kind of like, like... you were the outgoing one that wanted more. Yeah. That's the role uh, the, I usually that, play. That pushed for something different. So, so when I'm talking about roles... Yep. in band members um some guys get offended by how i classify them okay that's that ego thing right yeah. so what i said earlier ego simply means sense of self first time listeners the first fucking podcast you're all <laughs> you're first all first time listeners welcome you're gonna hear this over and over again i don't want to hear how irritated you are with hearing it because not everybody has heard this a million times sometimes this is the first time someone's ever heard this. Yeah. The reason this matters that I'm saying this ego simply means sense of self. So having a small ego, too small of an ego is actually more dangerous than having too big of an ego in many ways, because you lack the confidence, especially in this industry, especially in this industry, because if your ego isn't big enough, if you don't have a big enough sense of yourself, when somebody criticizes you, you will crumble. Absolutely. Okay. Now, the reason this matters, the reason I'm bringing this up, excuse me, um, with what you're saying, is because when you're sitting there calling people, hey, come here, come here, I want to talk to you, come here, come here, bud, hey, you, you, that confidence is inspiring. It's the same thing we do when we're on stage. Right. So when I'm on stage, whether I'm moving around and running across the stage like David Lee Roth, or I'm standing there in one spot and and literally commanding it like Maynard James Keenan yep. from Tool. Yep. Doesn't matter. There's an aura and a confidence that people see and they're drawn to it. When you do that shit backstage, they want to know more. Or it's they want to be a part of it. Yep. And when you're backstage and you're doing this interview thing, mm-hmm. And you're doing that. That's that's a, a huge ego. Yep. But it's not a bad huge ego. It's, it's just aura. the right it's just the right amount of ego yep. to where you're saying, I don't give a fuck if I'm the new guy. I belong here. Right. This is like this is like what Randy Moss did in the NFL. He was a rookie, and most rookies cower. Yep. And guys like Lawrence Taylor and Randy Moss were like, dude, I already belong here, man. <laughs> I fucking own this. <laughs> I own this shit, bro. Yeah. yeah. Like, like y- y'all are lucky to be on the team with me, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. the other way around. Now, the way they said that type of shit, the way I just said it, that would be an unhealthily big ego. Y'all are lucky to be on a team with me. Right. You're lucky to be in a band with me. Right. That's too big of an ego. But saying, I belong here. And I am of this equal fucking uh, plane. Right. Hey, 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 come here. Come here. You. Yeah, you. Trust me, you want to talk to this group of people. People are like, who the fuck's this guy? Right. This guy's fucking dope. Yeah. Let me go talk to this motherfucker. And then uh, they sit apparently down. Apparently, we have to talk to this guy over exactly. here. Exactly. And then they actually sit down and talk with you. You wouldn't be able to do that 
if you had too small of an ego. Right. Right. So you're talking about networking yep. when really your ability to network comes down to the same thing that makes you a good performer. Confidence. Right. Right. Confidence. Which exactly. comes back down to the same thing we talked about earlier. Making music that you believe in, yep. that you want to listen to, yep. and then hoping you can find other people that also like that. However, understanding how to perform that music. Going <laughs> right. back to Tarantino-ing it, right. straight up, the passion and the throwdown you had with Johnny Rook and that animosity and that anger of playing in front of 12 people when you thought you should have be and i'm i'm paraphrasing yeah you didn't no, say it was good. anger yeah but no. like like I, you you don't give a fuck right you really don't it's just the love of being on stage and playing whatever music i'm playing and, and putting the passion healthy amount of confidence and ego yep. translates into your ability to network. Right. So so basically is what I'm getting at with the listeners here, if people are trying to take any advice out of this, is if you want to be successful, what Zach and I are beating around the bush on here is two things. There's two cliche phrases. If you act big, you are big. Yeah, which and don't fake it till you make it. Oh God, you just said it. I was gonna say, don't confuse it with fake it till you make they're it. They're two different phrases. They are but they're, absolutely different, and phases. they're two different executions of the same idea that we're talking about. And I agree. And uh, to be honest with you, I loathe. I really do loathe. And let me let me put it to you this way: there's uh, there's a very easy um, comparison. <laughs> I oh, and you just said it. <laughs> well, there's an easy comparison I can make for that for for what you just said. People say fake it till you make it, right? Let's put that aside for a second, and then let's move it over into because I grew up in the church with my dad being a pastor. Okay, okay. there's. Are you still religious? Can no, I ask? no, I'm not. I'm super religious. Like, are you really? Yeah, hardcore Christian. Are you really? Yeah. See, uh, like I smoke, I drink, I say fuck, I fucking fornicate, all that shit. I get it. I'm a married man now, so it's a lot toned down, but yeah. I still believe in all of it. And I, I still live my life by all of that. And that's good. I, I, I live my, my life by the agnostic front of I want to believe there's something greater, but I can't put a definition yeah, on it. Yeah, and you don't think we've I, I've just had to I, I've had too many fucking that. questions. Kevin, you know? Kevin, the best man in my wedding, yep. who you know, you Sullivan, worked for him, yep. um, he's agnostic. Yep. I I, him and I had multiple conversations. And I consider about him to be arguably the best human being I actually Absolutely. know. Absolutely. And that's what we doesn't came down believe to. in God. Live like, by that standard yeah. of just be a fucking good person. Right. You know? Right. And, and I want to believe there's a God. Don't get me wrong. My wife is very strong Christian. I'm super jealous of you guys that don't believe in it the same way I do because I find it to be like a mental prison. Well, because I feel like everything I think. Is being judged. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. So uh, that actually plays into what the point that I was going to make is that I have a problem with the with uh, um. God, I, I need to paraphrase this the best way that I possibly can because I don't want to we come off. Time. Well, I don't want to say like religious fanatics because I don't mean that. But when when somebody says when you're having a personal problem in your life, right, and instead of finding a way to deal with it, it's because you, you like Jesus. No, no, no. <laughs> that does happen too. But it's 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 instead of dealing, uh, finding a way to deal with it, what what do a lot of common core Christians say? I'll just pray about it. Or you got to have faith. You just got to have faith. God will do something. To me, that's bullshit. Because the, I agree. The, the reason being is because if you want to believe in God and you want to believe in a faith, God gave you free will to figure out 
when when there's a problem or there's something going on in your life, there you don't just go, please make this better. I agree with that so much and because it, it, it also drives says, me nuts, dude. And it also says straight up in the same Bible, like God feeds or God helps those who help themselves. Right. And, like okay. you still have to take personal responsibility and you still have to take action. Like you're not going <laughs> right. to be able to be a drunkard and you're not going to be able to be the worthless fucking self-destructive piece of shit on the planet and then win the lottery. Absolutely. Like, that's not because you prayed to, about it. And, it. and it's regardless of whether you believe in God, because you could translate that to karma. Mm-hmm. You could translate that to a lot of different religious beliefs. But basically, no matter how we look at it, scientifically, physics, yep. right? You can't create energy without exhausting energy. Yeah. Okay. Religion, Christianity, God helps them who helps themselves karma you have to put good energy out there before you to receive. receive it back it's all the same absolutely. thing absolutely in farming you reap what you sow you're a south dakota <laughs> right. boy these metaphors yeah. transcend what we're talking it, doesn't, it matter. doesn't matter it doesn't you matter. have to put in in order to get out right period there's no, and it doesn't matter what you're doing right which, which religiously spiritually career-wise like fucking, this is like like farming like like we can get literal and physical or we could go all the way up the fucking chain and get metaphorical and, and right. spiritual and the the mantra still remains true you have to put in in order to receive to receive so and what so what did we what did we put over everything. here what did we put over here when we were talking i said let's put this over here and then let's talk i don't remember what we put over there. i don't either like I don't remember, I, this I don't fucking the beer starts taking oh, you over said you you said um you were talking about you were raised um catholic and you were raised well, all that other well stuff. i was i was raised raised pentecostal actually okay yeah the fucking uh you know talking in tongues and uh fucking uh he, the healing and all this shit but i don't remember what we were talking about before then i I'm talking about uh, I love beer. Hold on, hold on. I'm usually pretty good at this. Let's go okay. in reverse. Okay. So Tarantino. So, yep, we Tarantinoed it. We went back to I brought up the passion and the intensity and the audacity. And then and then you mentioned something about um being raised. <laughs> I had a point. That's the shitty part, right? And I interrupted because I said, Are you still religious? That's oh, where we got off track. That's I okay. just simply wanted to know. Because you were you were saying, and I just wanted to clarify for listeners, like, okay, you were raised this way, but are you still this way? And right. Got off. Um, but when it comes down to it, like that, you know, I, maybe the correlation that I'm trying to make between, you know, when you when you when you want to put this work into being a musician and you want to be a professional musician and you want to be out there and you want to be working, whatever backbeat that you need to be working, you can't just rely on certain pieces of being a good musician it also takes that confidence it takes that ego because you you can't just we're we're, yep we're coming from ego yeah you can't just have that confidence and that ego and be like well well, i'm gonna fucking shit and because it's just like being religious and saying man my dad just got cancer i'll pray about it And, and not that you can do anything about that that's a bad analogy let's say well i just lost my job okay that's a better analogy well, I just lost my job, and if I don't get another job and I can't make my wages, I'm going to foreclose on my house. Well, fuck it. I'll just pray that I find money somewhere. Right, instead of going and looking for a job. Instead and of, then praying about it and asking God to help you get a job. Well, That's what I'm talking exactly. about. That's exactly right, because I I, I could go out and I, I could sit here right now and I could say, 
I'm gonna, just going to pray that I get a job that was pay me the amount of money that I had before this furlough or shit like that. Or I could go, fuck it. I'm going to go get this job that's paying me half of the amount of money that I was making before. And I'm going to bust my fucking ass. And I'm just going to pray that the, whatever is going on here, that you give me guidance to be strong and to be moving forward and be confident enough that I can go, I deserve this. Or people take the notice, you're a fucking hard worker and I'm going to move you up and I'm going to do exactly 100%. in the point that I'm going to do. 100%. But, I can't make the fucking prayer that goes, hey, I was making $30 an hour, and I just got laid off. Wow, I'm fucked. God, just find me something that's going to give me $30 an hour for the next Yeah, that's not how it works. No, and it's fucking stupid, and I cannot And I think a lot of people who are religious actually think that is how it works. It's a crutch, and I hate it. And then, more importantly, they actually preach that to other people. And it's like, dude, No. Well, That's not how anything works in this world. Again, with my dad being a pastor, the big thing with my dad was uh, well, asking you shall receive. Do you do Ugh, you have any issues up. with your dad? Let me ask you this. I'm trying to make sure I phrase this question properly because otherwise it's too ambiguous. Do you have any issues with your dad's religious beliefs and how that affects the advice he gives you. Yes. Since you don't believe. Yes. Uh, and that's a longer conversation. But the, the, the reason being, up until the point that I was seven years old, my dad was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. He was a wife abuser. And the reason that my dad found religion was because one night my dad had a really bad trip on mushroom tea. Or mushrooms and cocaine. Or, or a really good trip. Or, well... Depending he, on how you look at it. Depending. He had a trip that uh, he saw himself being thrown into the lake of fire. He was cast into hell. Okay. Right? Yep. Scared the shit out of him. And he Sounds fucking, insane, but I totally understand. It happens. When you're on hallucinogens, this shit will happen. And it, when you're on hallucinogens it, it mixed with, you know, cocaine that's an accelerant of everything that you're on. and Is it? Uh, from what I hear, I don't so know. So next never time done I it. do mushrooms, I need to do a bunch of coke? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're telling me, Zach? Because I don't do mushrooms, and I would never do mushrooms. Zach from Johnny Rook does I not don't condone. Do them. <laughs> Zach from Johnny Rook does not condone mixing drugs all the time. <laughs> anyway. But. So my dad, my, <laughs> my dad woke up, freaked out of his mind, ran to the nearest church. Became well, the nearest church was Catholic. They told him to get the fuck out. So he ran to another church, which was Pentecostal, saved him, quote unquote, air quotes. And he came home, flushed all of the drugs that he had, uh, poured all the booze down the drain, threw all the cigarettes in the trash, was clean from that point. Well, the thing is, is that my dad went from being addicted to drugs and alcohol to being, being addicted, addicted to, to religion. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And this was this was a this was a oh, trade-off. Dude, I feel you on this. this I feel th- you. This happens yep. more times than not, right? It's, it's almost like the way AA is treated. Absolutely. Like it becomes infallible. I do not have a problem with religion. I have a problem with organized religion because I fucking hate it. I agree with you 100%. That's uh, why I don't go to church regularly. Absolutely. And that's why I will never join a specific church yep, because and- I believe 100% what we view as church or organized religion 
is exactly what Jesus rebelled against. It's just a fucking business. Well, exactly. It's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, anybody, any any fucking thing that's going on. Thank you. Oh, my God, dude. Okay, so you're agnostic. (laughs) Yeah. I'm hardcore Christian. Yeah. And what you just said is 100% exactly how I view my own religion. And, in fact, this is so fucked up right now, I'm actually experiencing a heavy dose of deja vu. Like literally <laughs> sitting in this room, having a conversation I didn't recognize at the time, yeah. with a person I didn't recognize at the time, coming almost like the fucking uh, multiverse, many worlds theories. Yep, yep. Like this is me finally having the exact same interaction that I thought I had a at year or two point. ago. Yeah, that's dude. This is bizarre because that's exactly what I feel. It's the Pharisees. Yep. It's the organization. It's more about profit and ditching taxes yep. and and buildings and physical infrastructure more ditching than taxes, it is but about taking... actually finding the truth and Absolutely. the enlightenment. They don't give a shit about that. This is a business at this is. point. It's so bad, Zach. That my personal beliefs of my own religion. Jesus studied Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that. In fact, if you go ask 99% of pastors, they'll tell you not only is that not true, that's blasphemy to believe. Right. However, if you listen to the studies of Jesus, they directly quote Buddha over and over and over again. Right. And then if you go back and you read any fucking interview with anybody who's ever been able to document a conversation with the Dalai Lama or anyone ever even remotely involved in high levels of Buddhism. Right. When they ask, was Jesus really the son of the God? They go. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Let me make sure. Hold on. They go like this. (laughs) Right. They don't say he is God. They won't. Well, but so, they do say he's the son of the God. Right. But they'll never quote it. They'll never write it down. But if you ever, ever read any interview, whenever anybody brings up Jesus to well, whoever is the Dalai Lama at the time, and I want to always give a simple head nod. And is it true? Like I've heard so many. And I'm not saying that means it's real. Well, no, no. And I'm saying there's there's correlation between the two. Well, there's perfect. I've heard so many accusations that there's another 15 to 19 books of the Bible. Yep, absolutely. And they're hidden in the Vatican. You know why? True. So, so basically, so there was a there was a there was a council called the Church of Nicaea or the Council of Nicaea, and basically. Modern. This is why I. I love this shit. This is why I I left the church. (laughs) Okay. I left the church because I found, and I'm, every time I look to the side, viewers and you, I'm checking to make sure that my doc is on the right camera. You guys, I'm not disinterested. I'm not distracted. I'm just making sure that you can see either him or me. Yeah, I see or both, both of us. us. <laughs> um, so... I can't remember when it was. I'm going to fuck this up, but it was something I feel like I think it was 1394. Okay. I'm not going to It could be, it could be 1493. Know. It could be 200 years before that, 200 years after that, but definitely before America was founded, okay. way before America was founded. Even I, I, I actually think it was before America was even discovered, which was 1492. 
According to Columbus, yeah. Right, right. I think so. Like, that's as far back as we can go. About 1492, as far as we know. Documented history. Exactly, exactly. Documented. Yep. Okay, anyways. So, I believe it's before that. There was something called the Council or Church of Nicaea. And here's how they decided the modern-day Bible. This is a straight-up fucking conspiracy at the levels of, like, 9-11 or the JFK assassination. For real, dude. Okay, you, here's you're getting deep into the conspiracy theory. But <laughs> here's it's it's but this one's provable now, okay. obviously, because yeah. it's so long ago, and there's documents to back this up. Um, this is why I left the church because they say how we got in the modern day Bible mm-hmm. was because this is what was verified amongst every other religion. That's not fucking true. <laughs> Not even in the goddamn slightest. <laughs> what? Not even in the motherfucking slightest. Yeah. How the church in Nicaea came to acquire the current modern day Old and New Testament in our version of the Bible is there was 13, which I find a very peculiar, peculiar number. Mm-hmm. There's 13 churches, official Christian churches that were invited around the world from Russia to England to Rome, everywhere. Okay. The farthest reaches of Christianity. To hold a meeting on the official Bible. How a book got left out? Simple veto. You're one of 13 people. Yeah. All you had to say is we don't agree with that version. On. See ya. That's it. That's <laughs> all it took. Yeah. One guy. One out of 13. So every book in the Bible that isn't currently there. Yeah. Because w- minimum one, one out guy. of 13 guys. It's like, nah. So that, that brings so up. So you're correct. Thing. And what did you say? Thirteen. Uh, I thought books I said thirteen to nineteen, something like that. Yeah, so, I think it's thirteen is the exact number. I might be wrong. I might be making that up. So here's the funny thing: is that this is this is what I've always uh, this is how I refer to organized religion is just a fucking huge game of telephone. Yeah, well, I look at it as like the mob. Well, you remember when we were kids, right? Yeah. And you would. Get in a circle. Oh, I see what you're saying by the game of television. Yep. Yeah, you'd get in a circle and you'd say, you'd whisper into somebody's ear, "Yep, pickles are for dickheads. Yep. And by the time it got back around, it was Taylor Swift sucked off 14 Niles. cocks. So, you know, like, I don't <laughs> fucking know. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. That's I, just what happened. And I've and used that specific analogy. What, Taylor Swift times. sucking off Niles from no, one direction? No, the telephone <laughs> game. The telephone game. Like, you, sw- you, you, you say at the beginning... This guy is the son of God, and you need to listen to everything he says. And 2,000 years later, people are going, that's not even a real human. He's a made-up person. 2,000 years later, somebody goes, well, no, trust me. This is what it said. I heard it from somebody else. And where we started from was like science and everything else becoming a religion. Well, uh, yeah. Like, like yeah. Or an addiction. Yeah. Right? Like, like whether it's science, like, dude, that's let's fucking let's parlay this into. Okay. So we just took the religious fervor and how it's crazy. And like, we clearly both of us have issues, how that logic works. I have the same fucking problem with how current modern day people believe in science. Yeah. Like, dude, I can, I can agree with that one month, 30 days. And people will fucking tell you that you're a danger to society because you might be asymptomatic. And then within 30 days, the CDC and the WHO 
release a statement that says asymptomatic spread is extremely rare. And then the next day they come out with another statement that says, ah, maybe we were wrong. No, no. The statement says is, yes, asymptomatic spread is extremely rare. However, pre-symptomatic spread is still in extreme danger. Okay. So now if you look that up online right now, it will say CDC walks back asymptomatic spread statement. Read the article and they don't walk it back at all. Okay. Is what they say is. You may be asymptomatic and have a very low risk of spread, but don't confuse that with you being actually sick and simply not showing symptoms yet. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But people will read that headline like like one Game verse of out of the Bible. Yeah. Right? Game like, of telephone. So people in the Bible do this shit. This is my biggest problem with my own religion and my own people in my own religion is they quote one part of the Bible and then ignore the rest. So the Bible is broken down into to what we call chapters or books. Sorry, they're just like a regular books, thing. Books, chapters, it's a and book, verses. Chapter, verse. Yep. And they'll quote one verse and not quote any of the verses that come before and after that that actually paint the picture of what they're talking about. I could, so give, for you, example I, I is, could give you an easy example it's a of that. sin. They have tattoos. Or let me give you a very specific one. It's a sin to lay with another man. Yeah. The way it is to lay with a woman. Yeah, you, well, yeah. This is God's law in Leviticus. It's, However, it's funny that you mentioned. Don't that. chop me up, internet. Let me finish my quote. In that same book of laws, you know what it also says? If a woman divorces her husband, she should be stoned to death. Right. But, so but modern day society will go, yeah, but, and we'll skirt that aside. But but hang but on we a second. Still hang on a second. Hang the gay dude. But hang on a second. Over here, when they say yeah, but when they talk about the Quran, and they say, well, they say that if you're a Christian, that you should be killed. Right. Oh, well, 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 hang on a second. But when you talk about all this Old Testament bullshit, and then you go, well, the New Testament says we're not bound by the laws of the old. That's the difference. That really is the difference, though, because people don't. They've understand. got something to justify. Everything. Well, right? not justify, but it is. It you're right though. You're right. It's though. translation. It's, not, it's it's definitely it's definitely what we call the second coming. Okay. Um. Well, the first coming. Yeah. Whatever. Got to be careful when it comes to Christianity when you're talking about second coming. Actually, I picked the wrong word. I picked the wrong <laughs> word, and I'm actually now that I'm thinking about, it, I'm really struggling to make the right word. But basically, yes. So most people don't understand that the Torah, which is the basis for Judaism, the Old Testament, which is the foundation for Christianity, and the Quran are almost word for word the exact same book. All three religions are based on the Old Testament. Now, the church in Nicaea that we mentioned earlier took a diversion and brought Christianity way over here and tried to make it its own thing. That's, that's a lie. They all founded from this. Christians, Jews, and Muslims all worship the same God. We disagree with who the prophet is or if there is a prophet. Fair enough. So Jews don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, but they do believe he's a prophet. Muslims don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the son of God, but they do believe he's a prophet. So all of these religions actually share the same foundation. Mm -hmm. It's the reason logistically and ethically they're separate is because of the New Testament and Jesus Christ specifically. Mm -hmm. 
whether you agree or not is not what I'm actually getting at. Sure. But there was an actual renaissance or a, or a new um, a new ethics commission. If yeah. We're, if we're speaking modern day co- politics, right? <laughs> sure, sure. A new ethics commission that became Jesus. And I'm glad you brought that up because Jesus specific. This is a what I said. People will quote a verse and not finish it. Yep. This is my problem. Jesus said, I'm here to enforce the law, not change a single letter of it. Right. Finish that quote. Until all has been fulfilled. Which my version is once he completed his crucifixion and his sacrifice, yeah. that's when the law changed. Sure. So but, that's but, why but we as that... Christians can abandon the old laws of, no, I got to stone him. I got to beat my slaves. I'm allowed to have all of those. As Christians, this is how we think. Sure. We abandon that old archaic barbaric shit because Jesus fulfilled the prophecy yeah. and did all this blah, 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 blah. The other two religions don't believe he was legit. And they've also never had that but second you just, version. You just made a really good point, though. Okay. And I'm not making no, a no, no. real point. I'm just no, actually what, clearifying a distinction. What I'm saying is that the point that you made without even really uh, knowing that you made the point is when you quoted that verse and then you said, and, and now finish that verse. Right. And then you said. That's actually where we started. Here. What you said is that um, to my translation or the way that I take that is that this means to the crucifixion. So the thing is, is that. It, it it's open to translation, okay. And so what I look that at that is the key. That is exactly the only point that really matters. That in is the point is that about. when you look at a, a a point of religious dialect or you know um, any kind of uh, publication or whatever the fuck you want to call it, it's open to translation. And sure. it's just it, these are these are stories and guidelines of how to live your life. Right. These are not end all be all. Right. Except for you, you know you can look at murder and all of that shit like yeah fucking use your common sense like this is, this just makes sense do not you know thou shalt not murder like it, it 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 just makes sense but like with my folks my folks grew up the only people that they had to guide them through everything were really really old christian uh, elderly people right you the the woman you cannot wear a dress anything but a dress to church and it had to be at ankle length and all of this shit like this is the way that my parents grew up for christianity and that's the way that we had to grow up pause don't i'm not changing the subject what you just pointed out Mm -hmm. you said earlier this is exactly what the pharisees did right continue right so the pharisees are old jewish dudes who controlled everything and basically made everyone sinners by writing a bunch of crazy rules like for example the the dress no nothing other than a dress yep at the ankles. That's that's a human-made rule. That's not God's law. Right. So, but with my parents, when I was 18, my brother took me to get my first tattoo. And I hid it from my folks for the longest of time. But then I moved out of the house, continued to get tattoos, and tried to find a way to hide them from my parents because I knew that they That's needed, why you brought up tattoos. That, yeah, because it does say you shouldn't mark your skin. Do not mark you. Put I any asked, markings on your so body. I went to a Christian boarding but school. Do you, well, hang on. Do you know what the next verse is? Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to interject here okay. so you can finish it. Yeah. I'm going to set you up for the finish. So I called my Christian boarding school. I got sent off to boarding school. I was a troubled teen. My mom shipped me off. Okay. 
and um, I, I spent a year at a Christian boarding school. Okay. Years later, I called her up because I had actually hated religion, hated Christianity, hated all of it yep. until I left. Okay. And I entered the real world as an adult. And then I <laughs> yeah. started seeing all the lessons play out in front of me. And I was like, okay, this is, I'm really into this. Yeah. Like, I didn't think I was, but I am. Yep. And I called her up and I said, I want to get a bunch of tattoos that justify and praise Jesus. Sure. And somebody in my family told me it's a sin. Mm-hmm. Can you find me the verse? Mm-hmm. She called me up and she read me the verse. And I said, okay, what if those markings are a glorification to God? Because the, the quote says something about like um, your body is a manifestation and a glorification of God in physical form and you shouldn't intentionally deform it and you should take care of it. It's a temple. That's where that feminism thing they, comes they from. They talk My about it. It's a temple. A temple. Yeah. Right? Yep. yep. So, so I asked her, I said, okay, all of that's good and I understand that, but what if the tattoos are praising Jesus mm-hmm. and praising God. And she goes, now you're getting into politics, mm. liberal or conservative. Conservatives Ouch. will will literally interpret the text as is mm-hmm. and play it conservative. Liberals will read the text as is and add something to it and yeah. say, but this other verse says we're okay to do it because of. And so she... Honestly, I hate this woman. I'm not going to say her name. I'm not even going to name the boarding school. However, as much as I despise this woman, as much as I believe she might even be a demon, I believe truly 100% God spoke through her, Mm -hmm. like truly used her as a vessel and communicated directly to me and said, motherfucker, that ain't the point. Yeah. All of that doubt is in you. Yeah. That ain't my battle. I told you to take care of your body. Right. I told you to treat your body like a temple. I told you that your body is a manifestation in me, and you taking care of that body is you honoring me. Well, see, when, when people I, tell me your body is point, a temple, I prayed about that. I prayed about this, okay. right? So I took her advice. I'm bringing a Tarantino style back yeah, to what yep, you said. Yep. Pray about it, right? So I listened <laughs> to what she said. I read the verse. I looked it up. Not only did I read the verse, but I went at least two or three above it and two or three below it and read the whole thing in full context, and I prayed about it. Yep. And is what I got out of it through praying and listening was like, dude, you're not getting it. These are man's rules. Right. These are man's problems. Well, because do you remember- Men created these rules to control other men. Well, do you remember the love verse? Love me or don't love me. Yeah, Pick absolutely. One. Do you remember the verse right after the fact that it says, do not put any markings on your body? Do you, do you remember the verse that comes after that? You quote it. It talks about, do not shave your beard. A man is not supposed to shave the his trim. beard. The, yep. Okay, so. Yeah, and then it leads on again. So it starts, yeah. it starts from, it, that whole thing, if I remember, it starts head down. So it talks about not marking your body, not trimming the edges of your beard, not uh, wearing two blends um, of cloth so you can't have <laughs> cotton and wool, right? Like, like a cotton shirt. So why and wool is pants. it that why is it that modern day Christians only focus on do not put any markings on your body? What well, because it's, they're naive. Well, it, they're naive, and right now it's a cultural thing. It, it, tattoos are more widely accepted now. Than they were when we were kids. You were always told at least when in you were America, a kid. For sure, yeah. yeah. When when you were a kid, you were always told, God, if you get a tattoo, you're never gonna get a job. 
You're never going to get a job. Which is still technically true in certain industries. Yes and no. The thing about it or is Or they is say, that you can work here, but you got to always cover up your tattoos. When I go into a job interview, I wear a long sleeve shirt and I wear a tie. And I'm very articulate and I'm very confident and I know exactly what I want. And by the end of the interview, they say, do you have any questions for us? Any comments that you want to make? And I'll always say, there's one thing I want to talk to you about. And I'll say, I do have visible tattoos. Is that going to be an issue in your job setting? And they say, well, what kind of visible tattoos? And I'll always unbutton my sleeve and roll them up. They have no idea. Why? Because I'm articulate. Because I'm educated. Because I poise myself as a confident person that the tattoos are not a stigma at this point, right? I can walk into a situation and you would have no fucking idea. You have no idea I have a I have a chest piece tattoo. I have a side piece tattoo. I have full sleeve tattoos. But if I walk into a situation and I'm confident and I'm articulate and I present myself in today's job industry, if you can present yourself that way and they have no idea in the first place, you've already changed their mindset that they don't give a shit what you look like because you walked in and you killed this interview. Every right. year, I can walk into that interview, the job that I have right now, they had no fucking idea. Or, or I worked for a company called Starkey Hearing Technologies, and I didn't. I only told my hiring manager when I was in the interview that I had tattoos. And he said, I don't think it, it should be a problem. For the first two weeks of working there, it was in March, so it's in Minnesota. It's still a little bit chilly, wore long sleeve shirts. And I remember the first fucking uh, job setting that we had when we were around a table and we're going over documentation and I reached across the table. My fucking long sleeve pulled up past my long sleeve or my tattoos. And I remember the chick that was sitting across the table. I saw her eyes. They widened and then she was like, you know, she gave me this look like, oh, my God. She wanted to fuck you. (laughs) 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 But it was funny, man, because I guess that's an older demographic that, that, you know, that's that stigma is still in their mentality. But it's still the same way with modern day Christians. Like my mom and dad to this day, 100 percent believe that I'm going to hell because I have tattoos. I there's, mean, dude, here's the thing is like, there's I, no saving me. I'm pretty sure 99% of us are going to hell regardless of anything God, we say gonna, or do. It's going to be a party. Like, it's almost like that show, The Good Place. <laughs> yeah. I know you know what, what I'm talking that. about? Yeah, my wife like, watches it's, it. I it's know. It's almost like there's a mathematical equation. Yeah. And based on the world we live in today, it's impossible to be an actual good person. We're seeing this through cancel culture. Like, <laughs> yeah. dude, the greatest human beings that we've ever known of are now being looked at as horrible being racist terrible people. individuals. We're we're literally creating an Orwellian future where Thank only, you. only perfect people survive and there are no perfect I people. J- just brought up nineteen forty eight this week. Eighty four. Uh, no, nineteen or nineteen eighty four. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. written in forty eight. Excuse me. I know it's nineteen eighty four because it that's is nineteen eighty four. Well, <laughs> that's but the only I, ju- reason I, I just brought up nineteen eighty four. No, I, I just real, did. You're absolutely right. This is an Orwellian society. And, and it's, it, dude, face crimes. The fucking. Big the, Brother? Yeah, dude, Big Brother, the face crimes with the kid, the fucking Covington kid. 
who fucking like we thought he was an asshole racist little shit who wasn't <laughs> respecting native american veterans oh yeah, yeah. And we found out like he was just standing there and a bunch of people swarmed him yeah and he, dude and i looked at that kid in retrospect in context and i was like but what was the first thing you thought when you saw that fucking video i was like he seems like a disrespectful little shit i'm gonna kill that motherfucker no 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 i i i a lot of my friends said that. A lot of my friends are quoted felt, as saying he has a punchable face. Yeah, absolutely. You felt angry though because you're like, I just, I just what said are you like, doing dip shit. I literally said, and you can look this up on Facebook. I said he definitely seems like a disrespectful little shit. <laughs> like that's what I said. However, what a smug little fuck. One, exactly. Yeah. Once I seen the full scope of things, I went, oh, that's an awkward little kid yeah. who has no fucking idea how he's supposed to look or right. stand. He, he has just, no practice. He just has an and asshole if I face. was his age, I would probably have not handled that situation better. I would have probably handled that situation worse. Probably. Like, if I would have tried to, like, get into it, people would have been like... Oh, he's mocking him because he's trying to dance to the music. <laughs> right. Like, there's nothing you can do in that situation where the media is not going to vilify. Uh, absolutely. It's a so I've been a victim of that, dude. I've, I've done it. I've I've prejudged. I've overjudged. I've gone too far and looked at people and said, "Hey, man, you know, you're doing this, that, and the other thing." And now, like six months, two years later. As we've seen all these things unfold in context, I'm right. quickly realizing like we're being programmed to make snap judgment decisions. God, that is that is a brilliant way of putting it. And like put people in boxes. Yeah. Like what we're being and again, I keep talking about we, they and programmed to fear each other. So like, yes, I'm gonna flat out admit. I believe in a lot of conspiracy theories. I love conspiracy theories. I believe dude. in a lot of them. I don't give a shit. I, I believe in a lot of them. Yeah. But I also know most of them are bullshit. Yeah. But most of them are bullshit. Yeah. The world isn't fucking flat. I'm sorry, you guys. Go fuck yourself. You don't understand physics or science. Literally, they taught us how to do this shit. Me and Zach in our generation, they brought us to soccer fields and had us do angle experiments with shadows so we could do calculations. So they didn't tell us the world was round. They showed us how to figure it out because they showed us how to cross-check the science. That happened in fourth fucking grade. Because y'all aren't being taught that in fourth grade doesn't mean we're fucking wrong. And doesn't common, mean we're deceived. And it common means that y'all haven't been taught shit. Fuck itself. Yeah, common for real, math man. is a fucking joke. For real, man. Like I'm, st I'm tired of people younger than me or even my age trying to tell me that math and science aren't fucking real. Like, dude, get over yourself. Like, yeah. like it's provable. That's why it's math and science. It's because if you know how to do the algorithm, you can cross-check me and tell me I'm wrong. And if you come to the same answer, and then another guy, and another guy, and another guy, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, come to the same mathematical equation that the world is approximately 250,000 miles in circumference dude, <laughs> eat your own ass if you don't want to believe that shit i'm tired of it dude I'm however pretty sure my ass tastes like shit dude i don't know what my ass tastes like but i See heard my I cum that? tastes pretty good <laughs> <laughs> been eating a lot of pineapple and i like it. I it's mostly mountain dew and beer but i'm just saying oh, i don't know my own ass i've only had my salty. asshole eaten once once what was his name her name <laughs> is going to remain confidential, but it's all right if it was a he. It's all right. It wasn't a okay. It wasn't a he. Okay. <laughs>
I'll explain this. I'm not that homophobic. Here's the reality. Off camera. All right. Off hold camera. on. Hold on. We got to get back to the main because okay. I keep forgetting. I leave it on you because you're my guest. Hi. Most of this has been on you, by the way. Oh, then. You've been beautiful, by the way. <laughs> oh, you. So here's the deal. I don't want to hear any fucking shit. Go fuck yourself. I'll beat anyone's ass. I don't care how fucking big you are. You can be 6'8", 280 pounds. I'm still winning that fight. Go fuck yourself. Here's the deal. Yes, when I was a child, I fooled around with dudes. I explored my sexuality. I'm 100% straight. I know it. We're not questioning it. Get over it. I'm, not, I'm done talking about it. We'll never talk about this again. That's it. That's it. We're <laughs> can, done. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Uh, you keep talking about uh, flat earthers and stuff like that. Oh, it's pissing me off. Do you know anybody that's a flat earther? Several. Would, like, actually, would, how, a how would How would that conversation amount. go if you had them on a podcast? How would that conversation go? Would you Would you be open to have a, a, an honest conversation? I I you don't think you could? I can't because here's why. Okay. Unlike any other conspiracy, yeah. there's verifiable verifiable 100% concrete scientific and physics involved sure entire industries but like but, like, but aren't you in the least bit interested to to know why the fuck yeah. they're so deep rooted oh, yeah, in dude, this idea i went idea? down that rabbit hole about so so let me oh i, I i'm curious I my wife. man i want to talk to somebody I that's never, like i never ah, knew this you. existed until i met my wife okay about 5 years ago okay I'm about 30, 31 years old, and uh, she says something about the Flat Earth Society at a bar. Me and a bunch of buddies are hanging out, and we all look at and her. And at this point, like, you didn't know shit about it. No one knew okay. shit about it. Okay. No one in Minnesota knew anything about, in the music scene, in the music, in our world, we had never heard of the Flat Earth. Okay. This is how ahead of the curve my wife was. And she goes, dude, <laughs> you don't know this? And we all look at her and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she goes, dude, there's something called the Flat Earth Society. There's an entire group <laughs> of people that truly believe the world is flat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you got to be fucking with me. This has got to be a joke. Yeah, She's what is like, this? No, 14, dude. 1493? She goes, no, dude. <laughs> no, dude. Like, I've never, still to this day, my wife has never made a more serious face than when she was telling me there's people that believe the Earth, Earth I, is flat. I want to... My, bro so my brother kind of believes it. Okay, so I, I YouTube this. Yeah. And because I'm so conspiracy-oriented, okay, yeah. and, yep. and we'll tie this to Tarantino this properly, Yeah, we're going we're gonna to tie this back to the riots for conspiracies, okay? Damn, you're going deep. Okay, well, we're going to bring it back okay. to what we talked about a while right. ago. Well, now we have a starting point and an end point, so, and I like this. So, first of all, I'm so deep on conspiracies, Conspiracies have to fit a profile, like like a like a like a police detective investigating a serial killer. Okay, you we have, need to you have, have motive, motive. Yep. opportunity, and there's another one that I can't remember. Motive, opportunity, and cause, or cause and effect, something like that. I, whatever. Right? Maybe that's motive. So with know. conspiracies, the actual formula is simply money, okay, and then ability. Usually, right? yeah. So with Flat Earth Society, it didn't make any fucking sense from the beginning. So I went, okay, I got to figure out how this conspiracy started and where it's coming from. Okay. So I spent, and this is actually how I discovered the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, no shit. This is Swear a fucking deep rabbit hole. Swear to God. Went into. So I typed into YouTube, Flat Earth okay. Theory. All right. And immediately I got a, a snippet 
of Joe Rogan and Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about flat earth. And I found it so fascinating. I was like, I need to, I need to hear all of this. Like I, it shouldn't have ended right there. It was like a 20 minute clip. So I found the Joe Rogan podcast. I listened to that whole podcast and was so entranced by that podcast. I went and searched his entire library for any, any celebrity I found interesting. Is is Neil a flat earther? No. Or was he just explaining what people's. No, he was, he was explaining why flat earthers are idiots. Okay. All right. Right. Fair enough. So, so I looked that one up. I watched that one. Then I went back and watched a bunch of random Joe Rogan podcasts because I was like, this is fucking cool. And I listened to all his shit with like James Hetfield and some other. I think yeah. James Hetfield was the second podcast okay. of Joe Rogan's I listened to. I first found the full version of Neil deGrasse Tyson, then listened to James Hetfield, and then reversed myself up and down Joe Rogan's rabbit hole, but kept going down. And basically, when I re- researched, in every ability I had, bro, to figure out this fucking flat earth rabbit hole. <laughs> I figured it's based, I, I realized it's based on two things. It's based on two things. Okay. Horrible. And I can't emphasize horrible enough. Misrepresentation and misunderstanding of Bible verses combined with really a one hundred percent lack of ability to do math or physics well hang on a second back 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 up just a second what bible verses are they using to say that the earth is flat i don't understand the core of flat earth is based in bad biblical theory really i didn't realize that this was a religious thing 100 percent. and it pisses (laughs) what and it pisses me off because it makes christians look like goddamn neanderthals well, they quote shit like the earth is fixed on two pillars oh, and is a disc. No. Okay, well, here's the deal. Think about this. If you're, if you're just past Neanderthal, mm-hmm. I'm talking brain size. Yeah. So you're human. Yep. But we don't have established language. You don't understand the difference between a circle or a sphere. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You've never seen a sphere. It's just a circle. You've never seen a sphere. Yeah. It's just this. I have this. Right. But and and at best you've seen this. Yep. You've seen uh maybe a rock that's been rounded slightly. Yep. In pr- it, dude. Spheres are incredibly rare. Like we don't there's no natural spheres. Like we didn't have spheres in this world until we created plastics sure. or cannonballs, really. Sure. <laughs> yeah, probably. Right? Like like we the ball is a rare thing. Yeah. So you don't have the ability as a fucking just past Neanderthal if you really do according to biblical if you really did get pulled up to heaven, shown everything from the top. And you're looking at the globe. You're just looking at a flat surface. You're looking at a circle. That's what they're thinking. And you're seeing it spin on two fucking pillars like this. To me, that looks like a globe. To me, (laughs) when I read that same fucking book, that looks like they're pointing out the North and South Pole. But these idiots read it like this. Two pillars with a (laughs) disc on top. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm glad that you. I'm glad you're clarifying this because I had no idea that it was that. Dude, bad. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not done. Then they claim that if you read the Bible properly, that the Earth is hollow. 
And at the North Pole, there's a hole. And if you go into that hole, you will find the literal Garden of Eden, where there is an entire society of people that are immortal. This is my religion. It sounds like Scientology. Are, are, it is a fucking joke. Are you? It's got to be fake. It's got to be people who are trolls who looked at our religion, took a bunch of bullshit, threw it on fucking 4chan, and I got a bunch of people to I'm believe. I'm having a hard time believing what you're saying is true. Dude, that people actually believe this is that the, this is true. This is the actual heart. I'm having, a, I'm having a tough time believing that. This is the actual heart of the Flat Earth Society movement. Is that is that the globe theory is anti-God and anti-Christian because they're trying to get you to abandon God and believe in science, which isn't real. And it's all a deception to bring Satan into the world, which again, there's actually some validity to that, right? Like mm. the more you depend on technology and science and the less you depend on self and God and nature, the more disconnected you become from our spiritual connectedness and the more right, materialized right. you become. But, so again, they've this, taken true teachings, yeah. twisted it. It's the same. And it, spun it into shit same, like if you believe the world is round, you're a Satanist. Well, yeah, my parents believe hey, that wait a any, minute, what? any Democratic president Your is going to. Your parents don't believe the earth is flat. Uh, not that I, I hope not. I haven't talked to them But you said that. your parents believe that. What do you say? No, my brother-in-law believes that. But you're saying your parents believe that. Are you talking about the technology thing I referenced? No, no, no. I'm saying I hope my parents don't believe oh, the flat earth I thing. misunderstood you. I misunderstood yeah, no, 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 no. I hope that my parents don't believe that, but. I mean, they buy into a lot of stupid fucking shit, man. Don't don't get me wrong, but I, I, wow, I didn't know that it went that deep Dude, with, with the really flat bad. Earth shit. It's like really I, I, I thought that people just wanted to believe that it was flat Earth, which is odd to me when I lay out in in an open field and I look at the sky and I watch the way that it has this fucking curve to it, right? How can I not believe that the fucking planet that I'm living on? is spherical how can you not believe that when you're fucking sitting on the grass and it does they don't understand this. gravity they think when you're on the bottom of the planet you should fall into space Bang. they don't understand that space is three-dimensional so i want to so the earth is creating a convex you said you have friends that believe in this yes like literally i would say can you get them on a podcast and i just want to i don't want be to a, i want to be a fly no, on the wall i, I don't, just dude i, I, I don't have a conversation i'm not with trying them. to dude i'm not trying to put these people on blast and humiliate them man no but, 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 but but like we were talking about before when it comes to political or religious beliefs and just having a conversation it's not necessarily that they're here to change your mind. Like, I just want to hear they, a viewpoint. They're unreasonable when it comes to facts. So, so let me be here for that. I, dude, please, I'm telling, I'm, you, I'm telling you, please get like, this. Like I've talked to them. I'll be your co-host, I, and I will, I, I will be a huge maybe. Dude, dickhead. maybe we should do it because, like, at the end of the day, like I'm saying this from a point of sincerity. Like I've talked to them, and they they say things like people who are anti-religion say so they go yeah. they go you don't know that you're trusting other people who said that math works and then i go <laughs> no and i go i go no 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 uh, no 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 in fourth grade they brought us out to the soccer field <laughs> they taught which us was, this. which was they nine, us. nine soccer fields long yeah so we had miles 
to work with at yeah. least one mile. Yeah. And they showed us how to do this equation. And they go, you're lying. And I go, okay, that's hard to argue with because, <laughs> I mean, you just don't. And then I go, I went to space camp twice. I went to space camp and then I went to space academy. That's how big, big of a fucking nerd I was because I wanted to be a goddamn astronaut. So my yeah. aunt, or not my aunt, my grandma sent me to space camp. And then sent me to Space Academy, where we actually hung out and trained with real astronauts. Right. Because they're grooming future astronauts. Right. I dropped out because I found out if you ever did acid, they do a spinal tap and you're disqualified from NASA. I've done acid. So I realized, like, I should probably <laughs> stop wasting my time with that route. So <laughs> I was like 15. Of all the, of I was all like, the things you dropped out for. Dude, I was like 15. Uh, I was like 15, and they said that shit. Uh, and I was like, well, no, I I'm do out. Acid. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm out. I think I was the only 15 year old in that room who could actually be like, I've done uh, acid. <laughs> And it was funny because as soon as I fucking, as soon as I said that uh, I, in my head, I was like, "Well, I'm out." I also thought, you. I also thought, "Well, that's fucking bullshit." Because because I've done acid, I can definitely distinguish between what's real and not real. <laughs> and y'all motherfuckers <laughs> who've never done acid have no idea what it's like uh, to trip. You fucking clown, dude. Only put people in, in in NASA who've done acid. Do me a favor, please. I want you to get somebody in this chair. I will sit right here. I will. I will. I will. I will sign up for that. <laughs> I will be your co-host because like, right. I, if I, I can I, find a flat earther who has the balls to come on. But dude, I just want to have a conversation. I don't. I, I don't really want to argue. I they, just want to hear their perspective because this is all news to me. I've never gone down the rabbit hole. I've never really dug into this conspiracy of what flat Earth means to somebody and they why just, they, they believe really, in it so it fervently. Really boils down to them not believing in math and science. Which is the core of it, and here's the irony, because where we started off with is, like, people taking their addiction from drugs, like yeah. your dad, yep. and finding a new addiction in religion. Yeah. I find people that take that addiction to religion, right, mm -hmm. and even though they don't believe in God, they take that fervor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they apply it to science it's a passion they have to apply that passion to something whether we're talking covid or we're talking global warming or we're yep. talking the goddamn fucking uh uh flat earth society yeah the problem is is that when people become you want to be vegan that's a religion now now yeah being a musician is a religion yeah like everything we do now is being literally like religiousized we should be tax exempt then right like like it's so bizarre because people oh, dude people believe in things so crazily mm -hmm. that they're willing to ignore science and math yeah. for example the world is flat number mm -hmm. two there's no biological difference between a man and a woman well yeah. scientifically that's wrong like i respect your ability and your and your freedom and your, to cut off choice. your dick yeah. and call yourself a chick, and I will call you fucking uh, Zena. You you don't want to be Zach anymore. You want to be Zena. I'll call you fucking Zena. You want to be referred to as a she? I'll call you a fucking she. Because that's your dope. freedom. You I'm down with me, that. Yeah, you can call me Zena from here. Don't fucking out. tell me that there's no biological difference between Zena and Zach. Sure. Like, like. Actually, that's a terrible example because that's literally the same person, and there is no biological difference between Zena and Zach. But to say there's no difference biologically between a man and a woman 
is horrendously offensive to women and to men. Like it yeah. just it just is. Yeah. No, because no, here's I, the I, thing, I understand. man. Like everything we know about science mm-hmm. and facts say that men and women are one hundred percent different. Mm-hmm. We think differently. We feel differently. We process our thoughts and emotions differently. Mm-hmm. We're built differently. Men have more dense muscle mass. Women have an easier ability to store fat for energy consumption. There's so many biological differences between the two genders or race or sexes that it's offensive to everyone to ignore that science. Right. That's how I feel about the flat earther. Right. Like, dude, this science is so fucking sound and so easily rep, uh, 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 re-applyable. I, I'm forgetting the term because we've been drinking. But, like, you can replicate this data. Well, let's look at it like this. The world is not it's, fucking flat. It's as easy as this. We have technology in the palm of our hands, which are drones, that will go above our fucking stratosphere. Uh, look at uh, DJI Mavic Pro. Dude, I want one so fucking that, bad. DJI, yeah, if you somehow stumble across this, I swear to God. Fucking DJI, promote. send me a Mavic Pro. Send me a Mavic Pro. Two. And I'll figure out. Yeah, send me two of them. <laughs> send me two of them. And I'll figure out how to somehow incorporate it into my fucking podcast. I'll give you free promos. Right up in here. But that yeah, shit. Yeah, we'll fly it that, right there. That shit will fucking go miles and miles above where we're. And if you've ever seen the, when they go that high. Everything in your fucking view goes like this, and it rounds off because it's going so high that the stratosphere and the skyline and everything starts to round off. It isn't because the fucking camera is warping Dude. or anything like that. We're on a fucking sphere. And all our Christ phones sake. with GPS and and the ships and the fucking years, hundreds of years of hardcore navigation tactics that all depend on the world being round. Star patterns, fucking do everything. You're looking at the wrong history books. Have you you you've seen you haven't seen the history books where all those ships fall off the side of the earth, dude? Oh, they, they, they oh, it ex- you're right. <laughs> it oh, exists. You're right. It's out there. <laughs> all right, fuck. All right, yeah. uh, dude. Let's let's wrap this up. But yeah. I want to I want to talk about one thing. So we've yeah. been talking about music and the struggle of the industry and like all this shit. And we've been flirting around. We've been drinking. We've been having a lot of fun. Let's focus this up on something super relevant, super current. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about what what's the name of the company again? Cool Story Creative. Okay, so Cool Story Creative. The reason I don't know that fucking name is because he just came up with it. Yeah, and I when did. I bought these coasters from him, uh, there was no name yet. Um, I'm going to have to switch this. Hold on. So, Zach, I want you to talk just real quick about how and why. I mean, we briefly covered this earlier. Yeah. Yep. So be as detailed or as vague as you want. Sure. Care. But Zach created these fucking, and he didn't start with these coasters. He started with uh, these light boxes. Yep. Doing woodworking, and he didn't have a CNC. These were made with CNC machines, which, uh, if people don't know, CNC is uh, basically a machine that can take a drawing or a pattern, and it's going to be accurate and consistent to within one thousandth of one inch. Over and over and over again. So the the it's not like Zach sat down and personally carved, carved yeah. each letter, but he still created the template 
and the artwork for it. And here's the thing, man, is like the reason I'm, I want to support you in this venture is because I saw something that reminded me of me and Eric Keys and other what I'm calling current innovators, which are people, whether they wanted to or not, because of COVID, because our bands failed, whatever the situation is, we didn't just give up and conform. Right. You know, we figured out, hey, man, I got something to offer. I'm going to do this. And then we did it. And not only did we do kind of doing it. Right. We're going hard in the paint. Right. We're buying the equipment. Yep. We're getting our shit tight. Why wood? Why did you start with wood? <sighs> well, okay. So it starts off when I was, uh, when I got back from tour with Coal Kingdom and Shinedown, I was fucking broke. But I still had a family to support. I had a mortgage to make. I had car payments to make. And I started as an electrician apprentice, right? Making fucking dirt wages. And I was at a job site one day, and I saw this huge fucking piece of glass in the dumpster. Holy shit, why would you throw that away? And so I went into the dumpster, and I started pulling this fucking thing out. Because in my mind, I was like, I could do something with this. I don't know what it is that I don't I don't know what I have in my mind. So but you didn't have a, a I, previous history with woodworking? Nope. Not at all. Oh no shit. Nope. Jesus Christ. Not at all. Oh my god, dude. It's like you being like, I'm gonna start a band. No, I don't know how to play guitar. <laughs> no, I, I had no idea, but when I but when I was working as an electrician, I was given all of these pieces of tempered glass that they were throwing away because they were miscut for the job. And if you know anything about tempered glass, you can't recut tempered glass. So they were going to throw it all away. So I had these large pieces of glass. I was like, well, fuck. I had this idea. So, I was like, so you can't recut tempered glass. Like, like, so if you got a sheet shatters. that's like six by six, you can't cut it down mm. to three by two. No shit. It, it just okay. shatters. And it's like a, it's think about it like a windshield. If you fucking smash a windshield, it just goes, Sure. To a million different pieces. Okay. Tempered glass is designed for safety reasons. Gotcha. For that. So, so I had a, so they were just throwing all this shit away, and in my head, I was like, God, those would make really cool shadow boxes, you know? Because I've I've seen shadow boxes, and I was like, Well, I have a cool idea, but I don't know how to implement it. Well, I sat on all these different pieces of glass forever, and they were in my garage. Didn't do a goddamn thing with them, but I had this idea of what I wanted to do. Then I got furloughed in March. And I was like, well, I'm fucking bored. I got nothing better to do. What were you doing for work? I work as uh, for an electrical company where I do what's called arc flash study. And I go and I do uh, data collect on different pieces of uh, electrical equipment in like uh, Amazon or Target distribution centers. Oh, wow. That if, a, if, if an electrician were to open up this panel and for some reason or another it had an arc flash where it's an, uh, an electrical explosion. I do a study that tells you what kind of danger you're ah, in at okay. this panel that this does this. That's some so, pretty fucking... It sucks. It, but it's some pretty high-level intellectual shit. It is. It that is. ain't no blue-collar job. No, it's... It, it's That's a thinking man's gig. It, it is. And it's, you know, and it's a good company, and they pay me well, and I can't argue, but... In March, they furloughed me, and I, was, I took it personal, man. I've never been fucking laid off. I've never been fired from a job. And it had absolutely nothing to do with my merit of work. It just had to do with the current climate. Right. You know? Like so many of us. We yeah. lost our job because someone else said that we decided we're gonna fucking sweep right. that soup. <laughs> right. So <laughs> so I didn't know what else to do. What do I do? I'm the type of person where I cannot fucking sit still. Right. 
And I, I, I didn't want to just sit in my recording studio all day because I didn't feel productive. I love music, but it has to like come to me. I have to do it when I'm feeling inspired. Well, and there's also that, that monetary pressure. Well, and there's that too. But and, and when it came down to this cool story creative, I wasn't thinking monetary. Oh, I suppose because you're like me. You you got a little bit of unemployment with it, too. Yep. And so I okay, started with unemployment, right. and that, that was cool. You know, that was a good cushion. But for me, I have to do something that inspires me creatively. And if I don't feel inspired, then it's not going to come out with me feeling proud of it, right? So I was like, well, fuck. Got all this glass in the garage. I have a I have a vinyl cutter in my basement that I've been tinkering around with. Fucking, I'm going to start doing some weird ideas. And I started just building these different light boxes. A couple of them, I, I, I started cutting vinyl out of, like, uh, patents Dude, for headphones and shit. I wanted one of those light boxes so bad. Well, and some of them were what, what actually... And they're worth the money. Well, like, I just couldn't... They're fun and they're cool, you Dude, know? it was just the money I was spending on all of this. The timing, I, I was like, dude, I desperately need one. Because I'm, I'm you imagining... Me this. You get me this, and I'll fucking make you dude, something Dude, I'm dope. imagining that, that original light box you made, though. I'm yeah. imagining it right up there. Well, you, you like, get me this frame, kind like, of design, and I will make you something pretty fucking dude, dope. Dude, look at this, though. Look at this, though. Hold on. Hold on. Let me... Okay. So here. Yep. You see this. Right by where your guitar is back yeah, here? I'm yep. imagining one right there. Yeah, you. that's where I imagine. And it was just like, dude, I can't afford it. And then all of a sudden you, you fucking were like, dude, I'm going to do coasters. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, sold. Well, so <laughs> the funny thing is, is that, so I started with the light boxes. These are so great, by the way. I, I can't get over these. These uh, are so fucking sexy. And they're fun. And they're, dude, it's exactly my vibe. You didn't polish these. No, you I've, didn't make I've, them pretty. They got to be fucking I don't want them raw. to be pretty. It's got to be raw, these are, dude. These are so fucking Dude, I'm going to give a couple of these to my neighbors. Do it up. I've got more at my house if you want more. Did you make more of each of these yes. patterns? Yep, I've got dude, all of them. These know me ones. These know me ones. Well, I don't have any more know me. Those were specific to you. Thank you. Yep, Thank and you. nobody else is getting those unless they see them and specifically ask for them. And, but. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I didn't even see this one until now. Hold on. <laughs> you got Hold the state on. of Minnesota. Dude, this is my favorite one. Oh, my God. See, Hold this on. is what you were saying, that we got to brag about being from Minnesota, right? So. No one cares about this. No one thinks this is cool unless you're from Minnesota, and you're like, yeah, dude, that shit's fucking sick. Right, right. So cool story creative. Yep. So if I you started, guys do want these, that's where you're going to find them. And right now, he's only on Facebook, correct? That is it. Okay. Right Keep now, going. Keep going. Right Keep now, going. I'm trying to do it. Um, oh, dude, these are so great. I love them. You know, it was crazy because I, I, I started with those light boxes, and they took off. Like this MPLSTP one, if you guys saw that MPLSTP one, if you... If you know who Brad Gunnarsson is and uh, Statusphere Media, he is the guy that designed all of the MPLSTP stuff and was gracious enough to let me kind of use that design and fuck around with it, right? And that's what garnished people's attention was that they saw that MPLSTP, which stands for Minneapolis-St. Paul, all in one fell swoop. But I started doing those light boxes, and people were like, can you do this? Can you do this? And all of a sudden, I just had custom orders out of nowhere and i'm building all these light boxes and i'm backed up but all i had and that's why you had to grab that cnc well, machine all i had We're was talking a, about all minute. i had was a scroll saw and so i was cutting everything out of the scroll saw just like and it was taking and me you're following forever. your lines yep and i'm drawing it i drew it out on this wood so you must be pretty good at drawing then too then i'm not 
I'm not, but I'm good with computers. Okay. So I would I would find a way to do all of the computer aspect and like Brad has been a huge help with me when it comes to the design stuff. I know that name Brad Gunnerson. Yep. I don't know how I know he him. He actually lives with Daniel Copy now. That might be is he a photo Midwest is he a movement? photographer? Rem- yeah, wait, kind of. You remember Midwest does, Movement? Yeah, okay. He, he ran the, Midwest the CDs, Movement. Yep. The comp CDs? Yep. Does he have a? Is he dark haired? Yep. Have a like something called a beard? Like <laughs> yep. He doesn't have a beard. Yep. But he's but got he, like. But he's got the lower the facial hair. Back. You would know him. Trust me. You. Would I know think him I know exactly who you're talking about. Brad. Brad. He's thank a you shit, for man. helping. Thank you for helping Zach. Because dude, these are huge. I yeah. know these won't matter to the viewers, but these these are a huge huge addition to my podcast. Man. But it's crazy, dude. Because like those those light boxes took off, and it actually I was doing enough of them that it afforded me to buy the CNC machine, and. You know, obviously, my uh, and that's when I hit you up is when you bought yep. that CNC machine. Yep. When I you saw I you buy that CNC machine, it. I hit you up and I was like, "Dude, your shit's dope. I can't afford a light box, but dude, I want to support this. Well, like, let's figure it out. Let's get you on the podcast. Yep. Like, and I've been pressuring Zach. Zach mentioned this earlier. He doesn't have a website yet. The reason he mentioned that is <laughs> because we I about gave it him shit about <laughs> yeah, it, you and did. I said, "Dude, get your shit together." Get a fucking website because even though you'll be the first co- podcast guest because you're bringing me these coasters, like you may not be the last podcast guest, and we're gonna bring you on yep. multiple times. Yeah, we're gonna more dude, than you're, happy you're to. coming on. You're coming on over and over again because I want to see this built because yeah. there's something special about anything being carved into wood. I agree. I agree. And and not knowing a fucking thing about woodworking, dude. I it was funny we were laying I in bed just, one night my I wife said to me over these, my wife was like what are you doing I was like I'm looking at tools on Facebook marketplace and she goes what happened to you I said what he goes you used to sit in bed and look at musical instruments and shit like that and any kind of different instrument it's the that same you thing. could buy it, it absolutely is and then all of a sudden I got into this weird world of like what new tool can I get oh what is that going to do for me and now I've got and this the businessman is huge, kicking in in your head and going. What's going to increase my profitability? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How can I turn these out fast? And this is what really we're boiling it's down to with this podcast. Faster, yeah. Is what we're really boiling down in this specific podcast is two men who are musicians yeah. figuring out ways to survive without having to have a full-time job. And we're both doing it. And and that's why when I was talking to, to Keys, to Eric, yep. um, when I was talking to Eric, there's this, there's this like weird thing i feel as a bond between the three of us yeah none of us are actually friends we know each other yeah. we've known of each I'd other i'd say probably better friends with eric than you and i've had more inter- interactions like uh, i've Obviously. played in bands that we've this spent is the time first together. extended conversation, a- a conversation we've ever had <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that's obvious you and eric are obviously closer but there's a there's a personality and a, yeah. and a mindset mm-hmm. that transcends all of this yeah. And that's why I'm drawn to you because I'm I'm just as we wrap this up, I want to recap in Tarantino style back to where we started with, dude. Johnny Rook, when we're as soon as we hit done, mm-hmm. I'm going to play you one of my songs that I wrote and recorded. Okay. 3 fourths of the way through that song, the interlude kicks in and I stole your style. <laughs> All right. I could dig it. Now, I'm saying this because it's literal. Okay. And you know Jacob Nelson. Yeah. 
I played this riff for Jacob Nelson back then. And I was like, dude, check out this song I'm working on. But specifically this riff, it's a Johnny Rook riff. I've told this story to Dalton, by the way, who's, by the way, the fattest, most racist piece of shit I've ever met in my life. <laughs> uh, there's that making up stuff that we're talking about with Dalton, right? No, we're not making up. We're uh, yeah, super he, serious. He's the worst so human being fat. on the planet. He's so fat, so fat. And he's just, and he smells like shit. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And he fucks dogs. Basically, we're stealing a bunch of Burt Kreischer jokes here. You saw um, him do that. <laughs> I saw him do it. But, uh, no, so here's the deal. I play this riff for Jacob, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's totally a Dalton riff. And I looked at him, and I told this to Jacob. I told this to Jacob, so I'm not talking shit. If you don't remember this, go fuck yourself. I go, dude, you're an idiot. And he <laughs> looked at me, and he went, what? And I go, that's not a Dalton riff. I stole that from Zach Boyd. <laughs> And he goes, really? Because that sounds like a total Dalton riff. And I go, yeah, because you don't understand Dalton still have his style from Zach Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a joke. That's real. Dalton I like and I have had that conversation. I like Dal it. That's in the project I'm working on now. Okay. Dalton has worked on that riff over the top. According to my understanding, it's also Dalton's favorite riff of every single song well, of everything we've ever done. See, it's this a, one riff. And dude, I'm telling you, <laughs> when you hear it, you're going to go, oh, dude, you did rip me off. <laughs> but then you're going to give me some credit because you're going to go, you did something at the end of that riff that I never would have done. All right. I'm excited to hear it now. That's where like us as musicians... So let's 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 wrap this up back where we started. Yeah. As musicians, a lot of us start off trying to create music like we want to listen to. Mm -hmm. And then we get bored of music. Yeah. That we're listening to. And then we start trying to find new music. Mm -hmm. And it won't satiate our appetite. Mm -hmm. If you're if if you're in between these two stages, you're the kid who right now who found, I don't know, fucking let's pick a band. All that remains. Mm -hmm. You found them because somehow their song popped up on your Spotify or your iTunes. And you're going, I love this. I love this sound. I, I can't get enough of this. Let me search more. What is this band called? Metalcore? Let me find more metalcore bands to satiate the appetite for this sound. Yep. And then at some point in time in your musical evolution... You're going to get sick of that sound and you're either going to start being attracted to a sound that also exists like hip hop mm -hmm. or random pop music or blues different. or jazz, or you're going to start searching for music that you've never heard before. That's a hundred percent unique as a listener. If you start trying to find bands that don't sound like anyone you are at an intellectual creative level as a listener, just like every musician out there. Yep. Because eventually we get sick of making bands. Like when I started off, I created a band called seven months of nothing mm -hmm. and I wanted to be new metal. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be slipknot. I wanted to be corn. I wanted to be limp biscuit. I rapped a lot while yep. screaming at the top of my lungs. Yep. And I immediately got burnt out. And so I joined a band called something else. I don't remember what the fuck it was. And then <laughs> and then when I joined the band, we renamed the band. We we decided the name was going to be Solace and Ashes. Yep. 
which is like finding something beautiful within the destruction of everything or finding comfort while everything's burning around you. There's two different definitions that the band sells. Depending on who you yeah. talk to. Yeah. yeah, but we yep. like everyone in the band interpret. We all pick that name. But there because was of two the parties. connotation between yeah, yeah, but they're like five dudes separated into two groups. This is we like that name because of this is how we feel it means. Yep. One said finding solace within the ashes of your current situation, and other ones found like me the beauty and like, destruction. Like yeah, finding the the beauty within the destruction yep. and using that to build off of. Yep. Didn't matter. We right. all picked the same name. <laughs> right. Great name. Solace and ashes. Solid name. And then. I joined Dying Euphoria, which was a straight-up metalcore band. Like, mm-hmm. like Solace Nashes was more straight, pure metal. Yep. And then we started to flirt with that hardcore. Yep. Because the Midwest hardcore after the burial started to blow up. Yeah. And the guys asked me as the singer and the de facto leader. I didn't want to be the leader, but I was driven. I was like you. I was business-oriented. I came to rehearsal with a task list. You just lead. Yeah, like, like dude, we need to do all of this. Like, who's going to do this? And then I'd assign things and be like, who wants to do this? Okay, you want to, oh, you, okay, you're cool with updating the MySpace page? Cool. Okay, you're on top of Facebook? Okay, I'll continue to book shows. Okay, you're going to do this? Who's going to do flyers? Who's going to? Yep. That's why. They look to you. Yeah, you're But that's literally also why I got kicked out of that band. Oh, I've been there too. Quote, quote, I got kicked out of the band for quote, you come to rehearsal with a list of things that need to get done every day, and you won't leave until all of those things are assigned oh, to someone. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And then I was like, well, that's what we got to do to succeed. And the guys were like, well, we think we might be cool with being a local band and not hey. succeeding. And I was like, okay, cool. There's no hard feelings then. Like, I'm not in this band anymore. Right. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Because they wanted to kick me out anyways. And yeah. then when they put it that way, I was like, okay, I'll just leave. You don't even have to kick me out. I'll just quit. Yeah. Like, for real. Like, if that's if that's what the deal is, like, I'm not even <laughs> fighting for this anymore. I'll right. just leave. Right. Like, I don't want to be in this band if this is the way the band is going. Cool. Right. So I always said I quit Solace and Ashes. And they say they kicked me out. And it's only been in the last five years that I've just been like, yeah, they kicked me out. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But they kicked me out or tried to kick me out. I resisted until they explained their motives. And then I was like voluntarily willing to leave. Okay, I'm cool. And there was no animosity. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, cool. We're not on the same page anymore. Thank you for... It's like being a bad girlfriend, right? Or, right. Or dating right. a bad girlfriend. Like... I'm glad I figured this out now before we got Look, married. Look, I just want to cheat on you. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, thank God I figured this out now. <laughs> yeah, right. So <clears throat> we all go through this fucking thing where we're trying to do something. <sighs> we're trying to, like, force a square peg into a round hole, so to speak. I love that. That's the way that Dillinger Escape Plan uh, talks about their music. Yeah. And yeah. as musicians, we slowly, and, the, and this is kind of where I'm, I'm ending this whole thing, is, like, you didn't do it deliberately. And kind of you've inspired it. me specifically, dude. I started playing guitar at 12 years old. You gotta yeah. understand, I've been doing this for well over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I've only been playing drums since I've been like 23. Okay. Most people tell me I'm a vastly better drummer than a guitar player. Okay. Like it's kind of insulting. <laughs> like I'm okay. gonna be honest. Like I take a lot of compliments in the fact that, like, yes, I'm a pretty fucking baller ass drummer. Yeah. However. Come on. I've, I've got 10 years into guitar. Right, right. 
above and beyond everything I've done on drum. It's right. borderline insulting. <laughs> right. But I had to like come through this like Zach dude it was like a 20 year curve mm -hmm. of coming out of a new metal band yeah then like a wannabe hardcore band that wasn't hardcore trying to fit in with the after the burial movement which we never did we never ever ever did anything great band but then all of a sudden i started or I joined dying euphoria metalcore to its epitome yep kill switch engage ripoff lamb of god fucking shadows fall the whole the whole Boston. Yep. Then all of a sudden, I got some. And I was actually on a small weekend warrior tour with Dying Euphoria. And I woke up in the van. They must have been playing like a rock station in the background because Jet was in my head. Or oh, ACDC. I okay. can't even tell you which band. But it was Jet or ACDC. It was one of those like straight up original rock bands. Yeah. With the most boring drums you've ever heard. Yep. And I bass, literally. Snare. Bass. Snare. I, bass. Dude, snare. I woke up out of a sleep and said, dude, I want to start a rock band and play drums. And Jeremy was in the front seat and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, how fucking arrogant are you? And I went, what? Because I had just woken up. Yeah. I didn't even realize I said this out loud. And he goes, you're going to be fucking 24 years old and start a rock band. You don't even know how to play drums. <laughs> And, Who and, gives a shit? and I like, I was still like half awake and I'm like, and I don't think any of this matters. Like, this is what I want to do now. Like I'm done. And I didn't say this out loud, but in my head, I was like, I'm done with this band. Yeah. I don't want to be in this metal band anymore. I want to be in a rock band. And then all of a sudden I started thinking about it and I was like, I don't even want to sing anymore. I, I was going through this horrible breakup and I, I told her. I said, <laughs> this is so cliche, but it was actually super true. Like, if anybody ever writes a movie about me, <laughs> this is one of the most important parts of the movie. I got my heart broken so bad, I literally told this girl, like, I'll never sing again. Okay. And I never did. Oh, really? Like, wow. I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating, dude. It's been like 12 <laughs> years. The last time I went on stage with a microphone in my hand was to fill in for Dying Euphoria. Oh, really? Yeah, because okay. they were in a bad spot and they needed a last-minute vocalist. So Eric's now the singer of Dying Euphoria. Yep. But before they settled on Eric, they hit me up. I filled in. We did one show up fucking somewhere in the suburbs. I can't even remember anymore. St. Cloud. No, no, no. <laughs> like suburbs. Like I think it was Fridley. Okay. I think it was that old, uh, what's that club in Fridley on University? What is now Pickle Park? Or uh it was Route Pickle 47. Park. Yeah, yeah. I think that's and the spot. GB Layton. I think that's literally the spot. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was just wild because I remember sitting in that van, like driving to a show. I think in South Dakota. Okay. And I remember going, "I'm done." Yeah, I'm done with this. That's a weird. I'm feeling. not into this anymore. It's a weird like, feeling when that turns. And it was it was one of those things where it was like, it's not necessarily the people in the band. But I'm definitely over these people. Yeah. Like in and in, in whatever's like like I don't have any problems with Jeremy Blake as a human being, sure. as a person. Sure. But I had at the time major issues with being in a band with him because yeah. of how we looked at things. Yeah. And how we looked at scenarios and what was important and what wasn't important. And yep. I'm not gonna say he was wrong. I'm gonna say we had different value systems. Sure. And so I remember sitting there. 
I don't want to be in a fucking metalcore band. This music is dead. This yeah. genre is dead. Like we are dead. This is over. And I, I literally sat there and closed my eyes and continue, continued to listen to this shitty rock station. And I said, I'm going to create a rock band, but I want metal drums. Because listen to ACDC, listen to Jet. What's the problem? The drums are boring. Yeah, and I well. said, I'm going to. And then I created this literally out of nowhere. I'm like, I'm going to create a fucking rock band. So I went and jammed with a coworker at a bill collection agency. Right? Nice. And uh, I had already been kicked out of Dying Euphoria by this point. And uh, I sat down and I leaned back with John and I was like, John, I've heard your demos. You're pretty good. You want to start a fucking real band? And he's like, yeah, I'm down. And we're like leaning back in our cubicles, communicating down the line. I'm down. Like, all right, I got an idea. I want to sound like this. But what I described didn't exist. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. Yeah, Again, yeah. We're Tarantino. We're bringing this full circle. I described a sound to him that didn't exist. Here's the thing. John took an old song he wrote on acoustic guitar. Yep. And understood what I said. We triple timed it. Fuck double timing it. We triple timed that <laughs> motherfucker. The beat was this. Doing it. Doing it. Doing it. That simple. Yeah. And I was like, that's what I have in my head. Just upbeat, in your ass, fuck you. Yep. And he goes, I have that riff. Dude, in literally 20 minutes, we wrote our first. Sounded like shit. I had no idea how to play drums. I had no idea how to fucking play drums. It was the worst fucking recording on the planet. Sure. My buddy comes back in from out of town. We go to watch Batman Begins in the middle of the fucking day because I happen to have a baller-ass job where I could be like, fuck you guys, I'm leaving for three hours yeah. to watch a movie. I play him the demo, and I'm like... And he's like, I'm super into <laughs> I'm super into this. Dope. It's the worst-sounding demo on the planet. Yeah. He's like, dude, I'm into this. Cool, you're going to manage it. Yeah. Can't find a bass player. Every bass player sucks. So I call him up. This is Kevin Sullivan, by the way. Yeah. And I call Kevin and I'm like, dude, why don't you come play bass for the tyrants? Oh, by the way, that's the other thing is once we had that one song, once we had that one song written, I'm standing in the shower, not showering and uh, (laughs) listening to Tenacious D, listening to Tenacious D. And as I'm not showering in the shower, I listen to this album and I start thinking of the word tenacious and I'm thinking about band names. It's weird that and you're I'm not like, showering and thinking about tenaciously. Yeah, yeah, I got you. And I'm and I'm like and I'm like tenacious, and all of a sudden tyrannical. Tyrant. That's our band name. I hit up Kevin. Kevin's like, were Dude, you able to finish right at that point? Then when you at when that you exact came, moment. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm a tyrant. Oh, this is the best shower. Oh, my hair's so clean. Oh, there's no water out of the shower. Oh, we ran out of hot oh, water. I'm just gonna waffle stomp this down. So, so straight up, no lie. Kevin shows up, and when I call him, I go, "I want you to come play bass for my band." He goes, um, "What are you talking about?" And I go, "Listen." Just fill in until we find a real bass player. And he goes, that's cool, but um, you know I don't know how to play bass, right? 
And uh, I go, I go, Dah, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and I hung up the phone. I hung up on him. Dah, you'll figure it out. Click. <laughs> he shows up at rehearsal and he plays bass like a guitar player. Not like strumming, not all it's over the all place. All four strings together strumming. No, oh, no, okay. No, it's it's he became the melody. John became the rhythm. Yeah. So John, our guitar player, started becoming the rhythm section. Yeah. And Kevin started becoming the the melodies and the harmonies. <laughs> and it gave our band a color that couldn't be replicated. So remember when we talked about earlier, like, let's be honest. Yeah. You and James are Johnny Rook. Everyone else is replaceable. The tyrants, you get rid of one of us. That band's done. Well, the funny thing about that is that Dan is actually one of the best metal guitarists I've seen. That's sure. the basis of Johnny Rook. Probably. That makes sense. He didn't play bass guitar before Johnny Rook. Johnny Rook was the first band that he, and that was because the drummer at that time, they were high school friends, and they played in another band together called Muffler Chump. And he called him and was like, hey, I want you to play bass for this project. And Dan came over figuring that he was just going to fill in for a while. To this day, Dan still is still the, the bassist of Johnny Rook. Dude, but and that's he wild. adds a whole weird element. It's Dude, weird. And it's wild how those things, because where I, where I started with this as we're wrapping this up is that like Kevin, the reason I called Kevin is because Kevin already with me personally had a reputation as being a bad ass hip hop producer. Yeah. Like Kevin would I remember make some that beats. actually about Kevin. Dude, Kevin would make some beats. I don't even fucking like hip hop. And Kevin <laughs> would make some beats where I'm like, dude, that's fucking dope. Yeah. Right? So I'd fucking hit him up under the assumption like hey man just come in and write bass lines like you're a great songwriter and musician you'll figure it out yeah whether you know how to play this instrument i don't give a fuck right dude i don't know how i did it but i took literally what was in my head and i got two other musicians randomly and luckily to figure it out with you to just do it yeah authentically organically yeah and that band was arguably the least successful band I've ever been in. <laughs> yeah. Hands down the best band I've ever been in. Yeah. It still to this day breaks my actual heart that the tyrants aren't still a thing. Because, dude, we were basically a higher octane, upbeat version of Royal Blood. Okay. Five years before Royal Blood was What's Royal Blood. Yeah. We were a metal version of Green Day. Okay. We were a punk rock version of... Oh, dude, I, I just can't... I'll play some shit for you as, okay. we, as we wrap this up and we leave yeah. here. Dude, I'm telling you, man, like, most of this shit, the reason all of this matters as we wrap this up is because, dude, I want to tell you on camera, yeah. on my own podcast, you specifically inspired me to do these things. <laughs> like literally Thanks, sitting back, literally sitting back yeah. and reflecting methodically and intentionally. I referenced Johnny Rook, whether it's your physical sound and how I ripped it off as I play guitar in this one song. And I'm going to show you that riff. Yeah. Or it was the philosophy and the unique, creative, independent vision that gave me the inspiration to start the tyrants. It doesn't matter. Well, that's like cool. I we're peers, that. bro. Yeah, absolutely. I don't necessarily look up to you, but I have a hard time as a peer looking at you like 
because you've inspired me so much to literally change the way I write music. <laughs> it's a fucking, it's a hard thing to say. And, and I think it's cool in these podcasts and in these moments where we can have these moments of humility because yeah. me feeling this way as a peer, yep, as somebody who is, I wouldn't say has the same level of success, but like you said, it's debatable. Like, You've done an incredible job of inspiring your peers, sure. not just a bunch of 12 year old play guitar. And I think that's really fucking cool, really unique. And I think you need to appreciate it. I think whether you know it or not, you need to understand that there's literally a thousand weird band and you've changed. Well, thanks man. I, I, you know what? I, uh, I will accept that with uh, as much grace and humility as I can, because you know it's that's a it's a weird thing to hear. You know, I mean, I it, it's one of those things that it's tough to hear when you don't necessarily. That's not what I'm striving for, you know. But when when you actually hear somebody that goes, "Dude, like your guitar playing changed the way that I approach my guitar playing," and I go. I don't know whether to apologize or accept that as a compliment because it's a compliment, it, bro. you know, but that's really cool, you know, and I appreciate that, man. It's, Absolutely, uh, dude. It's it's and it's, it's sincere, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of dudes like me who don't have this ability to get you into their studio, sure. and have a fucking four hour conversation. <laughs> Is that how long it's been? At least, goddamn, at least, All and right. and and like. Dude, this is this is just really cool, and I thank you for coming on, being Absolutely. my first guest this time. This is the 2.0 version of the podcast. No one ever heard the first version. Has your anxiety kind of curbed itself a little bit? This Dude, was a, as soon this as was we a started, good time, right? As soon as we started, easy peasy. My baby. anxiety kicked in because it's like <laughs> we talked about it—the hurry up and wait. Yep. Like it was like it's noon. It's six hours away. Okay, fuck, it's two. I only have four hours. Yeah. Okay, it's still only three. I still have three. Like my mindset changed. Like. I only have four hours. Oh, I still have three hours. I only have two hours. I still have one hour. That shit is a touring <laughs> musician's nightmare. Absolutely. I've never gotten nervous before going on stage, but the I, anxiety. I love the fly by the seat of the pants. This is so much too. fun, dude. And it's been good, man. I appreciate it. I've had it. a lot of things. All right. I've had a good I'm going to queue up the outro. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. This has been an insane amount of fun. Um, uh, Say it again. Cool. Where, where can people find this and order shit from you? Because this is the real point. Like, I love Zach as a musician. He's really inspired me to do a lot of things. But the reason I wanted him to come on right away and be my first guest and bring these coasters is because I wanna, I wanna really support you and get you out of the grind, man. Yeah, I wanna absolutely. get you away from making someone else rich, <laughs> yeah, yep. and I wanna get you into the business of making you rich. Yeah. So where can people find these coasters? So right now, it's uh, if you, you know, obviously, and it's not just the coasters. It, 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 I say coasters. Yeah, there's a. I've got capabilities to do fucking stupid, crazy things. But um, you know, if you're unless you're living under a rock and you are not on Facebook. Uh, most people are on Facebook, and you can just do a search for Cool Story Creative. Uh, otherwise, it's just facebook.com backslash Cool Story Creative MN, and you can find everything on there. I'm reachable by email at that point, and you know, I try to stay off of Facebook as much as I possibly can, but I And if I you mention the Jared pages. Singer extravaganza, you will get a 0% discount. Oh, come on now. You Zero percent discount. Here's what I will say. Here's what we're doing is we're supporting 
someone starting a business. Yep. And when we're supporting someone starting a business, we don't ask for discounts. We mention <laughs> that we saw them on this promo mm. and we pay them full price. We well and here. we support them as they build their business and then maybe someday down the road they can afford to start discounts. And I things. I think a big thing that P- I I treat this business the same way that I treated my music and uh you know, I, I heard these are not cheap. These are well. These the, are so thick and high quality, and the in the grain, the but, cut is deep. But so the, as I put shit on these over yep, the years, these not, are still these gonna are not read. Gonna wear down. Yeah, like absolutely. I mean, we're talking. Fuck, dude, what did you go down a quarter inch? Uh, yeah, as, that's the deepest that they went down in it. About a quarter inch, dude. Yep. This it, is an eighth inch so right good. here, and then this is a quarter inch all the way down. But so what I will nice. say is that I I, I approach this the same way that I approach music. Uh, the best, which means you don't give a shit. I don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> the best, the best, the best thing I ever heard was the lead singer of Thursday said that if you don't have money, you should always have music. And I've always, uh, I've always lived by that adage when it comes to my music that, um, you know, even if we were on stage and somebody said, "Well, I can't afford your CD," you should always have music. And I would always be somebody to find a way to get that music into your hands. And I'm the same way with this shit. Is that, you know, if, if there's some little bit of creativity that you really love off of the things that I will do that I do but for one reason or another maybe my prices might be out of out of your range that's never a point to say let's talk about creativity and so when it comes down to that I guess the biggest thing if you're going to look at cool story creative and you feel like it's out of your price range it isn't let's just have a conversation about it and I I trust so literally message him just, just tell them. Absolutely. Hey, this is what I'm looking for. And and I can attest it. I'll back you up real quick. Because I wanted this one, which didn't exist. Yep. Know me. And I asked him to give me a know me one, which means North Minneapolis, which is like, uh, dude, I feel as attached to North Minneapolis as I do to this I, I Heart Northeast, which is where I grew up. And he he told me a price, and I decided to pay him extra. Because, and you did. Because yeah. that's what I wanted to do at the moment. Like, it's a give and take, you guys. Like, there's people like me that'll pay a couple bucks extra. And for whatever reason, whether that's to help him out or maybe that's to give somebody else a $5 discount. It right. doesn't matter. The point is, is that we're, we're all about, like, as a fan base, if you're going to hit him up, you're trying to support him to help him get out of his daily grind. Because you feel the burden of that same daily grind. And, and you know what? And I'm here for you too. And that's the thing is that like, you know, the fact of the matter is that the name, the name cool story creative, everybody's got a cool story behind what they want for a design. That's there why I feel always so special about this There is a fucking cool one. story. And so the fact of the matter is, is that if it's special to you, I take a lot more pride in doing something like that. So by, by no means don't feel like, you know, monetary aspect, we, we can have a conversation and I trust in people's honesty and forthright. And, uh, you know, I, I think that a business can only build off of the fact that people take care of one another. I think that's beautiful, so, man. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up, dude. Agreed. I'm going to cue the outro. Thank you, guys. I love you guys. Uh, there we go. All right. Technically, nice. this ain't done for a second. But, dude, I had so much fucking fun with you, bro. Not, this was a blast. Absolutely. Holy fuck. Thanks for letting me be a part of it.